Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. September the 3, year 2016. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and stuff like that, too. <laughs> I think it's Labor Day. You missed it. Well, I, I didn't have time to figure out how many shopping days you have, but I figured we, we got oh a little time gosh. to figure that one out. Oh, my gosh. It's the beautiful voice that you hear. I'm having, I'm having hives over this one. <laughs> the beautiful voice that you hear. The mouth of the South. Thank you. The, the mouth of the, uh, the mouth of the South. South. The swamp bird of of the great yesterday USA. Um, the songbird? Yeah. Really? Gee, I, 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 you I, did I, mention that one time. Yeah, I know you can sing. I just know it. I just know <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> I just know you can I, sing. I'm sitting here with my little tin cup ready to collect from people who would pay me not to sing. <laughs> And, and she'll I would throw, make and, just as much money as And she'll throw in free golf lessons in that bucket, too, everybody. You don't want her to play a round of golf in front of you or sing. We can make a PayPal account to Florida Rider Tim Tup, Tin Cup Program. What do you think? I think that's great. That's what I was going to say. I could make just as much money being paid not to sing as I could be being paid not to go in front of somebody on a golf course. 
I would just stand on the first tee and say, I'll let you go through for a dollar. Ah, ah. I'm very, very, I'm very inexpensive. Oh, very good. But I'd, I'd collect it from every person in the party. How much would you charge to be a good caddy? A good caddy mm-hmm. or just a caddy? Just a caddy. Just a plain caddy. I don't know. I truly do not know how much caddies make today. Well, I don't know what I, they I, made I, yesterday I, either. Yeah. <laughs> See, you'd be a very good caddy. You could tell all the great golf pros that you sure. covered over these. Do, do you like the stick with the number on it? We can go for that. This one's got a five. What are you going to do with that one? Good deal. This one doesn't have anything on it, but it's a little crooked. <laughs> okay. like to know why I have no sleep today. Yes, I want I told, to know. Patricia, told, told at, at, mm-hmm. the, at the older we get, Patricia tells her life story in trinkets. So tell me what happened today, my dear. Yes, yes, just just in little increments. Yes. Well, see, today was the last day I could pay my rent without a penalty. Uh-oh. The third is the last day. Okay. And I'm only squeaking up there on the third. Right. And yesterday... I was sitting here last night, and, and I looked, and it said, oh, my gosh, the third. I missed it. But it had just tipped over past midnight, so the calendar, of course, rolled with it. Uh-huh. So I had to get there today. Uh-huh. Now, I have not been sleeping well. This medication that I'm on will kill everything except your appetite. <laughs> and so, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> so, so anyway, I thought, well. Just in case, because I haven't been falling asleep until like 6 or 7 in the morning. Just like the old so days. I set my, say what? Just like the old days. Just like the old days. Yeah. By golly, I am back up and running. <laughs> I am doing everything that I used to do. Yeah. Anyhow, so here I am. I look at my little clock. I've got this really little digital clock, and it, it's great because it'll fit in my pocket if I'm going somewhere. And I set it for 1 o'clock just to make sure that I could get up and get dressed and just get up to the office before 5 o'clock. Well, I woke up and I looked. I said, 1 o'clock, the darn thing didn't go off again. So I got up, I checked my blood sugar, put coffee in the microwave, and as I was turning to take my medications, I looked at the microwave again, and it said 7 o'clock. It wasn't 1 o'clock. It was 7 o'clock oh, in oh, the morning. Oh, oh. So you ain't got one hour of sleep? Uh, yeah, sort of two hours, yeah. So I, um, my excuse is that on a little digital clock, when you try to read it upside down, yeah. the seven looks like a one. Yes. <laughs> so I've been up since seven o'clock this morning. <laughs> I just I could not believe I had done that. I'm just puttering around, and I'm saying, oh, you, you know, you really got to scoot and make sure that yeah, yeah. they're not closing early today because it's a holiday weekend. <laughs> it's 7 o'clock in the morning. So, so ad- anyway, that was the story you waited to hear. So adorable. Yes. What time did you actually make an appearance in the office? Did you do it at 8, 8 a.m.? No. That's what I, I would have done. That's what I would have well, done. That way I, I could have no, gone back and shoes. went to bed. I didn't have my shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta have shoes when you walk outside. 
But anyway, I just kind of puttered around here, and I did some stuff on the computer, and I went up at about noon, maybe 1, maybe 1 o'clock. I probably did get there at 1 o'clock, which is where I wanted to be anyway. But anyway, that's my story that I didn't tell you before we got on the air, that I cannot read my numbers. Little kids know how to see numbers 1 to 10. Okay. Little ones. We're going to need to pass the, the plate, everybody. We're gonna buy Patricia a talking talk clock. That way, <laughs> that way, when she needs to know, she can hear the old thing and I'll tell her. That's what we should do. Does it, does it continue until you shut it off like an alarm clock? No, you can just hit the button. Whatever you want to know, you can hit hit the button and I'll just tell you the time. If I'm asleep, will it wake me up? There are, Is there, it an alarm clock? There, there are, there are ones that have a timers that you could have timers. They can do that, uh-huh. okay. Uh-huh. And, uh, Very cool. Yeah. See, you'd be good at that. There are digital readout. You you could look key to read out, but see, you'd be perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. So we, we are going to talk Patricia in at 1 o'clock again this week. Uh, well, we're going to try. Uh-huh. No, I guess... Yeah, well, we didn't do very well last week, did we? We did pretty good. That's okay. 125. I'll just just keep going. Whatever you say, we we have some stuff put away just in case you want to go to bed at 1 o'clock or at midnight or at 11. Oh, no, not not that early. Not that early. And I really am feeling better. So I I have to start owning up to my job here. What we have, by the way, let me tell families what we have later when we put Patricia to bed. <laughs> <laughs> we have. She's not going to need much help tonight. Yeah. We have, um, today is the 77th anniversary where England declared war on Germany. So what have recently popped up is 80 minutes worth of shortwave coverage of all the different countries that were reporting that day. Oh, my goodness, what a great thing. And you put all of this together? No, it's available on pastdaily.com, and the guy collects news, and so we download it. It also has other things, but it starts off with different countries, from Germany to different country reports of today happening. So you really did collect this stuff? Yep. And... It wasn't a matter... Yeah, you... You did fine. What a nice thing to do. And, and, uh, we don't play tonight, we'll play it tomorrow. Because Michael Beale has been going to bed early, too. You know, I don't know <laughs> where me. I didn't think that man ever slept. <laughs> but we have a, um, you know, this week with the 75th anniversary, one of the great girls we've won on its own, it's our mm-hmm. own show. So we celebrated last night, and we didn't get to it. There's a two-hour panel where Wilder Wallman, Shirley Mitchell, and Mary Lee Robb, who played Marjorie, sat down with Chuck Shagan in, in Chicago to talk about the show. Wow. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll play that sometime, too. So those are some of the things. That, that will be good, too. Yeah. So I'm, I want to start, and then we can go back to some fun stuff. I'd like to start about Jim Taylor. Please do. And, and let everybody know, Jim Taylor is our family member from California, the one who has shared book reviews with us in case, you know, I mean, you sit out there in listener land and you can't put 
um, everybody together, but Jim is the person who shares book reviews with us. He was in a house fire on Wednesday and very badly injured with smoke inhalation. He was resuscitated before he was transported to the hospital, and he is in critical condition. So everybody needs to keep him in your thoughts and prayers. <clears throat> Excuse me, he and the two people who also lived in the house, Jim often called them his housemates. Um, they lost everything. The house was was rented, but they lost everything, and the house was destroyed. Someone has set up what is called a GoFundMe account. I had never heard of it before. Walden, you did. Yeah. Um, it's it's a place that you can go and make contributions. Um, there's there's a, a link. There's actually a name, uh, a, a link that goes with the GoFundMe, and it's got um, characters after the GoFundMe.com. I will send it to anyone who wants to give a hand. Anything from $1 up, every dollar will help them get back on their feet. Um, one of the things that is good for me to be able to tell you is that the housemates were not there. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but for them it was a good thing. They were not there when the fire started, so neither one of them was injured. And that's particularly important. It's a mother-daughter. It's a mother-daughter, uh, mother and the daughter is pregnant. pregnant. So that adds some urgency to helping these people get back on their feet. And, and, they're, 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 and, they're, and they're not, and we'll put it this way, Jim is sort of the one that's financially supporting them to his government assistance. So there's really no money here. That's why for them yeah. it's pretty critical. Yeah. So some somebody sent a note around. It was another person from another old-time radio site that Jim frequented yes. and sent a note around and reminded people that um, this is not just, you know, contributing money and maybe they'll go out and buy furniture or something. They don't have a place to live. Um, this was a rental home. They don't have the rental home anymore. So anything that goes in is going to help them find another home, and, of course, with the young woman who is pregnant, um, you know, she's she's got added considerations on her back. So one of the notes I saw, and I forgot to mention this to you, Walden, I, I like, don't remember because I don't frequent these places. I'm not a member of Facebook. I don't know if it was on Facebook or a message on the GoFundMe site asking people not to call the hospital, not to stop by the hospital. Jim is in the intensive care unit in critical condition, and the phone calls and visitors actually take away from the patient care. So whoever it was who posted that note, Walden helped me. Was it Facebook probably? No, it was on the GoFundMe page that you both It was GoFund. Okay. And I, the, I did call. I did, it's pretty critical because I did call the hospital because we, Patricia, John, Larry, and I knew this by Sunday. Ron Bond got a call and let Larry know, and it spread through us. But I didn't think we had enough to go with by Sunday. So thanks to Patricia for digging up article and doing some background check. We were pretty sure by when Patricia was able to come up with the information, we were pretty sure this was our gym. Because, uh, you, you know, you don't want to 
jump the gun on, on a situation like this. Yeah. And yeah. so Patricia did some back checking and and it, it's really a spread through the different blind community, um, different lists. It's made television back there in, in Pittsburgh, California. Um, the radio host that Jim talked to on the rock and roll show saw the, t the TV thing. He's blind. So he called Ron, and so different radio website been trying to spread the word. The, because basically, you know, I guess for most tenants, you mostly put down. You got to put down a first and a last down payment to even get rental property, and that's, that's right. And that's that's pretty much where this money's going to. It's uh, yeah. And let's face in California, it's and we can almost say this probably across most of America. For I think California's got an edge on this. New Jersey and California are yeah. ahead but in terms of expenses, and I'm, I know it's goes to rental as well. Yeah, and so, so I think it's getting harder for Mr. and Mrs. America just to find enough money for a first and a second, a first and a, yeah. and for just anybody, I think, throughout America. I think we all realize it's gotten, yeah. it's gotten tough. And, yeah. and so if you're inclined to do it, uh, we, we'll pass the information along. Um, We'll keep tabs on Jim the best we can. I, I think for a while we'll sort of monitor the GoFund campaign. Yeah. Uh, it's probably I, what, I think that would probably what we'll do. Um, and J Jim has family, but one of his family members has, ha has got some physical challenges. He's, in the, he's trying to get better from an illness. So it, it's not the easiest situation for yeah. Jim at the moment. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, just just to, I don't know if it's iterate or reiterate. I think it's supposed to be iterate, and then if you do it again, it's reiterate. Anyway, um, I have the address for the GoFundMe.com site that is for Jim, and that's the place where anyone who is able to can make a contribution. Not everybody can, no. and that is fine. The one thing everybody can do is keep him in your thoughts. Uh, so, if, if you if you want to check it out ahead of time, I think John already had put it up on a Facebook page. So if you're a member of Facebook, you can search uh, the Facebook page and there's a, a link to that. And this might be if you can't contribute, that's totally fine. It's just this might be a way just to keep track of Jim. And I think that's a, a, another way to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely so. thoughts and prayers are going to be well needed in his case because as Patricia was describing the situation to me concerning her background, having a more complete understanding what the challenges you have, this is not going to be an overnight recovery thing. It's going to take, it's going to take some challenges to have Jim make baby yes. steps with this. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So our hearts are broken. Yes. And we can just hold Jim in our hearts and make sure that he gets good thoughts every day going his way. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. Now, I have a theme for tonight. Oh, <laughs> bless my little heart. <laughs> it was Walden's idea. <laughs> and, and 
Oh, dear. I really think I need to send my brain out for dry cleaning. <laughs> and I have a question for the family tonight, too. So, Patricia, have a theme, yes. and I have a question. So. Okay, well, um, can I go first you before go first. I forget You get it? everything out because mine's so good. I want to save it for a while. Alden told me this a couple of weeks ago, and I said, that's a great idea, because we were talking about something that related to the theme tonight. And about a week ago, I called and said, what did I think was a great idea? We both had to sit here for a minute, and he remembered. So you tell first, and then I'll tell, and then I've got a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I'm going to save mine for last. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Well, September 2nd, because I had to go backwards a little bit okay. here. In 1969, America's first ATM went into effect in, on Long Island, New York in a little community that uh -huh. today even only has about 25,000 people in it. Wow. But for, uh, yeah, I, 1969, I had no idea that they went back that far. None. So my question for you is, what does ATM stand for? I guess there was something more scary than that. What you know does how many <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was six decades ago? What? When the ATM came about? Yeah. Six decades. Okay. I know. All right. I, all right. Now, Walton, what does ATM mean? <laughs> Patricia says, I always take little side roads with her, and it's true. <laughs> little side roads. That was an interstate highway. <laughs> little side road, indeed. Okay. Automatic. What ATM? Automatic. Yeah. Money. M for money. No. Automatic tower machine. Very good. Did you know that and you no, were just teasing no, me? No, no, no. I, I, I had to work with it. That's excellent. Very good. Now, we had VJ Day in here. VJ Day? Did we not? Yes, we do. September 2nd. Yeah, actually, yeah. they actually signed the... Um, the surrender ship on the balance mm -hmm. of Missouri. That's right, on the second. Yep. So we had a lot of World War II things happening. Um, and did, I, did you, I hate did to you, did you know? Them. Did you know? <laughs> yes. Did you know that John McCain's grandfather was on that ship when they signed the paperwork? I think you told me that one time, but I had forgotten it. And I mean, why not? I had forgotten and, everything else. And when he came home the next day, he passed away on the trip coming home. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. This is a new piece of information. Anyway. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to hurry up and do the third, the fourth, and the fifth, and then... We can go to phones, and I've got a whole bunch of other stuff, All but right. I'll do it in between. Okay. Okay, the third, Skyscraper Day. Hello? I don't know. I don't make these up. <laughs> the fourth, Newspaper Carrier Day. Um, the first newspaper boy, it was in the 1800s, uh, started his route on September 4th of whatever year it was. I don't know if we even <laughs> have the old-fashioned new paper boys every, anymore. I think everybody does it by cars. You know, they cover more territory. Yeah, if they even have that, because yeah. so many people are going to the Internet. We right. still have um, 
you know, the, I was going to say dispenser, but I guess that's really what it is. You put your coins in, and the door opens, and you take a newspaper. If you're yeah. honest, you only take one. I, how much did that cost now, I wonder? Oh, gee. I want I don't know. I wanted that... Anybody, if you could Google that up and give us a call, that would be. I would like to know. Is it like getting like seventy-five cents a buck? Uh, if anybody could look that up, I, I'd be curious. Cause let's face it, it was thirty thirty-five cents. Say that again. I wonder how much it is now. I want for like seventy-five cents or a dollar. It to stick it in. The Sunday paper must. I. People put quarters in these machines. They must need wheelbarrows to get these things home. <laughs> quarters are very heavy. You roll ten dollars of quarters and you put that in your pocket and your pants get crooked. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, we need to know how much is a newspaper on the fifth, which is Monday. Labor Day. Be late. It is be late for something day, and this one is your ever so favorite. It is cheese pizza day. Ah. Uh... So that's for Walden. The theme tonight is the special days when when we were kids mm -hmm. growing up. Now, my mother always did laundry on Monday, and I think she shopped on Friday. But Monday was laundry day, absolutely laundry day. And that was from my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Everybody did laundry on Monday, except me. <laughs> and <laughs> I wait until I run out of something. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, then I've only had two hours of sleep. You must be very kind to me. So that's what I'm going to be asking when people call in tonight. No, no, Did you no. grow up in a household with special days for things like laundry and ironing and shopping? And I don't know what Wednesday was, but anyway. We need, um, we, we need to ask your sister and your sister-in-law, have they kept the decision on Monday, or have they broken away just like Patricia? And oh, Dunner? broken away, certainly. <laughs> I'm the leader of the pack here. <laughs> I, I don't have anything regular in my, obviously, because I got up at 7 o'clock this morning. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, dear. I cannot even read my numbers. Oh. I cannot. Oh. Okay. Can we, and you were going to add something. What were you are you, are you, are you ask, done? Are you ask. done? Uh, are you ready for phone calls? I'm oh, never finished. No, I'm never finished, but please shut me up. Okay. This okay. is my question. This is my okay. this is my question for the family, for everybody. Yes. <laughs> the question is: Everybody knows how much I love Patricia, the adorable <laughs> one. The how adorable much, one. How yes. much? How much do I love her? What? In I other words, in other words, let me count the ways. In yes. other words, what am I giving up tonight to be with uh, the adorable one? <gasps> so you can figure that out. You can give us a call. Don't the football has started, hasn't it? Yes. Nebraska is playing right now, and I'd rather be with the adorable one. Oh, Walden, you lie beautifully. <laughs> no, I do. I'd rather be with you. So, <laughs> so that's, how much, that. that's how much I love the adorable one. I'm skipping the Nebraska football game. With that, let's open the phone Oh, my line, gosh. Everybody. Well, you love our family that much. That's true. 714-545-2071. That's our number. I, I, I don't know if anybody heard an interesting trivia question last night. We, we were celebrating the great girls' leave, and on the fly, 
I came up with 10 remaining people who are still alive from the Great Ghost Recast. And oh, I love it. So we, 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 so we have fun with that one. And uh -huh. um, I'm not going to ask you the name of 10, but I want you to figure out what famous singer who is still with us from the 40s and 50s had a guest shot on the Great Girl Street. She was singing the song when they did a square dance in 1949. And then what famous television... Don't go away, Pollard. What famous television actress of today got her first acting break on the Great Girl Street Christmas show from 1947? And she's on television today? Yes. How would I know? I haven't had one for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, Carl. You're on here. I hear, I hear background. Hello there, caller. Okay, turn down whatever is in the background. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you ten seconds. Okay. Oh, when you well. turn, when you turn everything down, give us a call back. All right, caller, give us a call back. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. There's no call screener. So when you come in, they're coming directly to us. You know. Now when I teach Patricia, but how you hear, uh huh. When you we we hear, what you hear, whatever. We hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a long night. And, oh poor Walt! And, I'm so sorry. And and, and we're just a bit of a delay, you know. So okay. Yeah. Here we come, caller. You're I'm on. I'm problem. You're on the air with, with Patricia. I'm having a, there we go. What's wrong? What problem are you having? Are you calling? Are you calling Nurse Patricia to find out what's what going on with this thing? Well, you know, are you gonna? Call, are you talking to Nurse Patricia, Ron? Do you need her to fix your your radio for you? God damn phone! You want to walk out of the room? Ron, we're on the air. There. We go. That's it. Yeah, I'm having a problem. Well. Aww. Did Can you, I take your pulse? Did you talk? Did you call Doctor Nurse Patricia to work on your current medical stuff, like how to fix what? your radio? I want to, you get oh, I'm going to take the radio's pulse and okay. blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. We can do that. Very good. Yeah. I can't hear. I even have one of those little things on my that phone. I don't know why, but finger. I'm I'm hearing you guys on the radio, but I can't hear on my phone. Okay, that's, oh. that's interesting. It's broke. You broke the phone. Do you have it, perhaps? I don't know what's going on with this silly thing. Turn down? Well, Ron, why don't I do this? Why don't I talk to you off here, get your number, and call you right back? Maybe that would fix it. Yeah, I can't. I'm going to have to figure out what's going on with okay. the phone. I'm, not, All right, put I'm hearing. hearing. Yeah, because you're breaking up a little bit, too. Okay. I'm not hearing the phone. Okay, oh. wait a minute. Oh. Hey, 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 Ron. I broke the phone. I broke hey. the phone. There's hey. no question about it. I broke hey. the phone. Hey, Ron, what I'll do? I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't hear on the phone. Okay, Ron. I, I, obviously, I'm talking on the phone, but it's not hearing. Um, okay, Ron, I'm going to Skype you. I'm going to so Skype. I don't know what the heck is going on with this phone. Okay. I can't hear you on the phone. Oh, dear me. Oh, wait a minute. I know. Hold on. You know what, folks? Can you hear me now? You know what? I forgot to put new batteries in. So everybody, hold on tight. Oh, Walden. Okay, we can hold on tight while Walden does his thing. Putting in 
batteries. Okay, I was supposed to do something really cute tonight, so I'll go ahead and do it. We have one Burma shade and one Winnie the Pooh, because I drag these little things around with me. I've had Burma shave in my files for three years. Okay, here's your one Burma shave for tonight. No matter the price, no matter how new, the best safety device in the car is you. Burma shave. I wish I could hear you. <laughs> Hold on. I know you're talking in the background, but we're going to have a long night. You know what happened? I forgot to put well, batteries in the head in this machine. No, no so it was your fault? Yeah. What? Are you there? I, okay, when I hear dead air, I'm afraid I'm all by myself here again. <laughs> oh, oh, well, then. I will put Ron back in. Okay. And I'll that poor I guy, no wonder he couldn't hear. Uh -huh. Now you should hear Ron. I hear you. You know what I did? <laughs> and this poor guy, he's saying I love his darn phone. This you know what I did? <laughs> I forgot to put batteries into the mixer. Uh -huh. uh huh. So it's my fault. So and you didn't even hear my Burma shave then. No, no. Um, okay, let's, no. let's start from the top, Patricia. Hi, how's well, the Burma every, shave? All right, everybody else, they're short. Right. No matter the price, no matter how new, the best safety device in the car is you. Burma shave. I wish I had a job with Burma shave before. I guess it was Lady Bird Johnson who tore down all of the billboards. Oh, dear. Anyway, that's my story. Hi, Ron. How are you? I, I, I think she was trying to beautify the country, you know. I think that's what her excuse was. Yeah, but she, she think of all the little kids that learn not, not to read anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, all the little kids well, in the backseat. There were some things that were very nice American not American. to have to look at anymore, but Burma Shave wasn't in that bunch. The Dumbing Down of America started at that point. That's why we can't read. Right. We can't read because we have no billboards. <laughs> true. I, I, I think I remembered to tell you the story about the person who was in one of the libraries or museums I was doing some research in a year or two ago. I asked him to sign off that I was returning something, and he said, I can't do that. Uh, I said, but the, the librarian said it was okay. Did I tell you this? No, I have, I've never heard this one. Okay. And, and he said, I said, the librarian said it was okay. He said, no, no, I can't do that. And I, I waited for him. He said, we never learned cursive. He couldn't write. This was a college student. He couldn't write. And he works at a library? And he was doing, he, well, he was doing filing. He could, he can read, he can tweet, he can type on a computer. But he could not handwrite in cursive. He That's said in order to open a checking account, he had to practice at home signing his name because he never could sign his name. Holy I mean, cats. I just think that's atrocious. There's something wrong with that picture. Holy cats. I, and I, here I am. I'm saying, no, no, it's okay. The librarian said you could do it. He, no, no, no. Yeah. I can't do it. It's not that I may not do it. I can't do it. Wow. That one wow. just that one just knocked my socks wow. off. Wow. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. 
I am surprised he was able to get into a library job, any library job, to be honest well, with you. He, he was, I, I guess he, was, he wasn't doing intern work. I guess he was doing volunteer work, and it went toward his credit in college. You know, it, it contributed to one of his courses that he was taking in college. And it, it pains me to say college, someone who can't sign his name. But the, the kids he grew up with and this young man never learned to write. They learned computers. They learned handheld devices. They learned all of the equipment we surround ourselves with, but he could not write his own name. I couldn't either. Well, you got a pretty good excuse, Ron. You a have little a good bit. reason. Not really. But, you know, you, you Ron, Ron and I were talking last night. Patricia, I want you to tell Patricia and the family this story. When did they... When did the blind school ask you, when did they start te teaching you how to write your name? I think this yeah. is incredible. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I, 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 it never came up until I was a senior in high school, and I think there were about, oh, maybe five or six weeks to go in the, at, at the end of the, of, the, uh, of the year. That's when they started teaching them how to write. Yeah. And that's and when they started teaching you it, yeah, in a life skill that you needed for your whole life. Correct. Oh yeah, because you can't you can't function without uh, being able to sign off on something. You know, you really need to do that. You have to be able to do that. You do. So what was this kid do. doing before he opened a checking account, making X's on things and having them witnessed? I don't know. You almost have to. Um, I had. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really something wrong here. But I uh, I just I and I know he wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't his way of saying, gotcha. No. This was a real problem. And I knew he was getting to the real guts of the thing when he said I had to practice writing my name at home before I could open a checking account because I had to sign my name. Well, didn't you, in the old days, I think when my, when probably when your folks were growing up and my folks were growing and Ron folks were going. They used to have like penmanship and things like like this third grade or something or second grade. Mm -hmm. they, you were you were working on skills like that when you were a little kid. Well, maybe uh, in in our situation, my situation, you might do maybe not do it quite that early. No, but I'm just thinking. But but, but your your mom and dad. I'm thinking of your mom and no. dad and and uh, my mom and dad. No, at one time that was required. Oh, yeah, but I think it should have been done earlier or earlier for me than it was. Mm -hmm. Okay, you holding on to your socks? Yes, my dear. I went to I went to a parochial grammar school, right? And we started cursive in first grade. We never learned how to print. I grew up and never knew how to print neatly, like you would, you know. So I've got this. I, I, Unusual. I, I print uh -huh. in in an. I mean, you can read it. It's really good and it looks nice. It just doesn't follow the rules. I started cursive in first grade. Now, in my case, I remember working on print first. Then, then we started to do handwriting, and that's yes. about that's about the time when I lost my sight. So, um, you know, I have some of the basic down of hand. You know, mm -hmm. handwriting. Yep. But traditionally, when I when I sign a check, it's mine is pretty much print. It's what I generally do. Mm -hmm. But but I have a very unique way of printing. None of them. Are, I every signature is different because I have I sometimes do di big size, small size, 
I have some comforting news for you. The bank doesn't care. They really don't care. I used to write checks three or six months ahead of time for my brother when he was in the care facility. Right. And, I, and they would put them in a folder, and I would yellow highlight the date, and each month they would deposit a check. Mm-hmm. And I got a notice from the bank that they were charging me for an overdraft or charging the checking account for an overdraft. And I called, and he said, you know, I'm, I really apologize. It was my fault, and that got fixed. And I went to the bank to ask if they would take off the charge and explained what the situation was. And she said, pre-writing a check is illegal. <laughs> Post-dating it is illegal. I said, well, considering I did something illegal, <laughs> could I please have the $25 back? And she did. I said, you know, this was, this was a check for over $1,000. Didn't anybody look at the, I mean, just look at it, that it was a month early? I, it, it said September, and it was being cashed in in. No, I don't know. It, it was a month off. Right. And she said, oh, they don't look at anything like that unless it's $10,000 or over. Oh, man. Oh, okay. my. So don't plan on anyone reading what's <laughs> on your check. No. Don't worry about it, Walden. I've been told that, too. You could put Mr. Chicken on your check, and it would probably go I through. Have, I, have some, I have some news. Yes, you do. Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, Jim is out of intensive care. Oh, right. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. I got this news this afternoon uh, from Dennis Terry. And that's the, uh-huh. radio, that's the radio personality in yeah. San Jose, everybody who Dennis broke Day. the story. Uh, what can, you know what Dennis call letters are? Well, the radio what? station is KSJS. It stands for San Jose University, State University. And to college day, and, and he has a show Friday morning. Friday morning from 10 to 2 Pacific. Uh, it's an oldies program, and uh, it plays some rather obscure things. He, he prides himself on playing obscure oldies, and it's really good stuff. And they're, stream, uh, and they're streaming online, so everybody can listen to him. They do stream, yes. And boy, it comes in good here usually. It's, it does very well here when the one thing works right. And he, was the one, and he was the one that saw the story on TV. He, here you go. Know, blind people watching TV, Patricia. What can you say? You know. His friend, his no, no. His friend saw this new story on TV. One of his friends. Okay. Told him. Okay. And he, he and, so, and he called Ron. Oh, there. Right. Right. Okay. Good thing we have tired people. Yeah, it is. <laughs> there are a lot of help. Um. Patricia knows that, right? People, right? Right, Patricia. Yeah, I have my television on all the time. Yeah, but it's a good thing we have sighted people, sighted friends to help us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I said I have my television on all the time. <laughs> it hasn't been on for three weeks, four weeks. <laughs> I have something from CenturyLink I'd like to read to you later. <laughs> <laughs> One of those days. But, Ron, that is such good news. Um, no, I, I didn't. I wanted to I, I know that it, it's. we have to go elsewhere or in different places to get details and information about it, but just knowing that um, he's stable enough to be cared for on a different unit. Yes, that's, that's my Excellent. What was that, Patricia, in order to graduate to that, would they have removed some life-saving 
equipment that not would that remain? Okay, not necessarily. It just not, not necessarily. Um, no. Okay. They they frequently have what they call step down units. Okay. So it's not it's not that he's being taken away from intensive care. It's it's really rigorous care, but it's not necessarily in an intensive care unit. So it's it's, uh, it's a staffing. It could be more of a staffing thing. No. Okay. No, it's 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 a different level of care. I guess is the best way to put yeah, it. That, that would be the um, okay. He may he may get the same number of hours, but it's a different type of nursing unit, and um, it, it's just good news that he was able to do that. Oh, so in other words, in, in other words, you're saying that they triage nurses based upon different units, right? Is that what uh, I'm hearing? Well, I'm not I'm not no. quite sure what. I'm not even, I, I don't, I what don't, you're asking on that one. Well, what I'm saying is n nurses, might, they might have nurses assigned to certain units. And some oh, of, they do, and, yeah. And that's probably what I mean. They changed the uh, the unit on him, basically. They, they changed to a different care level, right. yes. Okay, yes. that's what that means. Okay. Oh. And he, he, he is in a room. Um, now, it's not clear to me, and he didn't know whether he was still on the inhalator. Okay. Um, we don't know about that. Mm -hmm. We don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, all we know at this point is he is out of out out of intensive care and in a room. Okay. Excellent. That's good news. Excellent. You just made our night. Well, I, I made mine today when I heard it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I'm glad. You know, I, I I was telling Walden last night, Patricia. When you're in a situation as as as, as I am, and I don't consider myself. And I, I know, Walden, you heard this. Yeah. I don't consider myself handicapped, okay? I really don't. Uh, I have limitations. And I real I know what those limitations are, and I, I try to, you know, stay within them. But um, and uh, and but but where I was going with that is with this is that uh, when you're in a situation as we are here, it's a wake up call. When mm -hmm. like this happens to somebody else, you you're right. I understand. You find yourself uh, thinking, "Do I have all my ducks in a row here?" You know, and and I I think that I have. I'm really mm -hmm. comfortable with with everything right now. Yep. Every time there's a disaster or a catastrophe. Yes. It is a wake-up call for some people, not for everyone, but depending on what your circumstances are. You're right. Yeah. And, you know, it's the circumstances that give us the wake-up calls are scary and they're hurtful, like with Jim. Yes. But I understand what you're saying. It makes us sit back and say, whoa, am I prepared for X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. yes. Or could I deal with A, B, and C? I understand. Are you doing anything differently now than you were before? No, not really. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I, I, I know in California, we are required by law to have smoke detectors in our house. We have mm -hmm. two of them here. You guys, what about, it's the same rules apply in Florida, Patricia, for smoke detectors? and. I believe so, yes. Uh -huh. But I'm, I'm not sure about older houses, if the laws governing that were retroactive or everybody was grandfathered in. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I I do have we do have two of them here, so we're we're good. Mm-hmm. And they went the week we actually she tested one the night before last because she burns up her. <laughs> and she tested it real good. Good. <laughs> well, in our Everybody family, knew, huh? In our family, we always change batteries New Year's Day. That's sure how we always take care of the smoke alarm. You know, get put a a new battery in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mine is hardwired. It's okay. got batteries in it, uh-huh. uh, and I guess that's in yeah. case the electricity goes down. But it's hardwired, and it kept going off at one point until I found the circuit breaker that shut off the alarm. It was fine after a couple of days, but that darn thing was hardwired to the to the power to the you know the the fuse box. Uh-huh. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it shut off. I actually had to throw a circuit breaker. <laughs> oh my! That was a big protection. Then I could go to bed and not have a smoke detector. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have your go figure. Comfort zone. Oh well. Anyway, well, Ron, I am just so pleased that you're able to to give us that kind of news tonight. Thank you, thank you so much. You're, you're All right. Very well. Now you, you need to answer Patricia's topic before you. Head out the uh, door. I, I, I heard the question, and you know what? And he, there really isn't any. You don't have a set thing for anything? No. Not when you you and Jackie were growing up, a little kid, you, you folks no, didn't have a set thing? Not really. You, sh- um, you, you, you ate every day. That's what that's what counts, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I can prove that because I, I'm very healthy right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Medication will shut down everything except your appetite. Oh, yeah. oh and it's the truth. Yep. Oh dear. Well, okay. You you didn't you didn't do your laundry on Mondays, eh? No, no. My mother just did it whenever it needed to be done. Oh gosh, a woman after my own heart here. That's the way it, and that's the way it is here, also, by the way. Okay. What about making? No, okay. Now, what about when do? You, okay, let me ask a big personal question. I, I know mm-hmm. this is really personal. In my family, we mm-hmm. do this. We do this Friday. We change beds on Fridays. What about you, Never. Ron? When do you and Jackie decide <laughs> to change beds? Uh, when you feel like it, right? It, it, yeah. Well, it's done here every other Thursday. Every other Thursday. Yeah. Okay, adorable. You get do it, you do it when you feel like it. Twice a year, without fail. <laughs> hey, I like that. I like that. Yeah. You like that one, huh? <laughs> That's good. All right. So we now we know everybody. People can donate. No, we don't. <laughs> we know three. Three is not everybody. Of course, in our little sphere right now. Yes. Sphere. That's a very hard word for me to pronounce. Uh, um, yes, in our, our little world right now. Okay. I this want, is the whole world. I want you to do that with a New York accent. Do spear in a New York accent. Can't even do it oh. normally. <laughs> a fear. I mean, that's 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 what they call a diphthong, where you get two hard sounds back to back. If that P, mm. if that P throws you off. Well, it it's actually a P P H. I know it's spelled so that it's way. So it's pronounced as an F, like in Frank. Right. And it backs up against an S. Right. But anyway. Well, Ron, I really appreciate the information and the call tonight. Thank you for calling. 
You're more than You've done good. I shall go and uh Patricia will give some ghost Patricia will put some ghost stars on your on your box. Your next box okay. you get you'll have some ghost stars on the box. I'll uh, I'll wish you okay. and, and uh hear hear you again soon. Thanks, Ron. All right. Thanks, Ron. Uh-huh. All right, family members, we know the phone works tonight because finally I put batteries in it. <laughs> Poor Ron is saying hello. 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 Oh, dear. Oh, dear. 714-545-2071. Patricia's running on two hours of sleep, so she's not responsible. <laughs> no, but change my batteries. Yeah, she's not responsible for anything that comes out tonight. So let's be, let's be aware of that. 714-545-2071. Oh, boy. Thanks, Wally. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I'm serious. I really appreciate that. I, I am I am relieved of responsibility for everything. That's right. Okay. Sort of. Caller, you, you're taking your risk. You're on with Patricia. Is Patricia and her diphthong? I know. She's amazing. <laughs> She's a diphthong kid. <laughs> Do you remember diphthongs? Oh, I remember diphthongs, yes. I mean, even a diphthong is a diphthong. That's right. What language, what language are you guys talking in? I don't have no clue. <laughs> We're talking in dip. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dan in Indiana, and I have a piece of information for you. Do you really? I really I really did my homework this week. I believe when you and I were talking about weather and storms last week, you wanted to know what invest meant. We were working on invest 99 that eventually turned into a hurricane, but it it, it was invest and I didn't know what it was and you didn't know what it was, but we're both going to know what it is because it means investigation. Oh, now that makes they sense. Are investi- so, they are investigating they, it. and mm-hmm. Basically, when they sent out a plane to investigate a cloud formation to see how uh, tornadic, I guess, for lack of mm-hmm. a term, it could be, yes. then they don't name it right off. They just give it that notation. Can I find that in the encyclopedia, tornadic? I, I didn't yes. know in, that. Invest is when it's... Um, an activity, a storm activity, but there's not enough wind to even call it a tropical depression. So it mm-hmm. it goes by wind velocity that progresses the storm upward. Mm-hmm. So you need wind velocity of a minimum, I think it's 35 miles an hour for a tropical. A tropical. Uh, I think you're right about that. Uh, I, I think, think 35 for tropical storm and then. 75 for a full-fledged hurricane. Yeah, I think 75. And, yeah, that's right. Category 4 or Category 1 is um, 74 miles an hour at at the lowest end, and it yeah. progresses from there. So it's the wind do, velocity do that determines. I, do I remember right that Always. there have been some hurricanes that got up like 200 miles per hour or something? There have been. I just Story read about five. one the other day. These are gusts that go. When when they measure hurricane velocity, it's a sustained wind. Right. It has to be there all the time. And then the gusts come in higher on top of that. And I was reading about one of the most catastrophic hurricanes just the other day in one of the history, 
emails that I get. Uh-huh. And the estimated gust velocity was 200 miles an hour. My God, planes didn't fly that fast when they first went out. Wow. You know, when Hurricane Ike came ashore in Texas, and I'm trying to remember exactly, this may have been in 2011. I could be wrong on that year. Uh, that The remains of Hurricane Ike came up into the Louisville area, and we had mm-hmm. sustained winds in the 70-mile-per-hour range for that day mm-hmm. wow. on a Sunday. It was peeling roofs. It was downing trees. It was... Yeah. I, 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 I and at, to my at 70 miles an hour, you weren't even into a tropical storm yet. Mm-hmm. I spoke or, to my uh, friend, Ms. Miller, and she, she was 90 at the time. She had never seen anything like that. I was trying to think of Katina in, in 206. What mm-hmm. those, those winds? I thought those winds were getting close into those types of... Would, uh, if it was the Category 5, category we're talking one? about... I'm trying... How uh, did they a one is the lowest. One is the lowest? Okay, so it had to be a... Mm-hmm. Whatever the highest is, a 5, I guess, right? 5, yeah, and that's 155 miles an hour minimum sustained winds. I mean, that, that's getting caught in a wind tunnel. So... It, it's pretty rough stuff. What well, did you have any? Uh, how, okay, here's a bit of trivia. I was watching the news. How many thousands of people do you think are without power just from this uh, Hermine on the East Coast? Hermione, um, yeah. and and that that ripped across and just hit poor Jacksonville again. I don't know. I wouldn't even take a guess on that. It was well, it was pretty I, powerful when yeah, it crossed and went I, across the state. It was category one when it crossed the state. So, uh, and I think isn't that the one going up the east coast? So I'm going to yeah. say seven hundred <clears throat> seven hundred fifty thousand. Okay, there are power outages associated with uh, the hurricane or the now tropical storm. I think it's down to about seventy miles per hour mm-hmm. with wind speed um, from Florida to Connecticut, and the, there are power outages from. From Florida to Texas, associated with that. Right. So, they say over two hundred and five thousand people are without power. I can believe that. Hmm? Connecticut. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said on the uh, on the Weather Channel here. Oh, yes. You know, we forget. Oh. Is this part of a power? I'm sorry for interrupting, Walden. Is this no. part of a power grid that we're talking about? Uh huh. For yeah. example, when when the in I don't know. The, 20 years ago, maybe, and also in the 1960s, there was a failure in major distribution, electrical plant-type distribution, and when one went down, it just kept going and going and going. So the entire East Coast lost power, but it was a problem up in Canada. Mm-hmm. I think Is that, that what we're talking about? I, 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 oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think that was in 1965 when that happened. I think New York was without power at that point. New York was without power, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Were yes. you in the middle of it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody was in the middle of it. It didn't make any difference if you were in diapers or, or, or uh, driving a car. Uh, you were in the middle uh, of it. My God. And do you know, and if you go back and look at the statistics, nine months after that catastrophe, a lot of babies were born. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why, you know, the entertainment 
country was was shortening everybody out there. But yeah, they they, um, they couldn't turn into the Beverly Hillbillies, I guess. Uh, I guess, I guess they had <laughs> nothing. And if I, and I've, right. I've read about stuff in New York City, people were actually stopping and helping each other. The only lights that were there were with their cars, and I was just blown away when I read this, that people stopped, helped each other across the street, helped each other downstairs because even the lights on stairwells were gone. It, you it remember such... that happened during 9-11, too. That's oh, right. I could I put this on Facebook, and I don't know, if people go to my Facebook book, you'll see this, but it's a wonderful story that broke about 9-11 today. Mm-hmm. Um, the, at the Pentagon building, they have a daycare center. Mm-hmm. And when the plane crashed in it, they had two daycare workers who had over 40 babies. Wow. And they needed to know how to evacuate, and they didn't have time to bundle or anything. So mm-hmm. a, a Marine came in and asked what could he do to help. And they explained the situation, and he disappeared for two minutes. So the two nursing people thought they were going to be on their own. But what showed up were 40 Marines. They all grabbed the the buggies or the uh, the, the these big heavy unit, and they all hiked three blocks down, put them in the park, took all the little baby, put them in a circle like they would do the cover. And then put the 40 babies around the babies, and then the 40 Marines stood around just to make sure the babies couldn't get away until the the mommy and daddy showed up. Wow, that's incredible. That's a good story. That's a good story. A chaplain was telling this story. So I put that on Facebook today because that's spreading around on on Facebook. So anybody you might want to see that copy, that's a wonderful story to think that, uh, that the Marines did that. For every little kid, kid watch out there. The Marines are ready for anything. Yep, they are. They are. For fact. The Marines, are, and we love them. We love our Marines. Well, when I heard the hurricane was heading toward Florida, I thought, oh, no, Patricia, was she, is she ready? Is she ready to evacuate? Is she ready to go to higher ground? Does she need a boat? <laughs> it's going to take an awful lot to get this kid out of <laughs> Out of her home. You know, the the one time that was really scary was, I don't know, it's a 2005 maybe. I don't know which one was coming in. It was probably Charlie, uh, the one that you hear Floridians talk about because it was such a tight eye that it was nothing but sheer power. It was narrow but power and just took out half of our county. Just, I mean, really leveled it, just took out half of our county. And it was, I guess, a Category 2. And we've got the big river that borders Fort Myers. And the speculation was that this thing was coming in, and, but it was going up the coast, and it, it would probably come in around Tampa. But we've got the river here. And with probably 25 minutes' notice, our weather person came on and said, I don't care what you're hearing. <laughs> this is what it's going to do. You've got 10 minutes to get out. It was a Category 4. It, in a matter of minutes, it went from a 2 to a Category 4, and it took a turn. Instead of going to Tampa, it came in as a direct hit here. 
and it, that was the only time I was ever scared about a storm. I was scared silly. So what did you actually do? What, what did you do with that 10 minutes? Did you make sure you knew where your flashlights were? Or what did you do with 10 minutes? That my flashlights work. that I'm on the second floor. I was going to lose a roof for right, sure, right. if not the entire building. So I put food and medication and anything that I thought I would need, I would put it in, I put it in the bathroom, okay. which would be the safest place. It's in the center. And I didn't realize somebody wrote one time that the bathroom is the safest place because it's got pipes in the walls. We always were told if if there's going to be an earthquake, go to the bathroom because it's supposed to be the steadiest part of a house. It is. It's the the sturdiest because you've got the plumbing pipes in there and it's holding the walls together. Hmm. So anyway, I I loaded up in the bathroom and I loaded up in in the closet. How long did the peak of that storm hit then? Would you in the bathroom then for an hour or two? No. Um, actually, uh-huh. that, was, that was the one where we heard it come and we knew it was here, but I also knew that we were not in, in a direct hit. The direct hit was up about 10 miles north of me. Okay. And I... You know, I went to the window and said, gee, you know, <laughs> everything is cool here. And I'm listening to the trees hit the, hit the building, you know, and just kind of scratch the roof and stuff. Well, it wasn't trees scratching the roof. The eaves were cracking. The building was moving. So all of the wooden beams were just kind of as the wind gusts came. It was rocking the building. That was a society. Well, I only okay, found now, that out later. You said the the weather person said, "Okay, it's coming. It's going from a category two to a category five. Uh, did you have power? Uh, Was this? Were you listening on the radio? No, we, had, no, we lost no. power in that one. Um, I lost, and I I was lucky. I got power back in a week, and huh. we lost water only for three days. So I was really lucky. There were people around here who had three weeks without power. So you were listening to radio. No, this this was before the storm hit. Um, she was the, watching TV. I, I had the, pardon? You had the TV on. I had the TV on, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we just, you know, hunkered down. And um, it was hot. <laughs> that was one day I wanted my air conditioning. Well, there was no fan or anything. So no, it, no. It, was kind of, it was kind of interesting. We, we had power out here twice within a year for about uh, for 12 days. We lost uh, power for Ouch. five days with uh, Hurricane, uh, with the remains of Ike, and then the next January we lost power for um, another uh, six days due to uh, an ice storm. So just wow. figure, you know. <laughs> you know, the really freaky thing about this was that the day after the storm, the buildings across the lake from me had lights. We didn't on this side of the lake, but they had their power back on within 24 hours. Do you think anybody would come over and knock on a door and say, we've got extra ice, would you like some? Hmm. Now, what? how big a lake? Oh. I mean, you know. Uh... Well, it's just a little. It's like you'd call it a puddle. They call it oh. a lake here. It's a retention pond, actually. Um, so it, 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 it's got a little footbridge across. Oh, okay. 
And they're on the other side, and I can wave to the neighbors. And not a single person that I know of went knocking on a neighbor's door. I mean, for me, it was fine. I, you know, I, it was uncomfortable, and I hated being here with, with only my kerosene lamps at night, but it was enough to read. And, uh, but I'd, I would watch, and we had elderly people in the building and people who had physical disabilities. Every building has one of them. Um, when I say one of them, I mean somebody who, who does not have the resources to deal with something like this. Nobody went. I was really disappointed in that. Huh. I mean, it was clear we didn't uh. have any lights over here. But um, that, that was disappointing. Yes, it was. You could wave your hand or other digits. Say that again, please. I said you could wave your hand or other digits at your neighbor. <laughs> oh, I missed that. I'm the one who gets to say anything I want tonight. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'm glad. So you you never had any effect from the uh, hurricane then in your location? No. No, it, it was good. at least 200 miles north of me. Well, that's good. Glad to hear it. Of course, it could. Those hurricanes can turn on a short, on a short notice. Which is precisely what happened with my closet. And I just had everything I owned, 50% in the closet and 50% in the bathroom. Yeah. Mm. Something else. Well, at least you know where to go. The bathroom or the closet? Uh-huh. Did you hear from Ron in Hawaii? We we, we well, through the email. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, we got some emails. Oh, that's good. I think it. I think the one in Hawaii uh, stayed to the north. Boy, I hope it was to the south. Well, there's supposed to be another one this weekend, so we just, Patricia and I decided <laughs> to wait a little while before we got yeah. out again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Well. Scary uh, stuff. And and you thought we were out of hurricane season, didn't you? I thought we were. Yeah, but it's October what? one, right? Huh? November thirtieth. Oh. November thirtieth. Yeah. Wait a minute. What this it... thing? What this thing supposed to be from June to October? September is the most active month. Okay. Summertime is the most active time, although we have had late storms in November. That's scary, I think there too. There was one in December a few years ago, too. I believe that. Yeah. It was very odd. They've come in March. They come any time they want. But the mm-hmm. conditions are ideal in September. And it's the temperature of the water that supports the storms. So it's had all summer to heat up. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about the uh, earthquake in Oklahoma? No. I need to get a television, don't I? Tell me, what happened? There, there, was, a her, uh, there was an earthquake about uh, 8 a.m. Uh, local time this morning, and uh, it, was, it matched the largest earthquake ever in Oklahoma. You know why? Why? <laughs> because they knew they were going to lose the football game today to Houston. That's why. They were quite great. <laughs> I was going to ask a scientific question like, was it in an area that they're fracking? And you go to football. 
I think well, yours was better than mine. I won a big upset today when Houston upset Oklahoma, so that's why. You're oh going to get walking. your you're going you're going to get your sports fill here. You know, you Walton can't help himself. I know, I know. and I, I don't even have a television. Oh well. Oh now, well. Now, what is the status of the television? Mm -hmm. I thought it was working. Well, my television is fine. It's the the equipment that sits on the top of your television that comes from the router, and it died. I thought it was my television. It's not. It's CenturyLink equipment. And now I will tell you later, <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I, I will let you know what kind of a response I got from CenturyLink. I love these people. Okay, tell me the most important thing you need to talk about before we go. What, what, what? What, what, what? I don't know. It's uh, or, or what day? What day did your family do something? When you were a kid, when did you do laundry or whatever? That they did something on every day of the week. <laughs> but you know, now okay, you you've heard the old saying, "Make hay while the sun shines." Well, uh -huh. you know that that that's right. That's, you were in farm country, yes. Exactly. So you know, if it if we had dry weather and we had to do something outside then that took precedence over everything else, including laundry and, you know, just whatever. Because mm -hmm. you can, you know, you have to do your outside work when you're when the weather allows it to happen. Yeah. So we did not have a designated day for for laundry or anything like that. I mean, you know. It, Sounds smart you know, to even, me. Exactly. When you were on the farm. Yes. Did you, did, what about... Eating time? Did you have set times that you eat, or was it just based upon the choice? I mean, could you count on having breakfast at six at noon and six, or did you guys eat earlier or later, based upon all the choice that you had to get done? A lot of times we'd have lunch as early as ten thirty, then you know get out. Uh huh. Uh, you know, if you were working in hay, you had to wait till the dew was off the mm -hmm. hay, and then you could go out, and then you could rake the hay and. You know, in the summer, mm -hmm. with the uh, humidity and everything around here, the dew would stay on till about 10.30, and then you could go out and then you could work in the field. Yeah. So, you know, we we would eat sometimes, you know, 10.30 for lunch, and then we'd go out, and then oh, maybe about 4, we'd take a break for supper. And then, you know, in, in the summer, you know, you'd have another five hours after, you know, if you had supper Four thirty, you'd still have daylight till nine thirty up here. Mm -hmm. So it was. Yeah. So would you eat at something at nine thirty or ten o'clock at night before you went to bed? Uh, sometimes you know we'd have a snack or something like that. Uh huh. Just would depend. I okay. I used to eat a lot of food on the farm, you know, because we would be out there burning calories. Sure. Crazy. Yeah. Work, 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 work. It's hard work. Yeah. It is hard work. You know. Okay, Dan, you are you are excused from school for now. <laughs> Have you done your exercises? Hello. Hello. <laughs> we have radio silence. Have you done your anybody exercises? Up? Did you send me an email? <laughs> I got three emails about my exercises. Just you did. Yes, and you weren't one of them. I was, too. Oh, yeah, you were number three. <laughs> I'm 
Okay. <laughs> All right, that, that's, that's the family goal for the week. Send Patricia an email at floridawriter at hotmail.com and see if she done her floor exercises. This and is, she said no, and she said no. She did not. Well, this is our the, goal. This is our goal for the week. We want yeah. Patricia to do her floor exercises three, three times this week. So That's right. Every, <laughs> every, oh, we can do three. Well, three <laughs> times this week. You know, maybe Monday, yeah. Wednesday, and Friday. So every, or something like that. So, family, this is your responsibility to send Patricia an email this week. How many times has she done her floor exercises? That's the question I want everybody to ask. So send it to floridawriter at hotmail.com. So by next Saturday night, Patricia will put report mm-hmm. in how many times she's done her four exercises. Right, well. At least we, we should at least double that number up to six, I'd hope. Yeah, well. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. Wait a minute. <laughs> Walden loves me. <laughs> well, okay, let's hey. negotiate. Uh, is, is three a good no, 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 no. <laughs> No? No. It's three, no. It's three reasonable? Sure. Okay. Was I too fast on the answer? No. You did good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so we'll negotiate six later, Dan. We'll go for three right now. Okay. So, yeah. hey, we'll, I, did, we'll I, did something, I did something today I'd never done before. Uh-huh. I actually listened to uh, the program on the on my phone app through uh, TuneIn. Oh, and were you impressed with the sound? Yeah, it was. It was very clear. Good. I was very impressed. So I, I, I was trying to, I knew you had said to use the TuneIn app. Right. And I had downloaded it, but then I couldn't find it. Then I found you had to go into like the nostalgia area and then page down, I don't know, probably three-fourths way down the list. And there it was. Yesterday, USA that's, Blue Channel. So that's a great way for people to check us out. It was. I was very impressed. Very good. So, that's good right. deal. So now I can listen to the program Wednesday while I'm driving into work. Hey. And and I hope we do not distract you. I I I, I told Larry yesterday. So funny to get Patricia people answer Patricia her. Trivia question: Ten days later, I see email that people said, "Oh, this is the answer." So I know they listened <laughs> to Wednesday, ten days later, to Patricia's question. <laughs> this is good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, Dan, you go and behave yourself. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Take care. Have a great week, you everybody. Too, Dan. Thank, thank you, Dan, and thank you for being concerned about me for in the storm. I really appreciate that. Well, we don't want our songbird to That's fly right. the coop here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> fly away, little birdie. Okay, thanks, Dan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That's right. The, 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 the bird of the south, the songbird of the Yesterday USA Radio Network, who chirps on Saturday night. You want to chirp? <laughs> she, that's her, that's, <laughs> she, she gave it two rings. That's pretty good. Oh, very good. I'm proud of you. Hello, Carl. You're on with the, so- the songbird. Well, good evening, people. Hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. This is Fred from Vermont. What uh, is your weather? Is it getting cold already? Yes, it's down to like 65. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to drop, drop fast. 
last couple of them. Wow. Hey, you'll be getting maple syrup here before you know it, right, Fred? Or, or we yeah, get... won't be long. Wow. Month, February. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm excited because this is my last Saturday to cast. Uh... <gasps> oh, hooray! Uh, and then that. what are they going to do with you? Are you going to get some physical therapy then? I would assume so. Um, I'm going to find out Wednesday from the doctor. I'm assuming he's going to order it, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. I haven't, haven't put any... I've done, leg, I've done like a... I got these leg exercises. I do like 50 a day. Mm-hmm. Not, they're not weight-bearing, so... There hasn't been a lot yeah. of weight on that foot in six months, so... I'm sure you keep your muscles from... Therapy, yeah. But... But, just to get out of this cast, I can't wait. I'm excited. That is set. now. Uh, how how many weeks? How many? How long have you been in it? Eighty six days. Well, and who counting, right? For a split, not a cat. Oh boy. Who who counting, oh, right, Fred? Who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? Count. <laughs> I'll tell you. But who's counting? Days, I've been counting since day one. He told me ninety days, and I took it literally. And you know, after about two weeks, you're in the cast. It's like you look at it. It's like. 14 days down, still got 76 to go, are you kidding me? So how did you keep track? Did you write the number on your cast? How did you actually keep <laughs> it's track? It's like, like a prison, you had X's on the wall. So you have it on your cast, okay. Seven days in a week, and I knew the day I broke it, I knew every, you know, so. It was, wow. uh, it was a Thursday, so every Thursday was a week. You know, I, I remember when, when a friend of ours broke her arm, she was a nurse, and people were autographing on her cast. I don't know if that's pretty common or not. That people it were... happened to me, the first cast, uh, a couple of people wrote on it at the nursing home, and that was it. There's one one wrote, uh, she's a great girl. She wrote, Fred, break a leg. Oh, you did, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> you know, it's hard to erase stuff. Nowadays, like, like, like when I had a cast, I just saw a picture a poor little me, maybe I'll put it on my Facebook page or something, when I was like 12, and I had this, I had a, I had a dislocated hip and I had surgery on it, and I had this cast, this was when they were made out of plaster, not fiberglass, Right. Mm-hmm. and it was the whole one leg and foot, it went up around my waist, I had like a bar in the middle between the legs, so they kept the legs separated, yep. and it went halfway yep. to, the, to the knee on the other leg. And yep. that was signed all over the place. People, because I, I wore it for like, so I had, a, I had it out for like six <laughs> You months. had a big canvas on that one. Yeah, it was huge. And it was, you know, it was, and of course, it was right in the middle of the summer. So you want to talk about itch. <gasps> oh, oh, no, really? Oh, poor kids. Only, but the only thing, I only wore it, well, I wore it for four or five months, six months, something like that, but... The first, I only wore it six weeks, and then they cut it off and strapped it. So, like, the nurses could take it off. I could take it off for therapy, or I could take it off to wash up. And Mm -hmm. and because when they cut it, it left a nice little crack down the side, so I could get a coat hanger in there and scratch. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you you both of you... I was getting in trouble. They're always taking coat hangers away from me. Now, what are... What are cast made out? Are they what's the hard part? Is that plastic or what? What is fiberglass now? Fiberglass now. What were they in the old days? Plaster. Plaster. 
Lobster Paris. Oh, were. so that's what made them so heavy. Oh, yeah, they were mm -hmm. heavy. Yeah, I can't remember what they were. And they, they were them. heavy. How, yeah, did, when they put it on, it, it was that so wet. Did, did it have different sizes of, of cast, or did they, was it well, wet they, they, and molded? They would, they would put, yeah, it was wet. Yeah. They would soak, and it oh. was in a long strip. Okay. And they would just take the strip and keep wrapping it around your arm or your sure leg. And, you know, it would progress upward. Okay. Yep. So how long would it take to dry, would it dry pretty quickly then at that? I don't remember how about the old ones. The new ones are incredibly they're 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 dry within minutes. Wow. Once they do it nowadays. I don't remember how long it took the old ones to dry. Um, the plaster ones. Yeah. Um, I remember uh when, I remember getting it cut off though, I, it was I enjoyed that. I still like well, these are the same way. And when they're cutting them off it kinda tickles. It vibrates the leg. <laughs> Vibrate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels kind of good. Well, would it take a while for the gunk? The, when you took a, your first bath or, or shower, did it take a, did it, would you have to scrub it off pretty good to get it all off, or would it come off? You know, I'm talking about the, oh, the cast. The cast comes off. It, it just comes right off um, because yeah. they start out with fabric, like a, almost a, a cotton batting. Okay. It's thin, yeah. but yeah. it protects the arm from contact or the, you know, the body part from contact with the, uh, the, the gook. <laughs> they still use that. They still have like a, like a cotton layer that, that they put the cast yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, but, no, you don't feel any paste or whatever on the, it doesn't go on the arm because of the, the cotton. No. Protection. No. Okay. No. Although no, I remember it doesn't with, with the plaster one, you felt it, even with the cotton, when they were putting it on. You felt the warmth anyway, because it was so hot. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Remember, I don't, it, I don't remember that with the new one, though. Yeah. The stuff has to be warm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the new ones are cool, because oh, yeah. you get all kinds of different colors, too. And the old ones <laughs> decay, they were white. You get day glow colors and orange and green. Yeah. yeah. My first one was orange. My second one was red, and now I got a blue one. You went for the colors? No kidding. Oh, I did, yes. Oh, you cute little kid, you. Oh, I loved the orange cast. That was really cool. Yeah. So how come when they, re when they, oh, when they replaced it, you got to scratch, huh? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. That's awful. Because, you know, the, yeah. the, the skin that you wash off when you're in the shower, all of that builds up. Right. And... You're just ready in layers to oh, scrub oh, it off. Yeah, you can feel it. And, and my aide will help me. Like, the nurses at the rehab unit used to put lotion on it and stuff. And I haven't had that since I've been home, so my skin's, like, dry and dead. It's just yeah. going to be really nasty when I get the cast off because I also got, like, dried blood that's, like, six months from blisters when I originally got, when I first got hurt. Yeah. Which formed and then popped, you know. Um, oh, gee. I've got all that i got to get off. It's going to be a mess, but I still can't. I can't wait. I can't wait. Is it's going to be is it, it, so now, good. For both, is it difficult sweeping when you first have a cast? Uh, it, was, it was hard to get used to, but after a while, it was, I mean, they're really light compared to what they used to be. Okay. Um, I looked at that thing that I was wearing when I was 12 years old, and I don't know how the hell I ever slept. I, I, you know, not only was were both legs in cast, but they were kept apart. They were like a bar yeah. between your legs, so your legs were like, yeah. 
it had to be incredibly uncomfortable. But I guess you just get, you know, whatever situation you're in, I guess, I guess you just get used to it. And you deal with it because you haven't got any choice, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, no, this one was pretty easy to sleep. Matter of fact, when I slept, I slept more on my back when I, I, I usually sleep on my side and I'm not doing it again. But after I got, when I first got hurt, I slept more on my back than I ever did. Because I used to have to raise the foot to keep swallowing down. Yeah, um, that's what was happening. It doesn't swell up so much anymore now. So I think it's pretty much healed. But like when I would get up during the day at the rehab and get in the chair, mm-hmm. if I was in the chair too long, that was the problem. Even with, my, even with the leg raised in the chair, it still wasn't above the heart. So the leg, the foot would swell. And it would get really tight inside the cast. Yeah. And I would go out. Oh, yeah. I'd raise my leg, and yeah, within a half hour, 45 minutes of raising my leg, the blood would go back, and it would, it would, it would go back down and be comfortable. But yeah, that, that was hard. That was kind of weird to get used to, because I hate laying in bed. So I'd want to get up and be out and at least doing something, and, but it would swell right up, and it would be really, really uncomfortable. But, but yeah, I'm excited. It's been a long time. You get to look at your feet. You get to see your feet for the first time in 90 days. That's pretty good. Oh well, no, that's not true. I've had fast change three times. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I got the first time though, I was really disappointed when I got the the brace off. That was that was even worse than the cast. I couldn't award that. That was even heavier because they, they because they wanted to protect it and they didn't have the the hard stuff of the cast. So they were really wrapped in layers. So it was, it was mm. even heavier than the cast. It was bulkier, you know. But when they took that off, it was like they they put the cast right, they put the new cast right back on. I mean, immediately before they even X-rayed the foot. Then they X-rayed the foot with the cast on. I've been looking so forward to getting that thing off and let my leg breathe. And they didn't even do it. They didn't let me breathe for five minutes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but passing times, though, I got a half hour of freedom. Yeah, that felt good. It was just a letter. I can't I, wait. Just I would like to take a piece of it home. Take a piece of it home, Fred. Patricia wants you to take a piece home. What's that? Take a piece of it home. When, when you yeah, when they've offered the first two times. I wanted to save it. I said no, but I might the last one. Oh, not the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> yuck. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also afraid. A friend of mine said that because he broke his leg one time um, doing just nothing, just walking. Mm-hmm. And he says, you'd be amazed how apprehensive you're going to be when you first start walking on it again because it's going to be... You weren't doing anything special. It's going to be in the back of your head. What if it happens again, you know? Well, you know, I, I, I've offered that we wrap Patricia up in bubble wrap, so maybe we can make that a, a, a franchise. We'll get you to be the second participant in the bubble wrap routine. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it would be breaking my ankle again. <laughs> oh, somebody told me, and I don't know how true this is. Uh-oh, got it on the Internet. And I don't know where I heard this. I just heard it the other day, too. Something about when you break your bones in a spot and they reheal, it's almost impossible to break them again in the same spot. 
the bone, I, I have read that in places, too, that when the bone heals, the spot where it's healing and it, it forms a union, obviously, and the bone regenerates itself in order to stick together, it's stronger than the bone around it. Yes. I've heard that, yes. But I mean, I don't know how true that is in my case because my bones are so thin to begin with. I don't know. But that's, that's kind of comforting if it's true. <laughs> well, don't they say everything in nature has some form of a weak spot in it? Like, you know, wood or whatever. So I guess even though you heal that place, maybe there'll be another part of your way that might be vulnerable. <laughs> who, who knows? Well, yeah, your whole body, I guess. That's true. I guess it kind of makes sense, too, because you figure if it's new bone, if you're growing new bone to heal, that bone is not suffered from years of calcium loss and everything else that your own bones have, right? It would be fresh yeah, bone. true. I was thinking, though, and, and gosh, you, you could relate to this, Fred. Um, think of Bill Walton, the famous basketball player. He had tremendous foot problems. I think he had strep fractures and everything on his feet, and that pretty much in shortened his career. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, certain parts of your body, when you start getting stress fractures, it's, it's a tough thing to, to negotiate with. You want to be careful. Well, yeah, you, you got a guy that big and all that weight around the feet. That's like, like my thing, you know, I was, I was underweight for a very long, long time. When I got sick, I was like 97 pounds, which was like dangerously underweight in 2013. So I've been putting on weight, but my doctor's telling me now you got to watch it because okay, yeah, now you're up, you're up over 120 pounds now. That's great, but you don't want to put on much more because you've got arthritis, and you don't want all that weight. You don't want your knees to be carrying too much weight because it's. It'll just yeah. the joints deteriorate that much faster. Sure. Um, then I gotta, so I got to, it's, it's a fine game. I can't be too skinny, but at the same time, they don't want me too big. Um, I mean, I think the normal weight for my height is like 140 pounds, but he doesn't want me going anywhere near that. Yeah. So, and I imagine the same thing with Walton. You know, if you don't have, I mean, he was a big guy. That's a lot of weight to put on those. Po- and then to put, and then when you're playing a game like basketball, you're not just putting weight on those feet; you're, you're pounding them. They're yeah, he's six ten, mm-hmm. seven, seven foot. Yeah. And for all those years, he has stress fracture, always with feet issues, and I can see why. Oh, that those little bones down there trying to hold up that kind mm-hmm. of weight. Exactly. They're pretty easy to do. And you're pounding on them in basketball. I mean, you're going up in the air, coming down, landing on them, and. I had a couple of stress fractures in my right foot a bunch of years ago. I was moving, and I was squatting down to pack up my books because, you know, a lot of them were on the lower shelves. And and I was actually squatting on the tips of, on, on the balls of my feet, you know, the, the way... You go down, right. and I was there in a long enough position that I actually fractured some bones. Ow! Did you hear the bone crack, or how did you know? No, no. The, the and the stress fractures are are insidious. They're it, it's not like uh, crack the bone like Fred did with his ankle. Right. They they just kind of 
it's like a green stick when when you try to break it and it's got all of these little pieces. So, so it's I not know. a clean break. And so, you need to, <laughs> it's really wild, because I went to the foot doctor and said, you got to do something, I've got so much pain there. And he took some x-rays, he said, well, everything looks fine. He said, come back wow. in a week and let me check it. And he took another x-ray, he said, oh my gosh, look what you've got. <laughs> and apparently, they're difficult to pick up early on. Because, I, I uh, never knew that. Are they like little hairline fractures or they can be very small? And they could, they the doctor they're could small, miss them. Yeah. They, yeah. They don't show up like a broken leg would. Um, but you know, he was either feeding me a bunch of baloney or they really are difficult to see on first pass. Well, I, I can see you've got to fix my foot. There's something wrong with it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> it hurts when I do this. Well, I'll do that, the old joke, right? I know for my dad, my dad played at the University of Nebraska, and he said one of the worst injuries were bruised ribs for him. He said oh, be, you'd be better off having broken bones than You are absolutely right. And every time you take a breath. Yeah. And, and I understand when some people even have broken ribs, there's just not much you can do. You can just There's wrap. nothing you can do for them. That's, no. well, the only thing you can do for broken ribs is to wrap yourself tight mm -hmm. and let them heal. So that when, when you breathe, you're not expanding and contracting as much as you would normally yeah. do. Because each yeah. breath that you take, you fill up your lungs and you stretch your rib cage. Oh, you don't want to cough, boy. Oh. So are there, are there parts of the body where they would not bother to put them in a cast like ribs? Would there be... Toe's another one. You break your toe, it's just painful. There's nothing they can do for it. Nothing they can do. Nothing. You, you, you let it heal. Um, your big they, toe is something different. I had a different. broken rib. I had a cracked rib, not a broken rib. And that was, that was just, that hurt as bad. I can't imagine if it was broken, if it would if it hurt worse, I, I don't want to ever experience it. Because when I had the cracked rib, that was when, again, that was when I got in trouble three years ago. When they performed CPR on me, I'm so skinny they broke my rib. I remember that. You poor yeah. guy. Oh, gosh. You really oh, went through the mill on that one. You, you know, when I take CPR, and for people who know, when you take CPR training, the one thing they tell you, if you break the rib, keep pumping. They don't care. Yeah. They, they, well, they, yeah, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was fine. It was either that or die. I right. Never, I never broke a rib. You get over that. Death's kind of hard to get over. <laughs> you know, so... So yeah, it, so yeah it, it was not fun though, especially, you know, uh, when they would lower me, and, and my, my, the saving grace was for the first week I couldn't cough because I was on the ventilator. Um, but it still hurt, especially when they turned yeah. me. It hurt like hell. Uh, but then after, you know, you, you don't even want to cough. You know, you, you try to hold coughs in, and that's not good. <laughs> oh, but I understand why. Uh, yeah, every time he did it, it felt like somebody's driving mm -hmm. a knife in your side. And that was just cracked. Yeah. That wasn't broke. But, you know, I can't imagine the pain with a broken rib. Uh, maybe it's not any worse. Maybe it's the same. I don't know. So, were you still in pain after two weeks, three weeks, Fred? How long did it, did when you're not feeling pain with a cracked rib? you have any oh, idea? I was in pain for... A, a while, yeah. Uh -huh. It took like six weeks to go away. Ow. 
It really hurt. Even I didn't have that. Wow. Yeah, it hurt for a long time. Ooh, owie. And it, it lessened, you know, as, it, as time went on, but it, it, I could still feel it that far out. Um, you poor guy. I mean, I was home. All right, I, yeah, I, was, I, I was have a question home. for you. Yeah, go ahead. I was home, but it still hurt. You know, when I, when I got out of the hospital, out of rehab, because I went in on December 7th because of my bowels, mm-hmm. and I got out of rehab New Year's Eve, and it still hurt for like a good two weeks after I got home. Um, Patricia has a question. Go ahead, Patricia. I want to know something really happy that happened to you this week. Really happy. Oh, yeah. Because you poor guy, we just we just keep going through the list here. Well, I had cardiac resuscitation. I had, <laughs> I've got a broken ankle. My cast is not coming off and for another week. Okay, tell me something happy. That is real easy. I had a birthday. Friday. Happy birthday. And my brother, there's two things happened on my birthday. My brother put a post up that almost had me bawling. Had me bawling, actually. Aww. Yeah, he he was really sweet. He was talking about how I was his inspiration to be a better person and how he couldn't ask for a better younger brother. And it was just really, really cool. But he I was a great godfather and uncle to his kids, and just, it was really nice. Oh, and that was that really cool. is happy. Yes, and then I sponsor this young lady through the Christian Children's Fund uh-huh. for like 18 years, something like that. Last year, I've got another young girl now, because last year she reached the limit. She was 21. Okay. Ah. She was off the program kind of thing. But we became Facebook uh-huh. friends. Uh-huh. Um, and she put a message on Facebook about my birthday. She called me her second father, which I thought was really cool. Oh, cool. gee. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. Those are really nice things. Yes, they were. They were oh, nice. I'm so glad they happened to you. Well, thank you. And you had a happy birthday. It's always a celebration. Always a celebration. I made it another year. Yes. I got a call from a friend from college. I hadn't talked to her in four or five years. We talked for like an hour and a half on the phone. She called me up to wish me happy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that was cool. So it was a good good birthday. Considering that I was laying in bed not doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) Today, though, today was really hard because it was a beautiful day. And there was college football games in the area. There was high school football games in the area. I would have, if if I'd been healthy today, I would have gone to watch a football game somewhere. I'd have been outside, you know. Well, you'll be doing that really soon, though, Fred. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I just watched Notre Dame. Uh, not Notre Dame. I just watched my Red Sox. So beat up on one of your California teams. Uh oh. Well, you know, Notre Dame plays tomorrow at seven thirty well, Eastern. Seven thirty. Yep. S words, S words, S words. <laughs> Do you? Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Full of S words. You, you know, I know you don't like S words. No forgiveness. What do you think about the uh, that boxing deal in the Olympics? Wasn't that pretty wild? That's pretty amazing. What? Pretty amazing. Well, there was this Irish dude that got he he beat he beat this Russian in a fight in the semifinal. I mean, he beat him. Mm-hmm. He really did. I watched the fight, 
and the Russian got the decision. And the Irishman basically, you think I swear on the air? <laughs> this guy went crazy. You, you don't mess with the Irish. <laughs> well, I'm Irish too. You just don't. <laughs> uh, so basically, he go, he went crazy, and then he appealed the decision. And he won. And they fired the judges that were ringside for the fight. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah they, oh, uh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, we just started a, the Cold War again. It's unbelievable. There has been... Amateur boxing is horrible. It's so corrupt. Well, I don't know if Patricia saw this story during the Olympics. And I forget, Fred, maybe you can help me what country. What, was it Brazil? The wrestling. They, they, they didn't... The, uh, they had a big wrestling match, Patricia, and the the coach of the wrestler who lost was so upset. Hey, Ralph, I don't remember the, the details. He, he was so upset it. that he took his clothes off. That was a protest, Patricia. Yep. <laughs> well, now we really have a professional thing going here, don't we? You have got to be kidding no, me. He took How could I have missed something bad, like yeah. that? Shame on me. That's probably on YouTube. Did you get to see everything? I don't know. You can probably look on YouTube about it. But but the the coach of the losing referee was so up, he took his clothes off to protest. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, okay. quite a deal. I do you remember that. You cannot top that. Uh, I don't bad. think. Pretty sad state of affairs, actually. <laughs> and, it was, and the thing is, the, the wrestler was fine with it. Well, not fine with it, but he was sportsman-like about everything. It was a coach. It was a coach. Yeah. Great. Really fun to hear. Gee whiz. Gee whiz. Well, Fred, you are going to have another celebration this week. You will call us next Saturday and tell us how it feels. And we can't give you a coat hanger, but we'll we'll do it long distance. (laughs) Oh, I, I got me a back scratcher. Oh, back scratcher. What oh, a yeah. big one. One of the back scratchers. Yeah. In fact, I got one that, and I'll tell you this real quickly, uh-huh. if other people have a chance to call here. Yeah. Uh, I had two of them, wooden ones. They're identical. And when I, I got one now, though, that from back in my days of smoking, one night I almost killed myself. I <laughs> basically fell asleep with a cigarette in my mouth. <gasps> And it went into a hole into my mattress, and it was burning in my mattress, and I couldn't get at it because it was down in my mattress. So I oh took my. Back yeah, it was bad. It was a bad thing. I took this back scratcher and put it into the mattress and stuffed the cigarette out with a back scratcher. Well, to make a long story short, what it did was it it burnt two of the little fingers and made them really sharp. <laughs> it did really good. <laughs> because you're ours, you're part of the family, but my gosh, you know, we'll, we'll just sit here and shake our heads. Well, no, that's just, a good, that's just making a bad, a good thing out of a bad situation. That's right. I think, a, I, yeah, right. A bad situation that should not have happened. He's made, he right. made lemonade out of women, Patricia. That's what Fred's doing. 
I don't smoke. Oh, well, I can't. I can't imagine a mattress fire being lemonade, but we'll we'll go with that. Well, we'll to answer that. your question before I hang up about when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. I don't remember what happened yesterday. Let alone what happened. <laughs> Join the family. I remember, there probably was days, and I don't remember what they were, mm-hmm. but I do remember until the Pope told us different. This is thousands of other people too. We always had fish on Friday. Do you remember that? Fish, yes, Friday was fish day. Okay, now, because your family ran a bakery, what about your meal schedule? Were they, were they weird? Oh, because... it was all over the place. I, I can remember. It would depend on whether we had babysitters or not. Uh-huh. Um, you know, many, many, many nights we would go to this. There was this little takeout place um, that was up on Route 7. And, you know, Mom would get out of work at 6, 7 o'clock at night, so he was not into going home to cook supper. Yeah. But we would go to the takeout place, and we would get something. That happened many times. Um, but usually, I mean, if she was home or after we sold the bakery, right. I was still fairly young. I was, I was probably, I think when we finally got rid of it, I was probably 10 or 11 the second time. Um, after that, it was pretty regular. You know, we'd eat around five or six every night. Okay. Um, and I miss my mom's cooking. Oh. Yeah. It was a heck of a cook. What I do miss about the bakery, though, I, I was not a big fan of the bakery. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I understood. Dad loved it. We made, we made good money for the family and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, as an eight-year-old kid, you don't want to go to a bakery on a Saturday and sit there for eight hours while your parents worked. It was pretty boring, <laughs> you know. Um, but or or you know, I hated babysitters too. I just, I just, yeah. just but anyway, um, what I do remember though is the pastries. We always had pastries in the house. You know, what Dad would do is, and he was very, very, he was very religious about it. He would go in when he, when he wasn't when he, when he was working when he wasn't drinking because he had a he had a drinking problem too. But when he was sober and on top of things, he would be up. He'd be at the bakery every morning at three o'clock, and he would bake. And he and every morning, you know, you come into that bakery every day. Those those there'd be one set of three showcases that were stock full, and everything in those cases was fresh, made in the last twenty four hours. Wow. And then anything that didn't sell, breads, eclairs, stuff like that. He, we had a smaller case that was day old, and he would and he would he'd cut the price in half, and he put it in the day old case. Mm-hmm. And if anything didn't sell out of that case by the end of the day, we took it home or we gave it to the food shelf. Nice. There was nothing that, you know, nothing was two three days old when you went in there. And at least it was nice. I mean, it wasn't wasted maybe either. Cake or something, but yeah. yeah. But as far as like bread and pastries and all that, they were all fresh. Wow. And full. Um, and God, God, were they good? He was. He was one heck of a baker. He. Oh man, but he's he was old school. And I, I probably told you this. I'll never forget. One time, after, he did everything with his hands. Yeah. And I'll never forget. And I'll never forget one time after after Bob died. He. And I'm living with him here, and he would do the supper. And I walked in one night on him doing my supper, and he's dishing my cottage cheese out, 
He's putting his hand in the cottage cheese and putting it up a plate. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess. I never ate cottage cheese in those years. There are some things we're better off not knowing. Yeah, exactly. I wish I had known it. That's <laughs> funny. So, so a great okay. Guy. He's a hell of a baker. Wow. But I'll let you guys go. Thank you, Fred. We'll talk next week. Okay. Have a nice night, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And he will be cast free. Yes. That'll be so nice for him to experience. My gosh. Scratch, scratch, My gosh. scratch, you scratch. Know, when, yeah. when, when I went to the new doctor, you know, the kidney doctor, uh-huh. I knew that he paid attention to things because he looked at my chart and he said, you quit smoking on January 23rd, 2003. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> I made them put that in my chart. Ah. <laughs> the appointment I had, I said, I want it there. It's good for you. You quit smoking. I said, no, I want it there. <laughs> and so I said, and I want it January 23rd, 2003, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they wrote it down, and he read it. Now, that's somebody who pays attention. That's great stuff. Hello, yeah. Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited I got on. Oh, my goodness. Woo-hoo, what can I You're sounding wonderful, Patricia. I'm so glad you're doing better. Oh, thank you, and thank you for the good thoughts. It's good to hear from you, too. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a rough year for a lot of people, including my own family. I've got really? Some- what happened? Oh, my brother, uh, he was hospitalized twice with some severe infections, and... He's oh boy. on dialysis right now. He's been on dialysis for several years. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, we could lose him any time, but um, he's still hanging in there. He's, he's feisty. And uh, my mom, uh, she, she took a bad turn. We're not exactly sure what went on. She had some kind of infection going, and she was hospitalized three times. Wow. And then she had a mini stroke, but she's still fighting too. Yeah. So it's just amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my, you you've got a family of fighters there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, really, and and you are too. I can just hear it in your voice. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why I'm still I'm still one of the healthier ones in the family. <laughs> and well, uh, you take care of yourself. I know you do that. I was really happy to hear the good news about Jim. It sounds encouraging. Yeah. Encouraging. That's a great word. That's that's the one I was hoping somebody would help me with. Yes, that's the word. I'm hoping that means he he's off the vent. Usually that's when they take you out of intensive care. Yeah. I, I think Ron said he was not yet off the ventilator. Okay. We'll just keep the fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that's encouraging news, very. Would a ventilator be a, a tracheotomy, Patricia? What would be a typical? Well, a tracheotomy is from the outside. They actually put a hole in your throat. Right. And that's for long-term or permanent use. Okay. Otherwise, it's, yeah. it's a tube it's a through the mouth that they put into um, the. <laughs> would, it, would it go to your nose or would it go inside your, your mouth? N- no, it, it would go through your throat into your airway. Holy cow. So I can see an irritation problem happening in some cases in the, in the old days. Uh, if, it, if it's long-term, yeah. Yeah, so. it, it can, especially when 
if they have to do the suctioning. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's tough. And in that case, they would probably want to do that for Jim, right? Because they were trying to take all the gunk, whatever, out of his lungs. Yeah, it, it and might. He, he would have a lot of mucus trying to, his body will try to eject all of the junk that he breathed in. So, yeah, yeah. it would be. But, but it's so good to know that he has made enough progress that they can move him out of ICU. I know that they, they move patients out of ICU very quickly, but you have got to have reached a particular level before they do that. So that means he really is making progress. So, okay, now help me with this, Patricia. I'm assuming the different states of care, mm-hmm. critical is one. What, what, uh, is there a ladder? Or how, what would be from low to high? Usually, uh, I let's see, I don't know exactly from low to high. I'm thinking... You, you would have good... Fair, serious, critical, yeah. Good, fair, serious, critical, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then di- different degrees of critical, is that, am I hearing that right? Like stable? Well, you stay critical, but you can be stable or unstable. Your blood pressure can be all over the place, for example, and you would not be considered stable okay. under those circumstances. Um, but critical is critical. Yeah. But when they say stable but critical, what did that really mean? Did that mean the blood they pressure? I mean critical and stable. And, and as I was explaining, you, your blood pressure has to be stable. Okay. You know, within a, a reasonable limit. It can't be super high and super low. It can't be spiking and, and going so low. Right. Because um, you can be in... Your oxygen level... But stable. Has to, ...has to be in a safe zone. Okay. So as long as those things are happening and they stay happening, then you can be considered in stable condition. You're still critical, but there's an element of stability there. Would you have the same definition for, the, like, fair, good, and whatever? Would they look look at the same thing, or not really? You don't hear about them saying, well, he's stable and fair. You always hear stable and critical. You never hear them, when you go down to the lower level, use any adjective. By that time, yeah. you're usually serious. stable. Serious, <laughs> but stable. Yeah, you would have yeah. serious, but if you're in good condition, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. <Sure. laughs> you, you had better be stable if they've got your markets in good condition. <laughs> so, so what have you been up to? Oh, not too much. Just uh, I started back to uh, work. We started our first two weeks of work. Um, oh. Uh, the college, you know, classes started. Yes. Are you are you still in reentry? Uh, no. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. W- by week three, we we should be settling down. Uh, weeks one and two, the students are pretty frantic and they're not sure mm. the end is up. So we yeah. uh, have to help them figure that out. <laughs> don't, so, don't you love the word "should"? Well, we should be doing that, <laughs> or they should be okay. Well, we love that word. That's our job. That's what we do. We, oh, I know. I'm, I'm just joshing you because we use the word should, and it's kind of scary. We should <laughs> all over ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, gosh. So, yeah, so what's the major thing you worry about for the first two weeks of, of school? Just getting adjusted to the, the length of the day, or what? what the... Uh, uh, what for, for I, you? myself... Mm-hmm. Am mostly concerned with is making sure that the students get the materials they need 
on time mm. remember that they they figure out what they need and and I kind of help them navigate the system so they can get what they need mhm and uh and after that just just kind of helping them get settled in class and kind of help them set up their you know schedule to and kind of get established and so they know how to budget their time and and what we're able to help them with and what what else is available you know that you know because we don't teach everything we just kind of help them with basics and then for more specialized stuff we send them either to the math center or the english center and and we all work together to kind of mm-hmm. help them succeed do most freshmen uh, is it a cultural shock for them to try to get adjusted to a totally different structure? I mean, no, does it take more than two weeks? Does it take a uh, whole semester for them to... Yes. Yes, especially the ones that have been out of school for decades. Uh-huh. It's a little scary, so it, it, takes them a, yeah, it takes them a few more weeks. And those are the ones that we give a little extra attention to and kind of help them get used to the system because it's the system has really we've added many more layers of red tape ah <laughs> uh, yes since we were in college okay <laughs> there's a lot more hoops to jump through and a few less resources actually we added we just added a little bit more finally after the budget cuts we're kind of recovering from those so we've actually mm. established a little bit of stuff so that's kind of good yeah. news but yeah, there's a lot of lot of hoop jumping. Shanti, what is a typical day for you? Um, if there is such a thing. A, a typical day? Yeah, I'm usually yeah up at. So I'm an early riser. My puppy and I are up at five in the morning. We do our meditation <laughs> work and stuff. <laughs> get the day started right, and then we walk to work. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I usually open the lab which, where we have our classes i get everything all mm-hmm. all the computers up and running and and then we open up at eight and i let all the students in and get them started and then i spend the rest of the day taking calls and making calls and sending emails and just touching base with students making sure they're getting what they need yeah what the weirdest what the weirdest question i've ever <laughs> asked of you from a student <laughs> oh, hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Many, many. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. We get some interesting ones. Let's uh-huh. see. Um, gosh, I can't think of a weird question. Uh, oh, here's one that's kind of funny. Okay. It's, I don't know about weird, but it's kind of funny because we, I have a coworker that's a little bit strange. And <laughs> love those people. She, every morning she walks in with a bag of breakfast, a bag of groceries, and starts. She sits down. The first thing she does is sit down and eat, eat breakfast at her desk, in full view of the students. And then, oh. <laughs> she, if she sees a student eating at their desk, she goes up and yells at him. You're not food in here. Here's the weird question. The students go. If she gets to eat in the in the lab, why don't we get to eat in the lab? 
what kind of lab are we talking about here? Is this someplace I might not want to eat my lunch? It is a, <laughs> it's a computer lab. So oh, okay. We, it doesn't have we, bugs or anything in it. Yeah, we try to discourage food and drink, and I say, okay, guys, I know you guys are you're, you're full-time students, and sometimes you just don't have time to go out and grab lunch, and especially the ones, you know, that, that – are diabetic and want to, they need to keep that sugar level. Mm-hmm. If you need to have a snack, by all means, please step out the door, have a snack, or come out here in the lobby where I am. Yeah. Have your have your muffin, or have whatever it is that you eat. Drink your drink, and then you can go back in. No big and deal. Keep the crumbs off the keyboard. No big deal. Yeah, just just keep it away from the keyboard. But you know this this woman. The minute she sees you, she's just like, you're not supposed to be eating. What are you doing? You know, it's just like she just goes off. Good grief. (laughs) Well, she's eating burrito. (laughs) So, yes, that that can be confusing. (laughs) Just the kind of person you want to lead a group. Yeah. (laughs) That is weird. I think weird fits. Okay. I was just thinking, I know in the old days, <clears throat> 30 years ago, when computer labs started to be in vogue on college campuses, mm-hmm. it was not uncommon that students would wait in line to get in, even at 2 and 3 in the morning, get to try <gasps> to get in to use a computer out here like or at UCI or something like that. Wow. You know, in those days when there wasn't that many computers and you had a lab, that's how they structured those things. So it was really fairly common. So What year was that, Walden? 86, 85. Okay, that makes sense. You know? That makes sense. I didn't even have a computer until 90... Well, 1990. I actually bought the computer, but I didn't have anything to put on it. <laughs> I actually have to go out and buy a, a funny. But you could say you had one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. My little Mac Plus sitting quietly in the corner for a year <laughs> till I can afford a hard drive. Really? Uh, oh, I had yeah. one of those little Mac Classics. Yeah, I loved my little Mac Plus. I have to tell you, it's been about six months. I finally tossed it. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Wow. It would, and it would actually boot. Oh, wow. From 1990. Wow. I, I should be ashamed of myself, shouldn't I? No. You should be proud of yourself. You actually kept it all these years. That's a long I did. I keep a little computer. I did. I always pass mine on, you know. I grow out it's hard to pass on a 48-year-old computer. <laughs> <laughs> when, when it grows, it's, a, oh, my frog is gone. I had a froggy out there. You know, in the 80s, it was not uncommon because it was so new in the computer field that you all were constantly learning software. Because mm-hmm. something would come up new, some some totally... So, I remember Mom seemed like she learned seven, eight different programs before, like, 1993 until it was somewhat all stabilized, and we had WordPerfect and 
and Word and Excel were sort of the main mm-hmm. main thing. But before then, it was, a, it was an upheaval in trying to figure out what to. Uh, I don't know if that was the same way with Mac. I don't. I don't know. You two could probably help me with that. But at least in the PC side, it was a constant struggle trying to keep up what with what yeah. with the Vogue. PCs have always been more difficult than Macs to operate. Uh-huh. Always. And Macs seem to be, well, they're, they're more self-contained, and uh, mm-hmm. they were always, you know, they always had certain things, like that for a long time MS Word was made for Mac. Way, very early on, I think I even had MS yes. for Mac. Um Shanti, are you expected to keep up with the current software? How do you do training? Do uh, you know? How do they? Uh, are you? Uh, that you don't have to worry about that per se. Right uh, now. We we do need to keep up with the latest Office. Okay. Um, and we do need to keep up with some of the latest like adaptive stuff that we teach. Um, but we're still we're not up to Windows 10 yet. We we want to wait till they get most of the bugs out, and then we'll the the school the whole college will go together <laughs> to Windows. Yeah, together. Okay. But yeah, we barely started using Windows 8 last year. <laughs> Do you have any Macs in your lab? We have one, but it's so old. We're actually having to purchase something to get it updated, and. Every once in a while, our, my coworker will turn it on, and it'll start announcing the time on the hour. <laughs> That's about all we can do right now. You've got Big Ben on a desk. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> oh, gosh. That For a while, cute. it was kind of fun to play with, you know, just get on there and surf around. And sure. Sure. They always had good games, too, for Max. Well, that's what I remember when I first went into my buddy Jeff, who called in the that's what he had with a Mac in the early 80s. That's all I noticed. He, all he did was play games on it. It just seemed to be... <laughs> okay, that what you having a computer for. Okay, that's what... <laughs> the graphics are really good on Mac. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's kind of what I did for a long time, too, is I would just play a lot of games because um, by the time I got enough money to, to run my Mac, uh-huh. I wasn't in school anymore. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I said, oh, well, forget it. I'll just use it to play games, and I... You know, I would use it to write letters, or <laughs> of course, even on. I didn't even have of internet course. yet. <laughs> that's that's how come none of us can write anymore. <laughs> were you were you with us when I told Walden and our gang about the person I encountered in either a library or someplace with the archives that I was going through, and I asked him if he would please sign off because I was bringing back the material that I had been working. He said, "I can't do that." And I said, but the librarian said it was okay. He said, no, you don't understand. I cannot do that. He couldn't write. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they, had, they had been brought up and taught every possible electronic piece of equipment or piece of electronic equipment and never learned how to write cursive. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I mean, it, it just, I, I, I was dumbstruck. And I don't run out of words very often, but I was dumbstruck. This was an old, this is how old this cartoon was. It was years ago, at least 10 or 15 years ago, where, and my mom read it. She she saw this little, you know, the little comics 
and uh, the kid comes home and the mom says, "How was school?" And he says, "Oh, it was terrible. All the the elect the power went off and we couldn't use the computers and we all had to write." <laughs> <laughs> but at least they could. <laughs> yes, at least they could back then. And I'm thinking, at least very, they could. This is not uh, good. I, I was stunned. I was stunned. So I, was go- I was going to ask you if you had any students coming in who had challenges like that, who couldn't write or could not do things that we just take for granted. Most of them are still able to write. They, I haven't run into that yet, but the, you know, uh, as the younger ones start coming in, mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting to see. But uh, I would have made a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Patricia, out here in there are co- complete school districts that buy every single student a, a laptop or some mobile device. Wow. And, yes. and I think it's like, I think it's on the elementary level or something like that. And I, I remember when we were growing up, it used to be somewhat rural that they didn't, teachers didn't want kids to have a calculator in classroom because they, they wanted to teach them the, the basic skills of doing things like mm-hmm. that. But it's just, uh, you know. Now they've all got tablets. Right. And it's yeah, that's I've I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, but it's what different. we have we have been seeing are people who don't know how to write a sentence. Ah, okay, there we go. They don't know how to compose a paragraph. Mhm. Well I heard somebody was discussing this on Sport Talk Radio last week and it makes sense. Because the younger generation live, they have grown up with texting. Yes. And let's face it, that's just a trying to say everything in, what, 140 characters? 140 yes. characters and all of the shortcuts we take. Right. So yes. the, 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 this was a graduate from Northwestern as a journalism major. He's concerned that that younger generation, the writing skills are not going to be the same once they get They're in. already not the same. Right, they're not. They, they can't not spell. They can't construct sentences. They they speak in or they write in words without punctuation. There is no punctuation in texting. It's it's scary. It is. It's really scary. And the face to face communication is even affected. That's right. Because you know, I was just in a, a restaurant the other yesterday morning, and somebody, a couple, had their little baby watching videos. The baby was like a few months old, and I'm thinking, you've already got this poor kid being babysat by the cell phone, and you're sitting here right with him? Mm -hmm. I was so encouraged when he started grabbing my scarf. I thought, oh, good, he's still here with us. Good. (laughs) He's at least got some tactile interest. (laughs) Yeah. Good. He's still with us. He still knows somebody else is in the world with him. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You know, this is, I did not know that Kurt Vonnegut, wrote science fiction and he was good at science fiction this sounds like something out of a kurt monaghan piece of work yeah it's a little bit ray bradbury too with the smart houses yes oh my goodness yes now we're starting to have smart smart rooms and smart things like that got smart everything you know when when you can be a thousand miles away and turn your lights on you know and that's, what, right and, that's what, and, I, and that's what my buddy Don Mitchell does, our computer guy. He, yesterday, he, he controls a lot of things 
to his lap to his laptop so to his uh, tablet oh, sure. when he's not home. <coughs> mm-hmm. Turn the lights off. Turn them on. Turn on turn the them on, alarm sure. system. Turn them off. You know, he's got mm-hmm. everything remote control. Yeah. Well, okay. People can do it from airplanes now. Which one of you wants? And they could control? for quite a while. What are you doing over there? Well, we're only at 35,000 feet, so punch, 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 punch. I just turned on the television to discourage burglars. Okay. If you say so. Yeah. I just want to sit in the corner with my yellow pad and pencils, you know? Uh, All my good stuff got taken away. All right, Shonda, you had something before we stepped on you there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, which one of you guys wants one of those uh, one of those smart stoves that cooks for you? Hmm. I don't even use the stove. <laughs> Program the menu, and, and you've got all your meals. Ah, okay, Shanti, there's a good question. Okay, well, I, yeah. I have a Patricia, I have a tri- a, a Patricia trivia question know. for you. Yeah. Uh-oh. What does Patricia do with her oven? You store. And, we've, and I have said That's this out right. loud a sufficient number of times. That's right. She, what did she? What does she store in her oven? Your dishes. <laughs> that would make more sense than what I use it for. Oh, well, let me guess. You put books in there. <laughs> You're pretty close. I keep all of my warranties, any manufacturing information, uh, my manuals, everything like that is in the oven. Oh, so I know where it is. It's a filing cabinet. <laughs> exactly. But it's only got, it has my iron <laughs> in there and one pan that I love and all of my books. I, at least once a year I go through them, and if I have disposed of anything or the warranties are finished, I'll make sure that that goes out so it doesn't get overstuffed. But that's what I have in my oven, all my warranties and manuals and stuff like that there. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I better not go over there and bake cookies then. <laughs> oh, no. You you may not do that. No. I, I think you know, the only time I turn the oven on, and I'm not even doing that this year, I've gone on strike, is when I cook a turkey for Thanksgiving. I have to take all of my warranty papers out, and then when the oven is cool, then I can put them all back. But you got to empty out I am the now, I, I'm now <laughs> Say that again? you got to empty out that filing cabinet. <laughs> I know, I know, but I mean, it's not that bad. How much can you fit in an oven? But I am now of the mindset that if I cannot do it in the toaster oven or the microwave, it does not get done. There you go. Well, that's, you go. that's why we got to rely on your cousin to invite you over for Thanksgiving dinner, right? That's sort of how, or the day after. I like the day after. Yeah, I that's know. Good. I know, you generally like... For the holidays, you're the homebody, so, but the day after, that wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Because no, we, I, I, cook my, I cook my turkey. Because we, we, know Patricia, we know Patricia's one of the big advocates of Black Friday shopping, right? <laughs> oh, right. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I went to the eye doctor one time. It was good grief. I guess it was Black Friday. It must have been a Friday appointment. And I looked at the receptionist, and I said, are you okay? She said, oh, I was up all night. Were you uh, were you sick? She said, "No, I went to the mall for Black Friday." Okay. You have. I always thought when I entrusted my eyes to somebody that they would have common sense. You know. Mm-hmm. She she went to the mall and stayed at the mall for Black Friday. 
Thank goodness she wasn't in the examining rooms. No deal is worth that. Nothing. Nothing. And people hurt each other. No, that's ridiculous. No, you can put you can get a turkey leg and put it in your toaster oven. That works just fine. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's my my mom is now have gone for the turkey bus lately, so that's what generally what we cook is is the uh, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. figured for cleanup and everything that's pretty simple. Just go for the turkey you bus. You bet. And and, and your family's happy. All that leftover turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I know people who love leftovers. Me. Yeah. You know, I quit. Me. The time I cooked a turkey dinner was, I think, almost 10 years ago. I think it's been almost 10 years. And I used to pack up plates and say, here, take this. And I'd be sending plates out of the door because I just didn't want all that food in the house. I wonder what is the biggest turkey can, people can generally fit in an oven. Can we go you over can't 30? buy the biggest turkey anymore. Can we go over 30 pounds, or is it that getting to be too big of a... I think the 30 pounds would fit fine. Okay. You just can't lift it. <laughs> yeah, you got to get some big guy to come in the house. and. Yeah, or or have two of you grab the pounds, one from each side. Because uh-huh. you put stuffing inside the bird, that's another couple of pounds. Right. But you mm. might, in our family, you might the average turkey you might buy maybe in the old 18 pounds. Right. Or something. You, but I, I, I think you went, you don't hear about it if they're buying 30 pounds or mm-hmm. any bigger than that. I yeah. Most oven racks would bend and you, you, they, they would sag in the middle with 30-pound turkeys. I could be wrong, but I know my oven would. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my oven would be okay. It would be me that got broken. <laughs> you get something like that out you'd have to <laughs> you'd have to cut it while it was in the oven and serve it from there i'd say I'll, i i would put on my facebook i need a big strapping lad to come help me with the turkey and he can have all oh. he wants i will just take a big strapping lad uh, there you <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know don't mess it up with a turkey for goodness sakes <laughs> Uh, I, I, Walden said I'm not responsible for anything I say tonight. That's true. <laughs> I gave her That's that what he said. That's what I said. That's what he said. That's what I said. He said it. Okay, what happy thing happened to you this week? Okay. Um. Yesterday was pretty happy. I, I actually I thought I was going to be late for an appointment because I got a late start. But every with every turn I made, I kept, I kept making time, making up for time, and yeah. I actually got there 15 minutes early. Oh, my goodness. It was really and You know what, where I, my brain went when you said I thought I was going to be late for an appointment? I thought, how can anyone who gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning be late for anything? Well, this time I woke up really late. I woke up at 7, I think it was... <laughs> Yeah, I woke up at 7. To me, that's late. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. <laughs> and I was feeling really tired, and I was dragging. And I, I, I woke up I at went, 7 also. <laughs> and I misread my clock. I thought it was 1. <laughs> oh, I, I heard that. Oh, my goodness. Isn't well, that embarrassing? I think we'll get you a talking clock, and you can just tap that's it. That's what Walden said. 
and then we get, we'll get you the kind that has a cuckoo alarm. So in the morning oh. you'll hear a cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> I thought you liked me. <laughs> well, I have one, and, and I don't mind hearing cuckoo. I, I, what I don't like <laughs> are those rooster alarms. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> oh, so I had a dog, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry that I dropped it, but it was a bulldog. That, that stood up and it had a bugle in its hand, Uh-oh. and when you set when you set it to go off, the thing started screaming. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> there was no way you could ignore that thing. There were times in my life when I did have trouble getting up, but boy, I put that on the other side of the room because then you have to get up out of bed, and there's no way you could listen to something like that. And I dropped my poor doggy, and it broke his alarm. Oh. I know, but I'll tell you that that one, that one would shake you out of bed. Definitely. And I could read it too. <laughs> I couldn't read this one. Good grief! All right, Chauncey. When you were growing up, were there certain days of the week that the family chores got done? Yes, we did Saturday chores. I mean, we did, we did have you know after school evening chores. Uh huh. But Saturday was the big day where we did the vacuuming and the guys did the yard work and we did, you know, other windows, you know, did all the scrubbing and rubbing and laundry. So Saturday was chore day. Was it all day or would you guys get it done in a few hours to get get it done? What would it, what would it um, yeah, usually it was done in the morning and afternoon we got to go out. And uh-huh play or whatever. Wow. Of course, you know, we didn't, we just did our, the girls, we just did our stuff, but the guys, especially one of my brothers, was always complaining. <laughs> always complaining. He, he knew every guy, Saturday the, the lawn had to be mowed, but, you know, he just didn't want to do it, ever. <laughs> did you ever mow the lawn? No. <laughs> no, hmm. we were all, all the girls did indoor stuff. Hmm. None of the girls mowed the lawn. They probably would have hmm. wanted to, I guess. I don't know. I <laughs> had to. So did your mom allow you allow you close to the kitchen? My mom was never allowed to operate the kitchen. She, she was allowed to dust. So did your mom let you learn how to cook? Uh, Not till I was a teenager. Okay. I wasn't allowed anywhere near... And I wanted so much to bake cookies and and make cupcakes and all that, but uh-huh. not till I was a teenager. And I really had to to earn my my rights, my kitchen rights. <laughs> and <laughs> after a while, then my mom was happy that that she let me in the kitchen because I would clean it up and and I'd start making good stuff. <laughs> You're a good soul, Shanty. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I have was glad now. Can you bake life, I was glad mm-hmm. she let me cook because I started, you know, I'd stay over for, well, I'd stay over Christmas or over the summer, and I'd be cooking the meals. And that was the only uh-huh. thing meals. <laughs> so, um, can you bake cookies in a toaster oven? Yeah, I think you can. You could make little Should little I bats. test it out? Hmm? I could test it out. Uh-huh. Yeah. You could get, like, a little, you know, one of those little, tubes of cookie dough and and a little pan and put put a couple cookies in there. I bet you could. Ooh. 
a chocolate chip cookie and, better? And, and even if they just melted and didn't cook right, they'd still taste good. So, so a chocolate chip cookie good in toaster ovens? Why not? I would, I would say so. I would cook the dough all the way through, only because it's just not safe to eat uncooked. Not anymore. Isn't that awful? We're losing all of these great things from Aww. our kidhood. Even when I was child, my mom would say, don't eat that raw, you'll get worms. But actually, she, <gasps> she had she oh, had it. Boy, that made the cookies appetizing. <laughs> I tell you, that's still, yeah. tra- that's still a tradition at this house or during Christmas time. Who, who, whichever one of the guys, mama licked lick the batter off the uh, uh, the blender. You know, actually she cooked the beater, yeah. yeah, the beater. She would yeah. bake the cookie dough, and then we get to maneuver the the beater. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's it's because of the egg and the salmonella. It's just mm-hmm. the way the eggs are, and they've always been that way, even even from farm chickens got to cook them. Yeah. And we never did any of that stuff when we were growing up. Kids ate dirt, for gosh <laughs> sake. <laughs> I, I remember that, yeah. And they ran around barefoot. And yeah. And we stepped on bees. <laughs> and, it, and it hurt for a while, and then you'd go back out and play. Are you speaking yeah. from experience, Patricia? Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, I've I've actually accidentally picked up bees and gotten stung, and it wasn't much fun, but my dad would pull the stinger out, or the principal would pull the stringer out, and I'd be fine. Go right back mm-hmm. to what I was doing. <laughs> Nobody died. No, I was at Tom Sawyer's Island in Disneyland where bees stung me right in the lips. So I had a <gasps> nice big swollen oh. up lip for the, when I got home. So, you know, just... One of the beautiful experiences of being stunned by a bee. You got kissed by a bee. Well, I'll tell you though, I'm glad I got I'm glad I got stunned on the lip. A cousin of mine. She was walking in the yard and she put her Pepsi Cola can in the yard, went oh, right no. in the house, oh, no. and went and got and went and got grabbed the coat. The bee flew out and stunned her Adam's apple in the back of the in the back of her mouth. So she had to go to the emergency for them to pull that bee stinger out of her Adam's, you know, back during that Adam's apple part of her throat. Sounded like the it's a epiglottis. Woo! That's a good good thing, yeah. Epiglottis. And the uvula is the little dingling that hangs down in your throat. Ooh. Yeah. That. How's that for a word? What other yeah. body fu- function can we name here, everybody? I, that, that. Oh, let's... <laughs> I have to go to bed now. <laughs> oh, dear me. Oh, dear me. Remember. Well, Sandy, it is so good to hear from you. I'm so glad that you got through. I am glad, too. And I've been wanting to call and just say how wonderful it is to have you back and Amen. that you're doing better. You. And we're just happy to That's have right. you back. And yeah. then I can add you to the yell list. Did you do your exercises yet? <laughs> Oh, I That's know. your assignment. Your assignment is to give me my assignment. I'll, I'll call and say, I know you're doing your exercises. There you go. Oh, that's oh, good. Positive, <laughs> positive reinforcement. This is good. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Not called reverse guilt? It's called, Re- no, no, it's called inspiration. Inspiration. Inspirational. That's a good word, too. 
I'm into all the positive stuff. I mean, working with students, it works better than yelling at them. Yes. It's <laughs> true. So, you, uh, I I'm like trying to think that. positively. I am positive that's a mess. <laughs> I'm positive it won't work out, yes. <laughs> exactly. So, well, Shanti, you have yourself a wonderful week, and maybe we'll get to talk next week. That sounds wonderful, and the both of you have Great. a good Labor Day weekend. You too, Shanti. Thank you, and be safe. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, my dear. Should, is it what? time to tuck you away? No. You want to take a few more phone calls? Or what do you, uh, do you yeah, Well, you, you can leave the phone line open. I just need to tell you what CenturyLink did to me. Okay. I sent a notice, just a, a little email uh -huh. to CenturyLink's customer service. This is customer service. Okay. And it said, my set box, the thing on top of the television, died two weeks ago. Where do I return it? Number two, will you credit my TV bill for not having any service because, you know. And number three, how do I cancel my TV service? The answer I got from customer service is, we are unable to process your request as your account information needs to be verified. For, <laughs> for security verification purposes, would you please provide your CenturyLink account number and one of the following forms of identification? the last four digits of your social security number, your date of birth, and the last amount you paid on your CenturyLink bill. All I want is an address and a phone number. Can you imagine? Nope. Nope. And then it ends up with CenturyLink appreciates your business and values you as a customer. Our goal is to provide you with excellent customer service. Okay. You know, I still haven't heard back. Gee, I didn't check today. Maybe I should check today. <laughs> well, you All know, I want to do is give them back a piece of broken equipment. You know, they did a survey here of the worst customer service in, mm -hmm. in America, and they have put the communication things right at the top of the list in terms of just not being very co friendly customer service, you know. I'm, I'm sure they're friendly people. I mean, yeah, but it's, uh, it's not. A, but you're right. It, it, when you call for customer service, you frequently get the overseas call centers. Right. And well, you it, got all these forms. It's not flexible enough to answer you. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Well, then I swear, by the time I've finished with physical therapy and hospital and and rehab, and I think I killed a tree. They had so much paper. This is paper, in addition to what's on the computers. I remember they would show up with folders full of this stuff. I said, I already filled that one out. Oh, but that was for a different department. I remember, doc I remember Dr. Dale used to say, for every time a hospital hires a doctor, they hire three people to do the paperwork for that doctor. Easily. Easily, easily. No, Carl, you're on with Patricia. Yeah, it's Kurt. Hey, Kurt. Hi. Kurt, it's so good to hear from you. How are you? I'm okay. I remember I, uh, when I wrote you that note, and I told you that I was going to call you because you were so interested in stupid things like getting cancer in your body <laughs> as being things that commercial uh, sponsors say that's, that's, well, stupid. Stupid. But being stupid is not confined to... 
uh, organizations. I think that's a future topic for Patricia on the side. What if being stupid? That, that's a, I, Patricia, you can write that down. Okay. We have many, many examples. I don't think <laughs> well, we have to define it. The customers, the customers sometimes can say stupid things, too. Yeah. Uh, you remember Matt, who was no, sure. a high school student. Yeah, uh, He's now in college, and he works at McDonald's. Okay. So he was working the drive-thru. Yep. And this lady comes through, and she orders what she orders, and then she says, make sure that's to go, please. In the drive-thru? In the drive-thru. I love it. <laughs> and he said he had the feeling that she's used that line before. Well, uh, you know, the immediate question is, what else is it going to be? <laughs> of course. Um, by the way, oh, having nothing to do with that except that I just remembered it again. You know, they make a big deal about the woman that spilled the uh, the hot coffee on right. her hot coffee. Yeah. In uh, on her thighs and lap and stuff. Yeah. And sued McDonald's. But nobody forgets the corollary to that story and the thing that makes it uh, it because people think, oh well, how stupid could she be and mm -hmm. and whatever. What they are not told, because nobody mentions it anymore. That McDonald's at that time uh, apparently held their coffee at probably uh, 250 degrees, so it was more than boiling when it came out into the cup that burned her uh, lap and thighs and whatever. And so now they don't do that. Right. That's the they, they stopped it immediately. About, yeah. about uh, that McDonald's story. But I thought, I, I, some people, I, you just can't believe what they think is, is um, you know, important mm -hmm. to tell, is to tell them, you know. To go, please. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I'm on my second cycle of a new chemotherapy um it pulled my numbers right down which was good but the only problem was um i've had some nausea and stuff since then and um of course in fact i was sick uh, a week or you know last saturday and and um was throwing up and stuff and and the late and and it's like they said, well, are you are you sure it wasn't a flu bug? Because this new chemo is not supposed to make you nauseated. Yeah. And this is the second time that it's happened, and and I had a little bit of fever for a while the first time. And I went back to them, and I told them, and I, they said, well, maybe you caught something else because. This stuff is not supposed to make you nauseated. Uh, and it's like they're trying to make me, you know, believe that they it's want me. To, yes. and they want you to believe you're not really sick. Is, and it's very possible that the reaction is, is caused by something else. But my point is that, that, that their reaction to my reaction seems kind of like 
it's the book on what do you say to somebody <laughs> that has nausea when nausea is not one of the main side effects. Mm-hmm. So and you, it has brought the numbers down, and so that's that's looking, you know, that part of it's looking good. Um, the stomach problems Excellent. are better, but, of course, they're worse right after the chemo. But next Saturday, now I want everybody to cross their fingers on this because the last, uh, I'm going to go see my mother, okay. uh, who's turning 95. All right. Oh, my and, goodness. And my brother, is, my twin brother, who lives in Jacksonville, is going to be out. And my sister and her husband from Bakersfield are going to be out. Now, I don't know if I talked to you the last time this was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But I ended up getting pneumonia the last time right. and didn't get to go and ended up in the hospital with pneumonia the last time this was supposed to happen. So I would like everybody to pray that I make it this time. Make the family reunion. To make the family reunion, yeah, yeah for sure. And, of course, uh, speaking of prayers, of course, we all know, I heard you talking about Jim Taylor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it really kind of bothers me because, I mean, obviously it's a terrible thing to happen, and it would be a terrible thing to happen anyway. But Jim Taylor is a very special, he has a very special uh, kind of a mind. Oh, gosh, yes. And these minds, these very special minds, they are extremely rare. And so it really bothers me when, you know, and it also bothers me, by the way, because I will tell you that another uh, network did a show talking about him tonight, and they're going to send him copies of the show and some radio shows to listen to, but I don't know what he's going to listen to him on, because I'm sure he doesn't have a computer yeah. there, so. Yes. Uh, see, that's what I've been, <coughs> see, and I was talking to Ron, Braille, Jim doesn't really have a good Braille skills, I understand, and I, I got thinking, and if it's not able to talk right now, how is he able to communicate with the nursing staff? It must be... Well, yeah, you know... And, uh, well, this brought it back to my mind because I've thought about this. I've thought about this before, you know, because with my, I mean, my condition is 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 nothing like his, right. except that if something happens, and because uh, actually, uh, he he doesn't have very good braille skills, and for me. Because of the neuropathy in my fingers, I virtually can't read uh, regular Braille anymore. Luckily, I can type. And and, and Jim can type, too. But how many nurses would even think about bringing a little laptop in there to help to communicate? Yeah, I don't know how. And so, you know, I mean, if I, if, I mean, you know, with having had two strokes, even though they were very minor, makes me think, hey, what would I do, you know, mm-hmm. if all of a sudden I couldn't talk? Because the probability is, whether I like it or not, even if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, the probability is that, you know, I could end up with another one at any time. 
Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember my birthday uh, thing that I wrote last year about how you always, uh, when you're, I'm going to be 64. So mm -hmm. uh, when you when you get up to this age, the things that you get for your birthday by the provider of birthdays are things you don't need and things you don't want. Because <laughs> last year I had my stroke. I got, you know, like five days before, and the year before, I had the clot in my leg, which happened on my birthday, so for my birthday, I got to go uh, to the doctor again and get put on, cum on Coumadin um, for six months. So that's how the provider of birthdays works once you get older. So who knows what it's going to be like this year? Um, what he's got in his pocket for you this year? That, that's an optimistic. Oh. That's an optimistic viewpoint for your birthday, Kurt. Well, you very know, positive. I, I'm positive it's pink. Is, yes. I know quite a few people who actually, in fact, uh, I talked to to my my brother-in-law, and uh, he got to spend his his birthday in the hospital because. He woke up, and he couldn't walk, and he was very dizzy, and they didn't know why. So he, you know, got to go to the hospital, and they kept him all, you know, the, the night and sent him home the next day. He said, you know, they checked all the fluids and all the stuff, and he's okay, but, you know, but that, yeah. uh, and I talked to somebody else who, for a certain birthday, got uh, diabetes from steroids. So, I mean, I, I do have a number of cases to, to back me up on this, and it is a kind of a, you know, an interesting, uh, interesting problem. All right, I have a trivia question for both of you. Okay. What, what radio I always get nervous with this. What, okay, go ahead. What radio person loved to vacation at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota? Oh, 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 was that Jack Benny? Very good, Patricia. Really? Oh. Yes, Ooh. very good. That's oh. very funny. Oh, can I go to the head of the class? <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, thank you. Why and why? why that was a great mean? question. And I only knew that because you mentioned it a yeah. couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, he liked the vacation at the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, he figured he'd get a complete rest. I wonder, how, I wonder if they still offer that convenience to people. I if you pay for it, why not? I bet they do, and I wonder. I wonder if they. I wonder if, if, if every time he talked about it, they'd go, "Well, you shut up! They're not supposed to know about that." That's no. very funny. Cost you, cost you a pretty penny. Yeah, but. sure. I'm sure it did. Well, you know what? Actually, I bet it didn't, because if you look at the, and because I, I think you haven't you done, kind of research on this about the differences between what it costs to have a child or have stuff done in the hospital uh, at, at the, the beginning of the century and now mm -hmm. because before sure. it wasn't all that expensive to, to, to do no. stuff like that. No. And it was also relative to yeah. the yeah. value of money at the time. Right. So... You still weren't going to pay a pretty penny for it, but I think Jack could afford it. Why not? I mean, goodness yes. gracious, if he, 
Well, that, he could have quit, and that's what he wanted to do. Go for it. He worked hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did they ever find anything wrong? No. Or did he just I, go for the bed? He just go. He went for the vacation because he could get complete rest. He'd, he'd well, get rest, and, and his food was delivered to uh -huh. the room. Yeah. Probably he could got, go he, for a walk any time he wanted. He probably got a checkup. You know, that's probably, probably the routine, you know. <laughs> he had, he had to go through that to justify his, <laughs> his presence. Oh, that's funny. Anything ever is in a hospital. That's now, funny. now I know. Now, uh, speaking of hospitals, one of my f good friends in the Lion Club, and I, with my Boy Scout Jamboree, he now moved to Texas, but he went and had, um, he had cancer in his kidney, and City of Hope uh, mm -hmm. has a new procedure. They can remotely, with a robot, remotely go in, mm -hmm. freeze the cancer, and you pass it. You pass the cancer out of your system. But he said that the the food service was wonderful. At Hope, you get the, you get a menu and you get to choose anything you want on the menu. That's how the city of Hope does its food. At what they want? Can I go there? <laughs> well, but that's how the city of Hope operates. Out here, they they give you the menu, and the, but you get to choose anything you want for your your meals. Mm. Well, you get faith and charity with that one too. <laughs> Well, anyway, That's good. That's I, good. I did write to Patricia and told her that I would call in with that that story because I just thought, why? I mean, you know, people, and and I don't know whether people, some of these people, think before or after they say some of this stuff, but uh, which is actually what's so funny about cancer in your body, uh, you know. I mean. To say that more than once just makes you sound so dumb, and I can't believe that they'd have it in, in some in some commercial. So. Oh, anyway, are you meant, just, are you referring to the line that I gave to Celeste about cancer in your body? It was yeah. that. Don't tell me there's more than one out there. Well, I I thought. I thought I heard something like that in in a yeah from me, but yeah, I, I, are I you telling me that it, it was somebody a, uh, other than my little body who said that? No, I think I heard something like that in a in a radio show. I think I, I heard agree. some, you know. Well, it was our radio show. Does that help? No, they were talking about contaminants in water, and it could cause cancer. In your body. Yeah, well. Okay. How would you know? I mean, if it was in somebody else's body, how would you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't um, thought about it in those terms. Maybe they did. Yeah. I just want to be, I want to be able to get paid for writing that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that, well, especially, well, yeah, and, and of course, you do have a track record of being paid, uh, However little, because I'm sure most places are trying to pay less and less for more and more. So, yeah, the Walmart uh, theory of of worker uh, dispensability, and uh, I'm sure it works at, at in in writing as well as it works anywhere else. Squeeze as much. Everything as you, you have ever heard about starving writers yeah. is true, and I think that's terrible. 
I think, like I, I, I don't know if I've said it quite this definitely, but people are worth less now than they were in Western times because they're much more replaceable. That's right. We're dispensable. Tell, so. Well, and that's, yeah. and that's I'm dispensable. Yeah. You know, and that's what we gotta figure out. Is how? Well, I mean, we're all floating in this whole new economy right now, not knowing what our values are. It's just a yeah. It's just it's just a change. Yeah. We're going through. Um. Yeah, Patricia, sigh. Yeah. Big sigh. Big sigh. Big sigh. Very good. That one wasn't big enough. Give me a bigger one. Give me a bigger one. Very good. Oh, I've got the best lungs of anyone. <laughs> the rest of me is a mess. <laughs> My lungs are good. Yeah. Well, that's good. Oh. I'm good. <laughs> Everybody who listens says, wow, they're good. I, I know that. Don't look anywhere else. Just stay so long and we'll be fine. Funny. So, okay, something good must have happened to you this week, Kurt. What? Uh, well, the jury's still out. Because, <laughs> well, because we got a new dog this week. But, well... It weighs uh, an eighth of a pound. Well, let's see. They got it on Monday, I think Monday, and it's very, very, very small. And I finally, uh-huh. I finally touched it last night uh, because it is so small. And so I think it's a good thing, but it's going to be so much trouble. So I don't know. But as as the dog gets older, I think, and you know. Because uh, cause he, she slept on, she fell asleep on me last night, which oh gee, proves, which proves that she will sleep anywhere, you know, which is good, which is good. So I have yeah, to wait till she gets older until, until she can um, recognize a that it's me and b that I can't see her, so I can't play. Yeah. I have a solution for all my animals we had. What? Well, I, I, I'll have to wait and see what happens. Cause uh, I stepped on once, and then they knew to move every time. I but dogs don't. Cats well, do. Dogs well, will not. Well, well, that's why coming back, coming back. Even what kind of a dog is it? And it's won't a move. Because I know Janice stepped on her guide dog. I don't know how many times because he wouldn't move. Now a cat. Uh, when I when when I was fixed uh, and my grandmother's cat was living with us she knew when she saw my red slippers get out of the way because he's not gonna stop but the but dogs don't seem to understand that you can't see them I always said kitties were smart <laughs> yeah yeah well, you know the, the the line about when you say when you call a dog he will come to you when you call a cat, she'll say, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, I know why cats do it, obviously. I mean, their sense of self-preservation is more heightened. <laughs> but, yeah, and they're the ones who have the nine lives, for goodness sakes. That's right. Which Now, so, something's wrong with that equation. 
Either like, that or they have nine lives because they are smart enough them. to get out of the way. Yeah. But, but dogs, for some reason, I, they don't understand. And no. I, I don't know why. They'll stand right in front of you. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, after a while they move, but, you know, you can't count on it. No. You know, it's so, a big anyway, responsibility so raising a puppy. Huh? A big responsibility and a lot of time and love into raising a oh, puppy. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And like I mm. said, I have to wait till she gets older, but she moves around awfully fast. <laughs> so, What's her name? Well, you know, we don't know. We can't decide what what her name is. Uh, they they are thinking they want to call her Wiggles. Cause that's Wiggles? What she does so is that, did I get? Did I hear that Wiggles? That's yep. cute. Wiggles. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, I like that. Huh? I like that. Well, the only thing is, I'm not sure that what's cute in a. Oh, and also her her <laughs> mother her mother got run got killed. Oh. And so. Oh. They took her to the vet today, and I guess she's only about three weeks old. Wow. Oh, no. Here with a bottle, and and the lady that she got her from had been feeding her from a bottle and, and stuff. And I guess her eyes are open, but I guess her ears aren't open yet. Hmm. I didn't realize that a, that a dog's ears also had to open. And I, guess I didn't that know that. Wow. Eight weeks, they... They kind of unfold or do what they're going to yeah. do. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. But there's um, so much to learn in so little time. Anyway, when I touched the cat, the dog last night, it felt kind of like a cat because the fur was more like like cat fur in terms of, yes. of being soft yes. than uh, than a dog's fur, which reminds me of a. Thing I saw yesterday again. If a rabbit's foot is supposed to be so lucky, where's the rest of the rabbit? <laughs> where's the rest of the rabbit? Yes. <laughs> Has anybody seen the rabbit? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had four of them, and look what happened to him. Huh? He had four, and look what happened to him. Oh, yeah. Gee. Anyway, so that's... Uh, Pretty much, pretty much my week. Not, not too much, not too much going on. So, when you were growing up, Kurt, were there certain days of the week that were family required well, event days? Um, I think, I think they did the cl- mo- the cleaning stuff mostly like on the weekends. Okay. Well, I have to be, I have to be kind of split on that because when I was growing up uh, and my dad was in the Marines. He was gone for long periods of time, you know, like months and months. And so I don't really know how the cleaning got done then because I don't really, you know, I don't really remember because for my mother it was like fitting it in, you know, along with everything else. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, but then, and then once, a, a, a few years after uh, he came back then, then she went to work. So I think. I think they did clean up stuff on the weekends, but I wasn't really involved in, in it. Uh-huh. It wasn't one of my, you know, one of my jobs. We had to keep our room straight and beds made and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there, there, 
my only real job around the house as far as that was concerned was I used to have to fold all the, when I did the shopping, I used to have to fold all the, the paper bags when they got home. Mm. Oh, yeah. They used to have a whole box of those big, mostly big paper bags yep. that they would keep for use. That was be obviously before plastic. Oh, uh, yeah, children, there was a time when there was <laughs> more than just paper to... I remember paper. when. <laughs> and um, do, do you realize that, 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 you know, there are kids that don't remember when there was only one kind of bag and that was paper? You know, just think how many kids never drew up a push-button phone with dial with rotary phones. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I remember we got rid of ours by the late 70s, so now two generations that grew up without a, without a rotary phone. I don't know when. I can't remember when we got rid of ours. Because we had a, a dial I don't know. No, I can't. I, I don't remember when we got rid of it, but... Well, it's like one of the guys on the podcast was talking about taking his son, who's about 12, to the theater, and, you know, and he didn't have his phone, and you just had to sit there and watch the movie, and that's <laughs> all you could do, and you couldn't move it forward, you couldn't, you know, and, you know, for, for some kids, they just, they, they don't understand. Nope. It's before the time of, of, you know, all this stuff. You know, That's I mean, good. there was a That's time good. when when, when I first got into computers, I went with Apple because Apple was the one with the, um, Apple was the one with the accessibility. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And which actually kept me going for, I don't even remember now how long because I took my Apple machine and my printer and stuff when I first went to Friendly Hills, and then when I closed Friendly Hills, um, <laughs> and then later went on to close Martin Luther Hospital, uh, then I had to go back and learn Windows so that I could go to work for the place that I worked for the rest of my working life, but uh, it, it had Apple, well, I don't know, it, it, I think because IBM was a standard, I and ended up switching to IBM, but all this stuff, you know, that happens because of technology or, or because it's just, this is the time that it's happening, kids don't understand how all that works, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. They just don't. I do. And we, and we weren't sure we did either. We didn't understand the. Of course, now you have to get your kid to to uh, to to program your your uh, you know whatever. Yeah. And I have to get one of the grandkids to fix my phone when the talkback gets turned off because it doesn't talk anymore. So, you know, I mean, everything goes around and comes around. Mm-hmm. But it's never easy. Never even. No. Nope, it so, isn't. Anyway, I I said that I would call in and tell you that. Thank you, Kurt. I think it's something you needed to know. <laughs> and you'll think about <laughs> it every time you drive through a place now. 
Well, we'll think about that. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So One of the questions I have had for and years. And is, all our prayers go out to Jim, and absolutely. hopefully yes. he'll hear about this later, and hopefully he'll be in such shape to really, you know, to be able to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because, um, you know, we know all the stuff about the smoke inhalation and, and hope that his lungs are going to be okay. So Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So anyway, I will talk to you guys some other time. All right, Kurt. Thanks right. so much. Um, Bye-bye. It was so good to hear from you, Kurt. Thank you. How you doing, are my you dear? There? Yeah, how you doing? Okay. I'm doing okay. Okay. You want, it's okay to keep the lines open? Um, oh, two o'clock? Sure, what the okay. heck? Oh, my God. <laughs> they hit the girl. What the heck? They hit the girl who had two hours of sleep, who's not responsible of saying what oh, she wants so to frisky. say. You can <clears> talk <throat> to her. This is, her. this is the overnight hours of, of the extra bonus coverage of Patricia that someone for Five four five two zero seven one. This is the bonus segment. I'm a bonus. I love it. I love it. You know, I was going to add to Kurt's story yeah. about the person saying and make that to go from yeah. the drive-in lane. Uh -huh. When they first put in drive-through lanes in banks, mm -hmm. they had Braille on the drive-throughs. That's for the Braille bank robbers. That way they know how to get out. I mean, can can you believe it? No. That sounds like government regulation, doesn't it? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. They were required by law to put Braille characters in every access point, and it it it, it was so out of control, so out of control. I could not believe it. So you can call to the bonus segment of Patricia at seven one four. Five four five two zero oh, seven one. Yes, she is here. The bonus time. She is here. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Maybe. Hello. Is there anybody out there? Hello there, caller. Must have gotten a disconnect. Give us a call back. Hmm? Hello there. Okay. Well, they tried. Oh, that was that was the hang-up button. Seven, okay. Seven, In one, the meantime, four. I'm seven. Go ahead. One, four. Five, four, five. Two o. Oh, seven one. Seven one four. I take the uh, Guinness Book of World Record giving out the slowest phone number. Five, four, five. Hello there, caller. You're on there. Hello, you guys. Hi, Celeste. I had is. about, I had about given up on on uh, getting in, and I kind of dozed off, and then I heard you say the numbers, so I thought, well, I'll give yeah, it. Yeah, well, this is bonus coverage. You got in during the bonus time of restriction. <laughs> what did I say? you to sleep? Well, Celeste, we put you to sleep. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a new day where you guys are Yeah, but, you know, what you two are at, it's already a new day. <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
Yeah, I wanted to tell you something because I thought it was so interesting that you brought up doing things on certain days. Mm -hmm. Um, We always uh, clean house on Monday, but every Wednesday my mother would take us to the grocery store because you got S&H green stamps. Have you ever heard of those? Oh, I remember those. Do you? Yes, I do. Well, did you know, in my lifetime, one time, shortly after I married, I wanted a little portable machine, sewing machine, Mm -hmm. and my mother and my aunts and everybody, we saved enough books for me to get a free sewing machine. Oh, my goodness. A senior sewing machine. Yeah, yeah. And so we would shop and we. We used to get all kinds of bedside lamps or uh, old mix masters. You you could get anything at the green stamp store. How much did you have to spend to fill a book? Well, you just you just got whatever you bought for groceries. Uh, they awarded you a certain amount of green stamps, and I right. don't remember what the ratio was. Wasn't, so, there, wasn't there a company that did it in blue? I saw blue I, stamps. I remember and blue. plaid stamps. There yeah. were plaid stamps. We looked that up one night. That's right. Yeah. Now we always did the green and stamps, gold. but they were only awarded now on Wednesday. And oh. We would, uh-huh, we would go to the store on Wednesday. There were some other stamps, but I can't remember what they were. What did F and H? What did F and H stand for? S S and H. I have have no idea. (laughs) It was just S and H green stamp. What a great question, Walden. Do I have to look it up? Sure. Well, it's your bonus coverage, so yes, this is your bonus segment, yes, Patricia. This is my punishment for being here. Now, I, I think later on when Kroger first started, uh-huh. they had some kind of stamps. They might have been a yellow color or something. They were gold stamps. Gold. Gold stamps. All right, yeah. But now, and then we had but, plaid stamps. Who gave out plaid stamps? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the, good, the good thing about... Where the, about the S&H green stamps, they were just, uh, after I moved to Dallas, they had a downtown store in Fort Worth. But, see, you could go to their store and just pick it out and pay with your book. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that. Once you had your, your book, you could go to these stores to cash them in kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. So, um, but that was only on Wednesdays, so we always grocery shopped on Wednesdays. Clean house on Mondays. Clean house and washed on Mondays. So that was our regular routine. Yeah, now, Walden, I want to ask you something. Mm -hmm. What position was your uh, uncle in with NATO? He uh, He was the head of it. He was chief of staff. Chief of staff. Yeah, yeah. He had, um... He was the commanding general for all the Allied countries, and so, um, so, so, the way it worked, um, he was stationed in Brussels, 
And at that time, there was an army, a uh, four-star army general was head of the United States, but my uncle was head of all the countries, so he was, at that position was called Chief of Staff in my uncle's Air Force. But, Hi. uh, well, no, he had that job, and then, uh, before then, he had General MacArthur's job in, uh, Japan, in the Far East. He was the, uh, head of the Far East forces before then. And oh, it was interesting, when we visited him in Europe, uh, the bunker that they had the two generals at uh, was surrounded by 36 people with machine guns. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they had them bunkered in, and the uh, the cooks were really serv- were security guys. So they, mm-hmm. that was part of the job, to double up. They were cooks and and security, so they they uh, they they wore two hats. So it's always interesting. They were good cooks too, you know. They uh, oh my goodness. Oh yeah, Filipinos. They they they, they made the oh, be- I bet, yeah. They made the best um, spicy sweet chili sauce meals I ever had. So they <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to die with chili on my tombstone. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That is cute. But my uncle always—it was so funny. My 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 when we went to Normandy and the visit cemetery, Omaha Cemetery. The next day we were in uh, Saint Agnes, where the famous you know the scene, the famous scene where the, where the guy got hung up in the uh, right. church steeple. There's a museum there. And so, so the press was rewarded that my uncle was there. It just so happened they had a picture of my uncle in the museum. I wonder how fast oh, they made it. So, so they took a picture of the uncle, my uncle's family. And that was us kids, you know, me and my mom and dad, my brother, with my, and, all his, and all his bodyguards. And they were all, all different nationalities from Filipino to yeah. African American everything and we all this guy called the general and his family so you know we were a nice <laughs> mixed family <laughs> oh dear well you is, uh, is your uncle alive or has passed away he, he lives he lives three hours north of Patricia he lives oh, in, oh my. he lives in Tampa so P- Patricia that's what did a hurricane go through Tampa this weekend no. Okay. And it was supposed to. That was supposed to be the entry ah. point. And at yep. that point, it was a tropical storm before it got upgraded. But it wound up going north into the pocket of the panhandle and across the state into Jacksonville, which is the farthest north you can go on the east coast. So it was, it was quite far north of oh. all of us. Oh. Well, I am assuming that your uncle is a big believer in NATO, isn't he? There are, there are, you see the dirty, you see the dirty side of politics, because uh, my uncle, because he had to deal with a bunch of countries and things, you saw, he, there was times over the year he knew how to solve a problem, I'm trying to be very vague about this without being too specific, but it was step on other countries' feet. Uh-huh. And so, because where he was at, uh, he saw the negative side of 
uh, with that kind of setup, you know. Um, so I never asked him if he figured there's a better structure than NATO. Uh, I haven't thought about that. Um, you know, he it's always fun to talk to Uncle Jim because when he was hit, when he was headed the different branches of the military. He always got a kick out of tuning on the CNN just to see how they would report the news. He knew what, what it was ahead of time and what it was. He was always interested to see how the press covered it. Mm. Yeah. I, I, and sometimes when I said it was top secret, I had to wait 10 years. I, I knew my uncle would not tell me if I asked him the time, was that really the stealth bomber that crashed in the desert? He, he, you know, he always said, Walden, you know I can't answer that. So I would wait. I would wait 10 years. Then I would find out if I was correct or not. So I always had to wait. Uncle Jim, I have to wait, remember a new story and then file away where I know it's not going to encroach upon national security uh, because he still gets the CIA reports every day. So, yeah. you, know, you know. So I always Well, I think on the whole, from everything I've read, now this is just what I've read, but I think on the whole, it's a it's it's probably a better idea than a bad idea. I would like to ask somebody who's been in the inner side workings, and I know I know the downsides were, and the stuff it's the stuff that was very frustrating for him to negotiate, you know, among uh-huh. among oh, countries, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, just to see, I would have to talk to him about that something. <laughs> Yeah, it's real interesting because now it's been in the news. Oh, yeah. no, what I was I, thinking about for Christmas, Patricia, is actually uh, because my uncle was, grew up in a small town in Nebraska, I thought it would be fun to talk to my uncle during Christmas time where it would be like to live in a small town, Patricia. I thought it would be a fun way for you to get to talk to my Uncle Jim. <laughs> That's cool. a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Put yeah. him on the list. Yeah, put him on the list. Tell, him, tell him he's on the short list. All righty. Well, we we know he's aggressive, and he's the one that flattened the tire of the guy. Oh yeah, that, yes, yeah, that, that's yes. my mother. Yes, <laughs> my my, I come from an interesting line of family. My, my uncle, who I was named after, my uncle Great Walden, was also the one he, the classmate, got a cow up on the on the third floor of the school, and you know anything about a cow trying to have them trying to come downstairs must have been a, a challenge. <laughs> You cannot. No, horses don't go downstairs either. <laughs> They'll go up, but they won't go down. Yeah, I wonder how they did get it I out. don't know. They had to uh, block they and carry? They must have put a blindfold on the poor thing. Or a block and carry? Put it up there on, below it, or out the window or something? Wow. My, no. Somebody went to the principal's office on this my, one. My, my mom, now, my uncle would not commit to this, but, you know, because older brothers are, are immune to certain things, but see, where my mom and, when my mom and uncle grew up, K through 12th grade were all in the same building. So, you know, that's a small school. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. my uncle Jim is four years older than my mom. Uh-huh. He used to sign all his school papers as Jim the Great. And so... Every time my mom moved up another glass level, when I read her name, are you the sister of Jim Davis? So my mother always had to wear wear, wear that, you know, moniker, however 
a uh, a character for a brother. Yeah. Jim the Great. Now, where did he go to college? Uh, he went to Annapolis. It, my unc my uncle, was, he would always wanted to be the flyer, and this was the day we did not have the Air Force Academy. So the way it worked, they would allowed both the Air Force and the Navy flyers to go to Annapolis. Right. And right. so he was the last class that was able to make a choice to go either Navy or Air Force um, and before the academy was open. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Have you ever been to Annapolis? I have. It's a wonderful yeah, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful place. I've Patricia been to West Point because I was in her backyard, but I've been to Annapolis, and my mom remembers the gra the graduation ceremony. Eisenhower spoke for, for when my uncle graduated. So you know, in those oh. days, he got pretty good high coaching speakers when you graduated, and oh yeah. But uh, my uncle was on the um, Air Force, University of Air Force, the reviewing, you know, to help decide what kids got in to the Air Force Academy here for a while. But he pretty much has stepped down from all. Well, who board. appointed it? It's, it's appointed by the Congress, but I think, I think there's also... It's no, no, no. Uh, listen, I ran a congressional office for a long time. In order to go to any of the academies, Army, Navy, and now Air Force, you have to be appointed by a congressman Correct. or a senator. Correct. But I'm saying, but it's also governed by the military, and my uncle on that military staff, it, but uh, at, on the university level at the Air Force. But I don't know if they allow the Air Force people at the position. I don't know. I never had them. I know. I know he was appointed by a congressman. I know that's traditionally how you get done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wondered who it was. Yeah. Yeah, that is very, very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's just been on my mind because it's been on the news a lot. Yeah. I wanted to tell you quickly about, and I'll get off. I wanted to tell you quickly about these earthquakes uh -huh. we're having. You know why? Because people are fracking. That's what I ask. Oh, no, 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 no. It's because... because Alden. It's because... SMU is a very creditable university. Do you agree? Uh, the reason why Oklahoma had an earthquake, they knew they were going to lose the football game to Houston today. That's why they, oh. <laughs> that's why they had the earthquake today. So what? <laughs> No, but anyway, what happens is they they shoot all these chemicals and everything down through the rock and all that so they can yeah. get the gas quickly. But what happens is that the chemicals stay buried in the land and eventually they erode the rocks and everything down there. That's what's causing the earthquake. Now, not all the time, but it is a huge factor. So a lot of states, ours mm -hmm. hasn't, but a lot of states are beginning to ban fracking. I know yeah. New York has, and I think California has. I'm not sure. But and Dan anyway. called and told us about the earthquake. That was my first question. Was it in a fracking area? Yeah, yeah. 
my, yeah. my, my, my dad was in the oil fields in the 50s, and they were fracking back in the 50s. So it's no, not... It's the, not no, no, Walden. They weren't fracking in the 50s. In the 50s, in order to get oil or gas, you just, you know, those big barracks they used to have? That's the way you got it. But you didn't, and you didn't shoot chemicals down yeah. there. Well, my dad, my dad worked. That, in, my dad that worked, came on very recently in yeah. the past well, 15 years. My dad worked for the oil fields in the, in the 50s for 10 years, and he knew companies that did it. So it's, he's always disappointed. It's not new. It's not new technology. Well. I don't know. I know. Yeah, because see, my dad brother, my dad brother was the uh, this guy that discovered a lot of famous oil fields in the Middle East, and so, but no, dad explained to me that's really not new technology. They, it's been done by some companies even back into the fifties. Well, according to what I researched, but uh -huh. anyway, it's it's unimportant. It, but it is causing a lot of people earthquakes. Because, see, even in Ohio, they banned it now. And uh, eventually, I think that's what will have to happen. But on a, on a cheery note... We will see, yeah. <laughs> on a cheery note, I don't want to... Focus, but on a cheery note, yes. I just wanted to say, Patricia, we're glad you're... Well, and doing better. You sound so chipper tonight, and you're saying. Oh, okay. thank you. And she's on two hours of sleep. <laughs> two. She's been up since seven secret. this morning. Good grief! Oh, I'm did you hear how I did that? Yeah. How did you do that? You want? Yeah, you should tell the, the second half of the family who only will hear with the second half of the show because <laughs> they might miss it. The ones who are who sleep through the first three quarters yes. of the show, yes, yes. and then call later. Uh -huh. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, my, my big deal. Oh, I, I have to repeat it. Yes. Okay, this is my stupid for the day. Okay. I set my clock for 1 o'clock. I woke up, looked at the clock, and said, oh, gosh, it didn't go off. And I got up and checked my blood sugar, put coffee in the microwave. And before I hit on with the microwave, it was 7 o'clock, not 1 o'clock. I had read the clock upside down, and it looked like a 1. <laughs> so, so I got up at 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> because I thought it was one. I made it up for us. I took a nap this afternoon. Did you take a nap during the day, honey? No. I took the nap, Patricia. I took a nap for both of us. <laughs> you took one for both of us? Yes. Really? Yep. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't I didn't notice. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, I'll let you two guys go. Right, so maybe somebody else can call in. Perfect. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right, adorable. Two o'clock. S and H Greenstand. Yes. Sperry and Hutchison Company. Never would have founded known that. in 1896 by Thomas Sperry and Shelley Byron Hutchison. Wow. Hutchinson. I'm sorry, there's an N in there. So that's what it was. Sperry and Hutchison Company. How about that. Wonderful. And look at all of these stamps here. Gee. Gold bond stamps, blue chip stamps, triple S stamps, plaid stamps, top value stamps. Wow. I remember blue chip. Definitely I remember mom using the blue chip. Blue chip, no kidding. I oh, never yeah. heard of them before. Oh yeah, it might be a regional thing. I don't know. Huh. 
I, I, the SNH, uh, no, no, the triple S blue stamps. I remember hearing about them. Even Bill's got books of that. Yeah. But I never heard of the of the blue chip stamps. You want me to keep the lines open, of- or you wanna you wanna start? Oh no, I have to give you your questions okay. now. Okay. All right, family, just relax. This is this is Patricia's yeah. quiet time. Boy, you missed the best part. <laughs> Oh, Walton, I've been so good tonight. You have. Okay, which would you like first? I've got all of your questions. No, wait a minute, Walden. wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the first time in four months I think you had all of them. This is wonderful. True, since June. You're right. Wow, what's your amount of Actually, it probably was May because I was, I, I called in sick for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> before I really got sick, <laughs> before I realized I was a lot sicker than I thought I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So June, July, August, and so three and a half months probably. Well. You poor baby. Well. That's that's twenty five percent of a year. But this is the longest you've done in a long time, three and a half hours. That's true. And you're, I'm still chirping. You're, you're, you're dangerous, my dear. Okay. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, now, I am. Now, because it's been so long, I don't remember all the categories. What do we have? We have... Oh, really? Is that true? <laughs> Come on. Well, we, 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 we introduced the, the colonial question here just before, earlier this year. I mean, every year we add a new question to the, to the lineup. So that's that was, true. That's a colonial. It's one of our new that's categories. True. We got That's a baseball. True. We have. Let's see. Do we have a history question, or is that coming up down the road? Let's see. We, we have, have a colonial history. Okay. We have presidential question. We mm-hmm. have uh, first lady quote comment or whatever. We got a. Let's see here. We have a stump Walden. True. And those are the ones I can think of. Quite. Yeah. The baseball one. Well, we've got the stump Walden, and we've got your brain teaser. Brain teaser. That's the one I've forgotten. And a presidential question and a presidential quote. Okay. A colonial question, a first lady question or quote, and your baseball question. You know, when we're 100 years old, they're going to have about 80 categories for me to work on. This is going to be like, you know, what, what that game when they... When they set their choose your category. That, you'll, you'll be to that point. I oh, can. oh, um... Jeopardy. Yes. That one? Yeah. That's how you're going to have it all worked out. But you can't, you're not allowed to choose. I choose. I know. Uh-huh. Well, you, you, you get to make the rules, so that's okay. Your game. That's you get true. To... That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always call those house rules, and that's Patricia's house. Mm-hmm. All right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which would you like first? I'd like to try my brain teaser tonight. Oh, this is a good one. I didn't get it. At least I'm that, you, that used to break your that used to be breaking your house rule, my dear. That is that I is. Know. However, okay. I'm I did mention that if I can't get one, I'll be honest about it. Uh-huh. So I'm being honest. I looked at this, and if I don't get them right away, I tell you, I I don't sit around really pondering. So I did not ponder this. It's a common sense answer, which is probably why I missed it. During which month do people sleep the least? Well, 
common sense says August to me. Why? Because the weather's so hot. <laughs> I don't think it goes by temperature, because in Australia it's winter right now. During which month do people sleep the least? And when I, I look know, at the answer, no, I, I know the answer. February. That is correct. Oh. And you tell me why. Because we only have normally 28 days out of the month, sometimes 29. So it's I have to always look. fewer days than the rest of the year. Yes. Very good. Now, I had no patience for sitting around. When I looked at the answer, I thought, well, I have a very, well, simp I have a very simple method. What? When I don't figure out that I thought, okay, January, February. Yes, you, you take the highway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me side side roads. Give me a break. <laughs> You've got the highways. Okay, what's next? Uh, let's go with my baseball question, my dear. Oh, good. Okay. Um, Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth scored exactly the same number of runs in their careers. How many runs were there? I want to say 969. This is Hank, not, not home runs, but just run. runs. You know, when they ran, yeah. not, not, not RBI, but when they scored themselves. Well, it just says the number of runs. The same number of runs. The same, the, they had to cross home plate. Right. However they got there. Right. Yeah. Well, Are you impressed by the word home plate? <laughs> you really, you really, okay. Well, <laughs> what? You, I think, you know, if you and I are starving from this year, next, uh, from this time, this year, I'm going to just going to apply. I'm getting close. I, I'm going to apply for a job for us to be on ESPN. I think we'd be a perfect, you know, uh -huh. you, the boy. Uh -huh. The blind sports announcer <laughs> and and his co-host. With the stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got all our bases covered here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, okay. How many times did they cross home plate? Oh, gosh. I really don't know. Let's say 1,200 times. 1,200? Yeah. It was 2,174 wow. runs in their careers. I never knew that. Isn't it? And what are the odds of two major, no. I mean, really brand name baseball players no. doing the same number? That's a that's a wonderful number. Wow! Yeah. Very good. Twenty-one seventy-four. Very good. Okay, now what's next? My colonial question. Your colonial question. I like this one. Let me make sure I <laughs> say it correctly. Let's see, colonial history. Okay. All right, I'm I'm just don't don't go away. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. The Treaty of Paris. This is in colonial history. The Treaty of Paris. How many countries and what were they signed the treaty? Oh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that got the deal done. Um, boy, I I don't really think I know. Let's say seven countries. 
and let's Four. call it, let's call it the peace treaty in the American Revolution. How many? <laughs> How many countries were represented at the treaty? How many signed it? You said four, so was it Canada, United States, Great Britain, and France? Well, I don't know how Canada got in there, but Spain, Britain, France, and the United States. So you did very well. What is it, though? Well, the Treaty of Paris ended the American Revolution. So I was right on that account. But I don't how how never mind. Well, these are all the all the countries that were involved. Treaty of Paris, I, bringing Spain? an end to the American Revolution. Spain? Spain, You don't think, you don't yeah. think of Spain? I, I know. I wouldn't think of it. I wouldn't have Spain. given you any of those countries except the United States. Interesting. I never knew that. That's a good one, Patricia. You know, yeah, do you know what the year was? I think it was 1783. Oh man, you are hot tonight. Yes. Yeah, because yes, the, yes, yes. Because the, the war ended in 1781, so it was about two years later. Mm-hmm. And that was precisely mm. correct. Okay. What's next? My presidential quote. Your presidential quote. All right. Hold on. Presidential quote. Presidential quote. Here we go. All right. It's a long one, so you'll have to bear with me if that's okay. Yep. Okay. Let me warn you and let me warn the nation against the smooth evasion that says, of course we believe in these things. We believe in saving homes. We believe in Social Security. We believe in work for the unemployed. Cross our hearts and hope to die. We believe in all these things, but we do not like the way the present administration is doing them. Just turn them over to us. We will do all of them. We will do more of them. We will do them better. And most important of all, the doing them will not cost anybody anything. This is not this year. (laughs) 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 Oh, gee. (laughs) And I thought of that as I was reading this. I thought, I have to mention that it's not this year we're talking about. (laughs) It's not this election. You know, my, my, Some things you never know, change. You, you know, you know, when we're doing the show twenty years from now, yeah, you, you're, you're gonna be able to have a, a bunch of wonderful quotes out of this out of this run, won't you? I'm going to go back a couple of years and start reusing. Them. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. I did reuse two of the of the radio shows this week. However, they were fifteen minute shows, so I had to get two more fifteen minute shows and do my research. Okay. But I'm That's just thinking the, the presidential quote category that you're gonna give me 20 years from now. Can uh-huh. you can use this particular cycle and have a few? Oh, interest- oh, oh, I misunderstood. That's what I wasn't I said. listening. I wasn't listening hard no, enough. No. Oh yes, boy, I could do it in five years, huh? <laughs> yes, you could. Just to, just after the first term. <laughs> yeah, get through. Yeah. I don't right. think we're going to have much much <laughs> of a second term on either side. Oh, shame on me. We're talking <laughs> politics. Okay. Did you know, speaking of the thing that Bill Bragg doesn't like to talk about, I'm yeah. going to talk about it anyway. You know yesterday Bill Bragg was big text at a baseball game? Say that one again? 
a minor league baseball game decided to have a celebrate the state fair, and they had Bill Bragg make announcements at Big Tech at the baseball game yesterday. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my. Okay, back to our presidential <laughs> quote. Back to the presidential <laughs> quote. <laughs> Speaking of being in trouble. <laughs> Richard Nixon. Yo. Would he say most important of all, doing them will not cost anybody anything? Yeah, well, especially when he cross my heart. he was warning the country against. Yeah, especially when he said, cross my heart. I mean, that, that I can't... I can't cross my heart. Yeah. No, he he was... I, I didn't say this correctly. Let me warn you and let me warn the nation against the smooth evasion that says, mm-hmm. of course we believe these things. I mean, he was mocking the people who say that. Warning Johnson. Darn close. <laughs> In terms of mindset. What? Bill Clinton. Nope. I don't know. It was Franklin Roosevelt. Wow. And what he was doing was warning people, don't buy into this. We'll do a better job. We'll do it. And it won't cost anybody anything. So he, he was using this as a warning to people, don't vote because these people are promising you everything. Right. Don't vote for them. Sure. It was very confusing, wasn't it? I picked a great one. Yeah, you did great. I love the question. I, lo- I love to confuse you. You do very I good. Have confused my- I have confused myself on this one. Oh. That's how pretty can- good. How can you be confused? You're so bright. <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> okay, what's next? Let's see here. Uh, let's go with the first lady quote, question, comments, or whatever category. Or whatever. I have two, one for next week and one for this week. Okay, let me see. Um, let's go with this one. Who was the first first lady to ban all alcoholic beverages in the White House? I want to say Abigail Adams. You know, I think she did. By golly. That's not the answer I have, but <laughs> she may have done that. Okay. Go no, ahead. You no, let me figure out who else. Uh, how about William Harrison? Wife. Hmm. No, she may have done it, but that's not the one. Benjamin Harrison? Okay, who'd you got? I've got, I don't even have her first name. Rutherford B. Hayes' wife. What was her first name? I don't know, but that's a great, great answer. And and the poor lady, she she hosted the first egg roll, the Easter egg roll on the White House lawn, and I don't even know her first name. This is terrible. Oh, okay, so, so so that's something for, for Patricia to look up for next week. Is what is Rutherford B. Hague's wife's name? Mm. <laughs> I'll do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and her spouse was Lucy. I was thinking Lillian, but Lillian was Jimmy Carter's mama's name. Mm. Lucy. Lucy Hayes. Hey. My goodness, he was a stern-looking man. 
By the way, everybody, uh, Lou Costello's daughter, Chris, puts out a monthly newsletter via email on Abbott Costello. And this month, Michael James Casey wrote an article about radio. Abbott Costello and our friend John Wilder, who said me know he wants to be on with Patricia, talk about his new book here fairly soon. Um, wrote, That'll be fun. Wrote, wrote about his portion of the cat. Uh, the kids show and there's pictures and everything. So Martin Graham to put it up on Facebook. So she goes to some of the familiar uh, Facebook areas that do it with uh, old time radio. You'll see the newsletter up there. And if you want it, you can go to abbottcastell.com and sign up and you, you can be get the free newsletter. So just want to send that out there to everybody. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. We love to Her see name is Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's <laughs> good. Very good. Okay, what else did I flop on? Okay, you've still got your stump welding question and your presidential question. Okay, presidential question will be next. Okay. Who was the first president to campaign by telephone? Let's go with Grover Cleveland. No. How about Teddy Roosevelt? No. William McKinley? Yes. Well, how did you come up with him? I thought, I thought, I figured out one you year. You started with Alexander Graham Bell. Yes, yeah, that's what I did. I, I <laughs> figured out really? when he invented the phone, then I said, okay. If he invented the phone in 1881, Grover Cleveland's in office, so we went with that. And, you know, you can't go wrong by throwing Teddy Roosevelt, then you go up earlier because McKinley took over with there before Roosevelt. So that's how we did it. We did good. You didn't take a side road this time. You didn't even take the highway. highway. Okay, that leaves you with your stump Walden question. Oh, yeah. Okay. In, I'm not even going to tell you the year because that might be a giveaway. The dean of... School of Speech at Northwestern University, his name was Ralph Dennis, presented an award to a radio personality, and the award was Master of Innuendo and Snappy Comeback. Who got the award? Now i got to think of what personality would fit that category. <laughs> That's good. Mm. <laughs> I mean, really, that's good. Let's go with Bob Holt. Nope. Master of Innuendo and Snappy Comeback. Jimmy Dorante. No. Fibber McGee. No. You missed my masterful clue. My masterful clue was which radio personality?
Walter Winchell? <laughs> no. Personality covered everything. It was Charlie McCarthy. Ah, uh, I never would have gotten that. That's very good. First degree very given good. to a ventriloquist's dummy. That was cute, and it very was 1938. Nice. Right. Now, if I had said 1938, since you were on a people track, instead of it would help thing, me. That would have helped a me. Thing track, I think it might have helped you. It yeah. would have helped me. Yeah. So I withheld critical information. Yes, you did. You you belong to you you, you we can fill out <laughs> your form. We can fill out your, We can fill out your form to, that you can work for the CIA or the FBI because you were able to withhold, withhold critical information. <laughs> oh, gee. Oh, gee. Anyway, well, well, you no, didn't I'm... ask me my critical question this week. Okay. What was your critical question of the week, my dear? The critical question you were to have asked me was, did you vote? Well, we talked this week several times, and I mm -hmm. knew you were preparing the night before. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have faith that you did it. So did you get it done I before seven o'clock? Do you know how, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, this is a really serious obligation on my part. Yeah. It's a privilege, and I'm ashamed to tell you that in my county, we had a 28% turnout. These are primaries for state and federal Congress. So, Can you imagine? So and my dear... Mm -hmm. Were you one of the twenty-eight percent, or one of the? I was. I was in the twenty-eight percent. Okay. Isn't that shameful? That is absolute. I am so ashamed of my county. Actually, I'm so ashamed in general that we are so cavalier about things that people are dying for in other countries. Mm -hmm. Let me tell what? you how serious. But we do have the freedom not to care, I guess. We have the freedom not to care. But it upsets me that people don't. My, my dad has a theory, and you know, it's been around forever, that most people, if they have their basic necessities met, mm -hmm. they're not going to necessarily care who's running the country. There's, there's no reason for them to get out of their Correct. chairs. You are absolutely right. But I want you to know how, how seriously I take this. Yes. Now, one of the referendums that had to be voted on was whether or not to increase the amount of money that the emergency services in a particular area of my county was getting. They wanted to increase it by a dollar per thousand okay. of the assessed value. Okay. Malden, <laughs> I went to the census, I went to the real estate sites, I got an average price of the home, I got the number of residents in the particular area, and I distilled that to home ownership, it covered houses and condos, and how much the average person would be paying each year in taxes for this particular, it wasn't even my area, I didn't have to vote on it. I didn't know that. But you did it anyway. I did it anyway, and I would have voted no. Yeah. I would have been in the minority, yeah. but I would have voted no. Yeah. And some, so I, it probably, by California standards, <laughs> would make you giggle. 
but a home that had an assessed value of approximately one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, which is, you know, peanuts. And this is the assessed value would wind up paying about four hundred dollars a year. Wow. That's a lot. Just just for emergency services. And that's on top of all of the other taxes that they have to pay. And I thought, no, there's something very wrong here. My my guess is, Patricia, that that home for the 125 pay more in taxes than what we do here for 800,000. Really? Yeah, because, you know, Proposition 13, everything, we've already... Uh, That's right. That's right. You have to buy a house in order to get nailed with with your property taxes. I forgot about Proposition 13. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I had friends, sadly, had to leave the Midwest because the property tax got too high when they retired, so they had to go find a different part of the country. They had to move out of the Midwest because the property taxes got so high. Wow. wow, you, wow, would wow. Think, you would not think that, but the property taxes in Illinois would go over 15000 a year. Wow. My gosh. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, anyway, I appreciate the reminder that it's always a choice whether or not you want to go to the polls. It's just hard for me to recognize that seventy-two percent of our people <laughs> chose not to. Not to. Uh, it's. I don't know. I mean, it's not. It. It would not be considered a huge voting time or or voting system we were voting on primaries for i almost said underlings i don't mean underlings but lesser than presidential candidates so it i guess it it didn't carry the weight that other primaries would or did i don't think we did much better in the presidential primaries it would be interesting and i don't think it would change i think we still have pretty much the same senate if we made it really more convenient if we had it voting from home and if we had it 24 hours a day. Uh, oh, I think we lost Patricia. All right, everybody, give me a second. Jaws Professional Patricia from FLO tab, Skype Trade tab, Online tab, Walton Hill tab, Search Edit, Active, Favorite, Jim Unread Mess, Martin Ed Clue, Patricia from Application, Send, Invite to Enter, Leaving Menus, Contacts List Box, Patricia from FL Home, Phone Number Favorite, 6 of 224, I Patricia from FL Home, Bill Brad, and Call Button. So I, I did too. Clock. I did too. Goodness. Anyway, for, for our poor listeners, I got dropped by Skype because they've got a four-hour limit. Walden can call me back, and I'll be on another four hours, and I will get dropped. But we're usually on top of that. We say, okay, we've got two hours and (laughs) 38 minutes or four hours or three, whatever. Anyway, we didn't do that. No, but I was was saying while you were were disappearing into the ether. I was relaxing, (laughs) yes. I I just... Don't know if we made it more convenient, allow people to vote home, had a 24-hour voting cycle. Would it still be about the same percentage? I, I don't know the answer. Think I think you're on target with that. That was the first thing I thought about when I looked up the numbers from the individual polling areas, and uh, the grand total was 28%. And I thought, 
people could do this like they buy from Amazon. They don't have to get dressed. They don't have to take a shower. They don't have to put shoes on. They can just sit there and order the book or the, the appliance that they want. Why can't we do that with voting? So I'm on your side. I think that's one of the things. I don't know how it would be accomplished. There's got to be a way. Um, but I, I think that would increase the numbers. Maybe it would. And again, maybe it will not. But maybe we can... Maybe I, I can, think it would. You know, maybe we can experiment that in some smaller, yeah. smaller steps just yeah. to see how it turns out. Indeed. And I was so encouraged because when I got to the polling place, it was not after work. It was not... It was maybe 4 or 4.30. And there were quite a few people there. And I thought, wow, this is great. I didn't expect... Well, we didn't. <laughs> I just happened to hit it right. And maybe that my particular district is a little bit more active than some of the others. But it, it would, it would, it's not an easy place to get to. It's, it's a relatively easy place to get to if you're going in the correct direction. But getting out of there... You have to go to a traffic light. You have to go down the road to a traffic light, make a U-turn, or pull into some place and come out. So it's not the most convenient place in the world to have voting. Right. <clears throat> and it's off the main road. You pull into this driveway and you say, where am I? Thank goodness somebody put up signs that said, come this way. Yeah. <laughs> just, or vote here. Oh. The last one said, vote here with an arrow. Um so it, it was not an easy place to get to, and I, I know in my heart people who have had to do this, this is probably the third year, second year or third year that we've had this polling place. And it, it really is a difficult place to get to. That had to have influenced some people. Yeah. You remember the first time you voted? I don't think so. Uh-huh. But I did. Yeah, I, I remember because it was on my 18th birthday. So I definitely... It was really? A big, uh-huh. The what eight, a happy birthday. Yeah, the 84th presidential election, which just, it, you know, the primary fell right on my birthday. So I, I voted. Uh-oh. So I definitely you remember. You got to vote. Yep. How cool. Yep. What a birthday present. Yeah. Yeah. And you... You made numbers better than 72%, right? I sure did. 72% who didn't show up. Yeah, I know. In case anybody knows where I live. I don't know how the state did. I probably should have looked at the state figures instead of the smaller pockets. Well, considering sometimes it takes a while to look those numbers up, maybe by next Saturday you'll be able to figure those out. You can give us a report. I, I think maybe by next Saturday I'll just be so sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean really physically ill. Oh, oh, well. I did my duty. I'm proud of you. Thank you, Walden. This stuff is really important to me. Being an American is important to Patricia. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think... <laughs> I think I've caused enough damage <laughs> that I can be excused, You right? can be excused, and you know what? what? Because we love you so much. Yeah. I'm gonna let you. What? I'm gonna let you take the night off and not do your exercises tonight. <gasps> what about last night? Well, 
I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see the uh, scoop note, so I don't know about that oh, now. Okay, we can't make this retroactive yeah. or get grandfathered yeah. or something. So I'll let well. you. I'll let you. T I'll let you get your book out and read. And while the rest you know of it, the worst, the worst comment you could have made What's is, that? "I'll let you decide that." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that comes. That comes with a built-in guilt system. Nah, yes, I, I, I don't believe in that method. Uh, but it does. I would feel guilty about it. You so should. So we won't mention it. No. <laughs> if we don't talk about it, then I don't have to feel guilty, That's right? right. That's right. Okay. All right. We can do that. Okay. I have to say goodnight, right? Yes, family. Right. Say goodnight to the family. Okay. Good night, family. Thank you for sticking with us and being with us. And gosh, I had a good time tonight. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, hi, everybody. Oops, I knocked out my headset. Yeah, we'll walk over there. Unloading job. Cans. Okay, enter. Soundforge Pro 11.0, Data Wall Tab, JAWS Professional, Windows M. M. Alt Tab. Alt Tab. Alt Tab, JAWS Professional, JAWS Alt Tab, Soundforge Pro 11, Alt Tab, JAWS Professional, M. Windows M. M. Windows M, Desktop, Folder View, M, Microsoft M, My Conference M, My Documents, Enter. File explore N N B C D N new full enter new full documents I blank news folder enter news news nine dash three dash three nine folder news during August of nineteen forty five A B C atomic dash M B S dash twelve dash noon M B S dash December dash M B S dash Gabriel N B C dash report dash August dash news dash for dash August dash news dash for dash August dash seven dash news dash for dash August dash one zero news dash for dash August dash one two dash news dash for dash August dash one two dash one news dash for dash August dash one four dash news dash for dash August dash two five News dash for dash sept minus one dash one nine four five. News dash for dash September dash one dash one nine three nine. News dash for dash September dash two dash one nine three nine. News dash for dash September dash one dash one nine three nine. News dash for dash September dash two dash one nine three nine. News dash for dash September dash two dash one nine four one. News dash for dash September dash three dash one nine three nine. Left parent one right parent. News dash for dash September dash three dash one nine seven four. News dash for dash September dash four dash one nine three nine. VJ dash yesterday. Pay 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 page up. News dash news 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 and MBS MBM atomic pay page up. News nine dash three dash enter nine foreign dash am dash society dash of dash foreign dash policy dash ass dash German dash Soviet dash non dash Hungarian dash radio dash march dash Neville dash Chamberlain dash address dash nov dot two six dash Neville dash Chamberlain dash sept minus one dash one nine three news dash for dash September dash one dash one news dash for dash September dash three dash one nine three nine. I want to play.
one of these two. So we'll fight the first one. Let's share a prayer first, dear Lord. Thank you for the opportunity of being in this country. Look after the needy, the poor, the homeless. Thank you for all the opportunities we have, Lord. Bless Patricia, bless the rest of the family. Look after Jim Taylor, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's see if this is the one we want to play. It's, 20, it's an hour and 20 minutes long, 80 minutes long. It starts out with overseas shortwave coverage. And then we hear FDR. Just a lot of things heard on September 3, 1939, 77 years ago, beginning of World War II in Europe. Unloading job cans. Oak enter nine. This morning at 9 a.m., the British ambassador in Berlin stated in a provocative note that the reply was not received in London by 11 a.m. today. England would regard herself as being in a state of war with Germany. The following memorandum was communicated to the British ambassador. The government of the German Reich has received the ultimatum of the British government of September 3rd, 1939. They have the honor to give the following answer. Firstly, the government of the German Reich and the German people refuse to receive, to accept, or to fulfill ultimate demands of the British government. Secondly, for several months, an actual state of war has reigned at our eastern frontier. After Germany had first been torn asunder by the Versailles Treaty, all German governments were refused any peaceful settlement. The National Socialist government has, since 1933, continually made further attempts to remove, by means of peaceful negotiations, the worst oppressions and violations of law in this treaty. It is above all the British government which has prevented, by their unconciliatory attitude, every practical revision. The German government and the German people are conscious of the fact that without the interference of the British government, a sensible and for both parties satisfactory resolution would have been found between Germany and Poland. Germany had no intention and has never claimed the right to destroy Poland. The right claimed under the revision are those articles of the Versailles Treaty which have been described by reasonable statesmen of all peoples at the time of the compilation of the dictate as intolerable and impossible for all the political and economic interests of Eastern Europe. British statesmen at that time also declared that the solution which was forced upon Germany in the East contained the seeds of further war. To remove this danger was the wish of all German government and especially the intention of the new National Socialist People's Government. It is the fault of the British cabinet policy to have prevented this peaceful revision. Thirdly, the British government has a unique case in history given the Polish state full powers for all action against Germany that this state could contemplate to take. The British government assured the Polish government of their military support in case Germany would defend herself against any provocation or attack. Thereupon, Polish terror against Germans living in the territories torn away from Germany took on insupportable forms. The free city of Danzig was treated unlawfully 
and in violation of all rules of law. First of all, menaced with distraction by economic and custom measures, then surrounded by troops, and finally cut off from all communication. All these actions against the laws of the Danzig Statute were approved by the British government and covered by the blank check given to Poland. The German government, in spite of being deeply moved by the misery of the German population, which they patiently witnessed for five months, that was tortured and inhumanly mishandled by Poland, without once committing a similar aggressive act against Poland. They have only warned Poland that these conditions would permanently be intolerable and that they were determined that in case this population would receive no other assistance, they would be obliged to resort to self-help. All these events were known to the British government in every detail. It would have been very easy for the British government to have used their great influence in Warsaw to exhort Poland's rulers to apply justice and humanity and to fulfill existing obligations. The British government has not done this. On the contrary, emphasizing their duty to assist Poland under all circumstances, they have encouraged the Polish government to continue in their criminal conduct, which endangered the peace of Europe. Animated by this spirit, the British government rejected the proposal of Signor Mussolini, which could have saved the peace of Europe, although the German government was prepared to accept it. The British government must therefore bear the full responsibility for all the unhappiness and sorrow which has already come over many peoples and will continue to do so. Fourthly, after all attempts to find and adopt a peaceful solution were made impossible through the irreconcilable attitude of the Polish government, which was supported by England, after the conditions resembling war which had existed for months on the eastern frontier of the Reich, gradually grew worse till they became open attacks on the territory of the Reich, without the British government having done anything against this state of affairs, the German government decided to end this continual menace, first to the exterior and finally to the interior peace of the German people. This menace was intolerable for a great power with such measures as only remained possible to defend the peace, the security, and the honor of the German government, after the government of the democracies had practically sabotaged all possibilities of a revision. The German government has replied with similar measures to the latest attacks of Poland that menaced the territory of the Reich. The German government is not disposed to tolerate on account of any British designs or obligations such conditions in the East that resemble those which we find in Palestine, which is placed under British protectorate. But above all, the German people will not tolerate being mishandled by Poland. Fifthly, the German government rejects, therefore, the attempts to force Germany by an ultimative demand to withdraw the defense forces which have gone into action in defense of the Reich and to be put in the position of having to tolerate the old unrest and injustice. This threat to wage war against Germany is in accordance with the intentions which numerous British politicians have proclaimed for years. The German government and the German people have assured the English people numberless times how much they desire understanding, yes, even a close friendship. 
The British government has hitherto always rejected these offers and answers them now with an open menace of war. It is not the fault of the German people and of their government. It is exclusively the fault of the British cabinet and those men who have for years preached the gospel of the destruction and extermination of the German people. The German people and their government have not the intention of Great Britain to rule the world. They are determined to defend their own liberty, their independence, and above all, their life. The intention communicated on behalf of the British government by Mr. King Hall that the German people are to be still more suppressed than by the Treaty of Versailles will be duly noticed. We shall therefore answer every offensive of England with the same arms and the same form. Berlin, 3rd of November of September 1939. After this special government's declaration published by the official German news agency, DNB, Deutsches Nachrichtenbüro, we are following with a further appeal of the Führer Chancellor of the Army in Poland. The Führer addressed the following proclamation to the Army in Poland. Men of the Army of the East, for months already, Great Britain has been pursuing her encirclement policy against Germany, a policy well known to us from the time before the Great War. She has tried to make use of all European nations and peoples for this purpose. In this encirclement front, Poland was meant to play a part which was all the more important as the Soviet Union refused to place her own interests behind those of the British Empire. Continual persecutions of the Germans living in Poland and Polish aggression against the free city of Danzig forced me to adopt the necessary measures for securing the integrity of the Reich, first of all on the eastern frontier. The non-aggression and consultation pact concluded with Soviet Russia has united the two biggest and strongest nations of Europe in the wish that their peoples shall never fight against each other again. But Poland, the most important link in the British policy of encirclement and destruction, will be forced to accept our peace terms. Men of the Army of the East, in two days' time we have achieved performances which are looked upon with pride by the whole German nation. I know that you are realizing the greatness of your task and the, that you are giving invaluable services in order to rapidly defeat this first adversary. The Western Wall, which has been completed by making use of all means and huge resources, will in the meantime guard and protect Germany against France and Great Britain. Being a veteran of the Great War, and at the same time your Commander-in-Chief, I am going to join you today in the front. Berlin, September 3rd, 1939, signed Adolf Hitler. The German Air Force has bombarded nothing else but objectives of military importance. The Holy Shrine and the statue of the Madonna are left completely intact. This Polish sensational allegation is an atrocity lie of the worst type. The authorities of German quarters warn everybody concerned, and also as far as propagandistic warfare is concerned, Germany must insist in reciprocal consideration. The British Prime Minister has today formed the so-called War Cabinet. The members appointed so far are Sir John Simon, Lord Chancellor, Lord Halifax, Foreign Secretary, 
Admiral Lord Chatfield, Defence Minister. Winston Churchill, First Lord of the Admiralty. Lord Hanke, Minister without Portfolio. Laura Belisha, War Minister. Sir Kingsley Woods, Air Minister. Sir Samuel Hoare, Lord Privy Seal. The House of Commons will meet on Monday noon to decide on further emergency measures. The House of Lords will also meet tomorrow. The British government has decided to remain in London for the time being, but arrangements have been made to transfer the seat of the government to, in the event of an emergency to a so far undisclosed town. To safeguard the British currency measures, to safeguard the British currency, measures have been taken by the London government taking charge of all holdings of gold and foreign currency. All persons in Great Britain are now compelled to offer their gold and division to the British Treasury. No fresh issues are allowed without the consent of the Treasury. Expenditure on existing engagements is only permitted after evidence has been submitted to the Treasury proving the urgency of the transaction. The Australian government declared a state of war shortly after Chamberlain's speech over the wireless. The Polish state president, by emergency decree, ordered a 20% increase of the Polish income tax. The emergency decree empowers the Minister of Finance to raise the issue of Polish banknotes by 350 million swatties and to close down the banks for seven days. Another Polish emergency decree provides for the establishment of court martials. The interrogation of the first Polish prisoner by the German Army Command reveals the desperate measures adopted by Poland in order to sustain the fighting strength of her soldiers. According to these reports, the Polish commanders have informed their soldiers that the German Army had been ordered not to make any prisoners because Germany could not feed them. Polish prisoners were greatly surprised at the quantity of their daily rations and declared that the quality of the German food was superior to that received by them in the Polish army. The Polish armed forces are devastating the countryside on their retreat with the utmost brutality. Without regard to the population and private property, villages and houses are set afire, dikes are pierced and cattle driven into swamps. According to reports from Bucharest, 1,730 Polish refugees arrived in Romania about Friday evening. In addition, 250 Polish soldiers have since crossed the Polish-Romanian frontier. They are mostly Ukrainians who are fearing persecution by the Poles on account of their nationality. They say the distress and general confusion in Poland has assumed immense proportions. Egypt has declared general mobilization and decreed a state of siege throughout the country. It is reported from Belgrade that agreement was reached last night between Bulgaria, Romania and Yugoslavia to the effect that these countries would maintain strict neutrality towards the great powers. Greece is stated to be about to adhere to this agreement. Yugoslav quarters deny the accuracy of Hungarian wireless reports according to which a block of neutral powers had been formed between Hungary, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia and Romania. According to this Belgrade report, no negotiations have been conducted with a view to creating such a block. The Belgian government has once more officially informed all interested governments that Belgium will remain neutral. The Belgian population received calmly Britain's declaration of war to Germany. 
In Holland, there are movements of strong military detachments in order to safeguard Dutch neutrality, especially along the coast. A neutrality declaration of the government at The Hague was received by the population with considerable satisfaction, although anxiety persisted in regard to the question whether Britain would stand by its promise of neutrality. Minister Starning affirmed in a speech at Copenhagen on Saturday Denmark's determination to observe strict neutrality. Denmark hopes to be able to continue her trade on normal lines. The Finnish government was assured by the German minister in Finland that Poland, that Germany would fully respect the neutrality of the country. An official report from Brussels states, in connection with the Belgian declaration of neutrality, a new hostile action in, in and over the European territory of Belgium, her colonies, mandates, and territorial waters will be permitted, nor may any basis for hostile operations be established on Belgian territory. It is reported from the White House in Washington that the American State Department of Justice has completed a draft of the proclamation announcing the coming into force of the American neutrality law. In the Los Angeles public ledger, Mr. Carter, the well-known American publicist, warns today the American public against being driven into European war by the British propaganda. Mr. Carter reminds the American people that it could hardly be said to be compatible with democratic principles if 40 million Englishmen ruled a population of 400 million of alien people. Neither can the means by which this English rule was established be called just or justified, writes Mr. Carter. It is reported from Tokyo that the Japanese ambassador in Moscow, Mr. Togo, has been instructed to make contact with the Kremlin in order to settle the noble hand incident for diplomatic channels. The German Air Force has bombarded nothing else but objectives of military importance. The Holy Shrine and the statue of the Madonna are left completely intact. This Polish sensational allegation is an atrocity lie of the worst type. The authorities of German quarters warn everybody concerned, and also as far as propagandistic warfare is concerned, Germany must insist in reciprocal considerations. The British Prime Minister has today formed the so-called War Cabinet. The members appointed so far are Sir John Simon, Lord Chancellor, Lord Halifax, Foreign Secretary, Admiral Lord Chatfield, Defence Minister, Winston Churchill, First Lord of the Admiralty, Lord Hanke, Minister Without Portfolio, Horror Belisha, War Minister, Sir Kingsley Woods, Air Minister, Sir Samuel Hoare, Lord Privy Seal. The House of Commons will meet on Monday noon to decide on further emergency measures. The House of Lords will also meet tomorrow. The British government has decided to remain in London for the time being, but arrangements have been made to transfer the seat of the government in the event of an emergency to a so far undisclosed town. To safeguard the British currency measures, to safeguard the British currency, measures have been taken by the London government taking charge of all holdings of gold and foreign currency. All persons in Great Britain are now compelled to offer their gold and division to the British Treasury. No fresh issues are allowed without the consent of the Treasury. Expenditure on existing engagements is only permitted 
after evidence has been submitted to the Treasury proving the urgency of the transaction. The Australian government declared a state of war shortly after Chamberlain's speech over the wireless. The Polish state president, by emergency decree, ordered a 20% increase of the Polish income tax. The emergency decree empowers the Minister of Finance to raise the issue of Polish banknotes by 350 million swatties and to close down the banks for seven days. Another Polish emergency decree provided for the establishment of court martials. The interrogation of the first Polish prisoner by the German Army Command revealed the desperate measures adopted by Poland in order to sustain the fighting strength of her soldiers. According to these reports, the Polish commanders have informed their soldiers that the German army had been ordered not to make any prisoners because Germany could not feed them. Polish prisoners were greatly surprised at the quantity of their daily rations and declared that the quality of the German food was superior to that received by them in the Polish army. The Polish armed forces are devastating the countryside on their retreat with the utmost brutality. Without regard to the population and private property, villages and houses are set afire, dikes are pierced, and cattle driven into swamps. According to reports from Bucharest, 1,730 Polish refugees arrived in Romania by Friday evening. In addition, 250 Polish soldiers have since crossed the Polish-Romanian frontier. They are mostly Ukrainians who are fearing persecution by the Poles on account of their nationality. They say the distress and general confusion in Poland has assumed immense proportions. Egypt has declared general mobilization and decreed a state of siege throughout the country. It is reported from Belgrade that agreement was reached last night between Bulgaria, Romania and Yugoslavia to the effect that these countries would maintain strict neutrality toward the great powers. Greece is stated to be about to adhere to this agreement. Yugoslav quarters deny the accuracy of Hungarian wireless reports according to which a block of neutral powers had been formed between Hungary, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, and Romania. According to this Belgrade report, no negotiations have been conducted with a view to creating such a bloc. The Belgian government has once more officially informed all interested governments that Belgium will remain neutral. The Belgian population received calmly Britain. In Holland, there are movements of strong military detachments in order to safeguard Dutch neutrality, especially along the coast. A neutrality declaration of the government at The Hague was received by the population with considerable satisfaction, although anxiety persisted in regard to the question whether Britain would stand by its promise of neutrality. Minister Starning affirmed in a speech at Copenhagen on Saturday Denmark's determination to observe strict neutrality. Denmark hopes to be able to continue her trade on normal lines. The Finnish government was assured by the German minister in Finland that Poland, that Germany would fully respect the neutrality of the country. An official report from Brussels states, in connection with the Belgian declaration of neutrality, a new hostile action in, in and over the European territory of Belgium, her colonies, mandates and territorial waters will be permitted, nor may any basis for hostile operations be established on Belgian territory. It is reported from the White House in Washington 
that the American State Department of Justice has completed the draft of the proclamation announcing the coming into force of the American Neutrality Law. In the Los Angeles Public Ledger, Mr. Carter, the well-known American publicist, warns today the American public against being driven into European war by the British propaganda. Mr. Carter reminds the American people that it could hardly be said to be compatible with democratic principles if 40 million Englishmen ruled a population of 400 million of alien people. Neither can the means by which this English rule was established be called just or justified, writes Mr. Carter. It is reported from Tokyo that the Japanese ambassador in Moscow, Mr. Togo, has been instructed to make contact with the Kremlin in order to settle the normal hand incident through diplomatic channels. Amnesty of Friends and Listeners in Faraway Africa concludes the Sunday program from Berlin. You have been listening to our latest news services in German and they are for English. It's now exactly 10.24 p.m. Berlin time. 10.24 p.m. Berlin time. We are now going to say goodbye to you and good night. We are signing off stations DJC, DJD, DJL, and Nick on the 49, 25, 19, and 31 meter band. We are calling back again tomorrow morning at 10 minutes past 6 a.m. at the usual time, and late in the afternoon at 4.40 p.m. Berlin time. We are now following up with a review of the week and the first news bulletin in English. Dear listeners, the British encirclement policy, which has as its aim the eternal upholding of the Versailles injustice to Germany, has plunged Europe into a new crisis, a crisis which is more serious than the tension which arose when Austria and the Sudetenland were returned to the Reich. The British blank check to the Poles was utilized as a signal for unheard-of provocation of Germany. The Warsaw government steadfastly rejected the German suggestion, and the chauvinism organized in the Polish army did the rest. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the Polish insurgents, supported by regular troops, carried their terrorism over onto German territory a terrorism which up to that time had been applied only to German nationals living in Poland. The numbers of incendiary attacks, bomb outrages, and even shootings committed by the Poles on Reich territory would fill the pages of a blue book. But nevertheless, the Fuhrer did not immediately retaliate. The German government waited 48 hours for a Polish negotiator. England had promised her services in establishing a basis for negotiations. But, as a matter of fact, the Polish government neither considered it necessary to negotiate directly with the Fuhrer, nor did England feel called upon to utter even one conciliatory word in Warsaw. The spirit which prevails in Warsaw political circles is not new to us, but we are grateful to President Mosicki of Poland that he has once more clearly expressed his own and his colleagues' two opinions. He said literally, Germany is our eternal enemy. Let us regard the German-Polish relationship from the historical angle. In the last hundred years, Germany has done nothing to harm the Polish people. The Poles in Germany have never been suppressed or persecuted. After the collapse of Tsarist Russia, when the question of the establishment of a Polish state became acute, it was influential German circles which supported this struggle. 
And then, as the realization of the plan became imminent, the Poles showed their true character. Through the terms of Versailles, they demanded not only those territories inhabited by Poles, but also German provinces and the corridor. And it must be said here that Mr. Wilson's 14 points did not include a promise to Poland, either by the Allies or by England, of a corridor to the Baltic Sea. Poland was only supposed to be given a free and safe access to the sea. Polish intrigue and French support finally brought about the victory of Wilson's 14 points. One re week ago, in our review of the week, we mentioned the foreign statesmen and generals who in the passage of time recognized and warned against the dangers of the corridor. Marshal Falk was right after all when he said that the roots of the next war lay in the corridor. In the words of the former French chief of staff, General Vigan, concerning the corridor, had proved all too true by the steady advance of the German troops. General Vigan said of the corridor, useless in peace, indefensible in war. President Motiki seems to confuse cause and effect when he considers Germany the final enemy of Poland. East Prussia was separated from the Rhine by the corridor by means of brutal exploitation of German weakness in 1919. The existence of the corridor and Polish refusal to agree peacefully with Germany are the reasons for the conflict which has now started. The report that London knew nothing of the Fuhrer's generous suggestions is naturally only part of the British lying agitation. The fact is that the British ambassador, Sir Neville Henderson, was informed in detail of the exact text of the 16 points contained in the German offer. Warsaw also learned of these suggestions through the British. Of this, there can be no doubt. The correspondent of the, Lady, of the London Daily Express, Sefton Delma, reported to his newspaper on Wednesday evening from Warsaw that the spokesman of the Polish Foreign Office declared that the German suggestions were unacceptable to Poland. The Petit Parisien, organ of the French Foreign Ministry, also reported from Warsaw that Poland had resolved not to send a negotiator to Berlin after having been informed of the Fuhrer's suggestions. And then finally, the Polish government broadcast an announcement from Warsaw Station Thursday night saying that these suggestions were absolutely out of the question. We thoroughly understand London's desperate attempt to get out of the cul de sac. For one thing we are sure of, the historians who may seek to find the reason for the German-Polish conflict will not have such a difficult task as their colleagues who tried to establish reasons for the World War of 1914-1918. Today there is nothing to hide. England whipped up the Poles into a frenzy of resistance, and the blank check promising assistance bears the signature of Chamberlain. England's responsibility, however, is still greater. It was an English government which signed the Versailles Dictate. It was England who helped the Poles to annex the corridor area. Now, 20 years later, the seed which was sown then is being harvested. Once again, it is the British government which is supporting these abominable political conditions. And now, the latest news from Berlin. The Deutsche Nachrichtenbüro publishes the following statement. The British government have, in a note addressed to the German government, put forward the demand that the German government should withdraw all German troops to the positions 
from which they had advanced into Poland. This morning at 9 a.m., the British ambassador in Berlin stated in a provocative note that if a satisfactory reply was not received in London by 11 a.m. today, England would regard herself as being in a state of war with Germany. The following memorandum was communicated to the British ambassador. The government of the German Reich has received the ultimatum of the British government of September the 3rd, 1939. They have the honor to give the following answer. The government of the German Reich and the German people refuse to receive, to accept, or to fulfill automated demands of the British government. For several months, an actual state of war has reigned at our eastern frontier. After Germany had first been torn asunder by the Versailles Treaty, all German governments were refused any peaceful settlement. The National Socialist government has since 1933 continually made further attempts to remove, by means of peaceful negotiations, the worst oppressions and violations of law in this treaty. It is above all the British government which is prevented by their unconciliatory attitude, every practical revision. The German government and the German people are conscious of the fact that without the interference of the British government, a sensible and for both parties satisfactory solution would have been found between Germany and Poland. Germany had no intention and had never claimed the right to destroy Poland. The right claimed only the revision of those articles of the treaty which have been described by reasonable statesmen of all peoples at the time of the com compilation of the dictate as intolerable and impossible for all the political and economic interests of Eastern Europe. British statesmen at the time also declared that the solution which was forced upon Germany in the East contained the seeds of further wars. To remove this danger was the wish of all German governments, and especially the intention of the new National Socialist People's Government. It is the fault of the British cabinet policy to have prevented this peaceful revision. The Führer addressed the following proclamation of the Army of Poland, Army in Poland. Men of the Eastern Army, for months, Great Britain has been pursuing her encirclement policy against Germany, a policy well known to us from the time before the Great War. She has tried to make use of all European nations and peoples for this purpose. In this encirclement front, Poland was meant to play a part which was all the more important as the Soviet Union refused to place her own interests behind those of the British Empire. then surrounded by troops, and finally cut off from all communication. Dear listeners, the British encirclement policy, which has the same eternal upholding of the Versailles injustice to Germany, has plunged Europe into a new crisis, a crisis which is more serious than the tension which arose when Austria and the Sudetenland were returned to the Reich. The British blank check to the Poles was utilized as a signal for unheard of provocation of Germany. The Warsaw government steadfastly rejected the German suggestion, and the chauvinism organized in the Polish army did the rest. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the Polish insurgents, 
supported by regular troops, carried that terrorism over onto German territory. A terrorism which up to that time had been applied only to German nationals living in Poland. The numbers of incendiary attacks, bomb outrages, and even shootings committed by the Poles on Reich territory would fill the pages of a blue book. But nevertheless, the Fuhrer did not immediately retaliate. The German government waited 48 hours for a Polish negotiator. England had promised her services in establishing a basis for negotiations. But, as a matter of fact, the Polish government neither considered it necessary to negotiate directly with the Fuhrer, nor did England feel called upon to utter even one conciliatory word in Warsaw. The spirit which prevails in Warsaw political circles is not new to us, but we are grateful to President Morsicki of Poland that he has once more clearly expressed his own and his colleagues' true opinions. He said literally, Germany is our eternal enemy. Let us regard the German-Polish relationship from the historical angle. In the last hundred years, Germany has done nothing to harm the Polish people. The Poles in Germany have never been suppressed or persecuted. After the collapse of Tsarist Russia, when the question of the establishment of a Polish state became acute, it was influential German circles which supported this struggle. And then, as the realization of the plan became imminent, the Poles showed their true character. Through the terms of Versailles, they demanded not only those territories inhabited by Poles, but also German provinces and the corridor. And it must be said here that Mr. Wilson's 14 points did not include a promise to Poland, either by the Allies or by England of a corridor to the Baltic Sea. Poland was only supposed to be given a free and safe access to the sea. Polish intrigue and French support finally brought about the victory of Wilson's 14 points. One re week ago, in our review of the week, we mentioned the foreign statesmen and generals who, in the passage of time, recognized and warned against the dangers of the corridor. Marshal Falk was right, after all, when he said, that the roots of the next war lay in the corridor. In the words of the former French chief of staff, General Weigand, concerning the corridor, had proved all too true by the steady advance of the German troops. General Weigand said of the corridor, useless in peace, indefensible in war. President Mortiki seems to confuse cause and effect when he considers Germany the final enemy of Poland. East Prussia was separated from the Rhine by the corridor by means of brutal exploitation of German weakness in 1919. The existence of the corridor and Polish refusal to agree peacefully with Germany are the reasons for the conflict which has now started. The report that London knew nothing of the Fuhrer's generous suggestions is naturally only part of the British lying agitation. The fact is that the British ambassador, Sir Neville Henderson, was informed in detail of the exact text of the 16 points contained in the German offer. Warsaw also learned of these suggestions through the British. Of this, there can be no doubt. The correspondent of the, Lely, of the London Daily Express, Sefton Delma, reported to his newspaper on Wednesday evening from Warsaw that the spokesman of the Polish Foreign Office declared that the German suggestions were unacceptable to Poland. 
Petit Parisien, organ of the French Foreign Ministry, also reported from Warsaw that Poland had resolved not to send a negotiator to Berlin after having been informed of the Fuhrer's suggestions. And then finally, the Polish government broadcast an announcement from Warsaw Station Thursday night saying that these suggestions were absolutely out of the question. We thoroughly understand London's desperate attempt to get out of the cul de sac. For one thing we are sure of, the historians who may seek to find the reason for the German-Polish conflict will not have such a difficult task as their colleagues who tried to establish reasons for the World War of 1914 to 1918. Today there is nothing to hide. England whipped up the Poles into a frenzy of resistance, and the blank check promising assistance bears the signature of Chamberlain. England's responsibility, however, is still greater. It was an English government which signed the Versailles Dictate. It was England who helped the Poles to annex the corridor area. Now, 20 years later, the seed which was sown then is being harvested. Once again, it is the British government which is supporting these abominable political conditions. And now, the latest news from Berlin. The Deutsche Nachrichtenbüro publishes the following statement. The British government have, in a note addressed to the German government, put forward the demand that the German government should withdraw all German troops to the positions from which they had advanced into Poland. This morning at 9 a.m., the British ambassador in Berlin stated in a provocative note but if a satisfactory reply was not received in London by 11 a.m. today, England would regard herself as being in a state of war with Germany. The following memorandum was communicated to the British ambassador. The government of the German Reich has received the ultimatum of the British government of September the 3rd, 1939. They have the honor to give the following answer. The government of the German Reich and the German people refuse to receive, to accept, or to fulfill automated de demands of the British government. For several months, an actual state of war has reigned at our eastern frontier. After Germany had first been torn asunder by the Versailles Treaty, all German governments were refused any peaceful settlement. The National Socialist government has since 1933 continually made further attempts to remove, by means of peaceful negotiations, the worst oppressions and violations of law in this treaty. It is above all the British government which is prevented by their unconciliatory attitude every practical revision. The German government and the German people are conscious of the fact that without the interference of the British government, a sensible and for both parties, satisfactory solution would have been found between Germany and Poland. Germany had no intention and had never claimed the right to destroy Poland. The Reich claimed only the revision of those articles of the treaty which have been described by reasonable statesmen of all peoples at the time of the comp compilation of the diktat as intolerable and impossible for all the political and economic interests of Eastern Europe. British statesmen at the time also declared that the solution which was forced upon Germany in the East contained the seeds of further wars. To remove this danger was the wish of all German governments, and especially the intention of the new National Socialist People's Government. 
It is the fault of the British cabinet policy to have prevented this peaceful revision. The British government has a unique case in history. Given the Polish state full powers for all action against Germany, that this state could contemplate the take. The British government assured the Polish government of their military support in case Germany would defend herself against any provocation or attack. Thereupon, Polish terror against Germans in the territory torn away from Germany took on insupportable forms. The Fuhrer addressed the following proclamation to the Army of Poland, Army in Poland. Men of the Eastern Army, for months Great Britain has been pursuing her encirclement policy against Germany, a policy well known to us from the time before the Great War. She has tried to make use of all European nations and people for this purpose. In this encirclement front, Poland was meant to play a part which was all the more important as the Soviet Union refused to place her own interests behind those of the British Empire. Continued persecutions of the Germans living in Poland and Polish aggression against the free city of Danzig forced me to adopt the necessary measures for securing the integrity of the Reich, first of all on the eastern frontier. The non-aggression and consultation pact concluded with Soviet Russia has united two of the biggest and strongest nations of Europe and I wish that their people shall never again fight against each other. But Poland, the most important link in the British encirclement and destruction policy, will be forced to accept our peace terms. In two days, you have achieved performances which are looked upon with pride by the whole German nation. I know that you are realizing the greatness of your task and that you are giving invaluable services in order to rapidly defeat this first adversary. The Western Wall, which has been completed by making use of all means and huge resources, will in the meantime guard and protect Germany against France and Great Britain. Being a veteran of the Great War, and at the same time your Commander-in-Chief, I am going to join you today on the front. Signed, Adolf Hitler, Berlin, September the 3rd, 1939. In an appeal, Addressed to the German nation, the Führer said Britain's balance of power policy had singled out Germany once more as the victim of the Western encirclement drive. Despite numerous offers of understanding made by Germany, Britain opposed all progress made by this country. On the contrary, Poland was instigated to refuse a peaceful settlement. The German nation is a nation, is a people of 90 millions who did not gain their living space by wars of conquest, as was done by Britain. The Fuhrer does not blame the British people as a whole for what has come to pass, but the Jewish clique and the democratic encirclers who are misguiding their peoples. The Fuhrer also announces that legal measures will prevent anyone in Germany from making excessive earnings while the soldier is fighting at the front. In an appeal to the soldiers of the Western Army, the Fuhrer says that the British government has at last dropped its mask in order to declare war on a flimsy pretext. Although Germany was making no claims upon any other state in the West, 
Although Germany asked for no territorial revisions in these areas, although Germany had often proposed loyal understanding and friendship to Great Britain and France alike. German troops in Poland succeeded in crossing the Vistula east of Plaids. Polish fortifications south of Nikolai were taken. In an air battle over Warsaw, seven Polish planes and a Polish balloon were shot down, while the German Air Force suffered no losses. After the occupation of Cheshen Tokau, the German troops took the town of Radomsko. The Polish radio stations on Sunday morning broadcasted the assertions that German airplanes had wantonly bombarded Cheshova, the famous Polish place of pilgrimage. The holy shrine and the statue of the Madonna, so the Warsaw station ledges were destroyed. At the time when the Warsaw radio station made this assertion, the city of Cheshova was already in the hands of German troops. The German Air Force bombarded nothing but objectives of military importance. The holy shrine and the statue of the Madonna are left completely intact. This Polish sensational allegation is an atrocity lie of the worst type. The authoritative German quarters warn everybody concerned that also as far as propagandistic warfare is concerned, Germany must insist on reciprocal consideration. The British Prime Minister has today formed a so-called war cabinet. The members appointed so far are Sir John Simon, Lord Halifax, Admiral Lord Chatfield, Winston Churchill, Lord Hankey, or Alicia, Sir Kingsley Wood, Sir Hamill Hoare. The titles are as follows. Sir John Simon, Lord Chancellor, Lord Halifax, Foreign Secretary, Admiral Lord Chatfield, Defense Minister, Winston Churchill, First Lord of the Admiralty, Lord Hankey, Minister Without Portfolio, or Alicia, War Minister, Sir Kingsley Wood, Air Minister, Sir Samuel Hoare, Lord Privy Seal. The House of Commons will meet on Monday noon to decide on further emergency measures. The House of Lords will also meet tomorrow. The British government has decided to remain in London for the time being, but arrangements have been made to transfer the seat of the government in the event of an emergency to a town which has been undisclosed so far. The fear in the presence of the right Foreign Minister received on Sunday at the Chancellery at noon the newly appointed ambassador of the Soviet Union, Ms. Mr. Alexander Shvastev, who was accompanied by the Soviet Russian military attaché. A lengthy conversation took place after the ambassador had presented his credentials. It is reported from the White House in Washington that the American State Department of Justice has completed the draft of the proclamation announcing the coming into force of the American Neutrality Law. Mr. Chamberlain pointed out that things would have gone in a different way if there had been a disposition for a friendly settlement. The Prime Minister then repeated what he had previously said in the House of Commons. Namely, that the German proposals for an equitable settlement of the Baltic and the corridor problems were not pre presented in due time either to Poland or Great Britain. 
After stating that, in the opinion of the British government, the way of doing of the German dictator had become unbearable, Mr. Chamberlain exhorted all classes of the population to cooperate for the civil defense and concluded, May God bless us and may he assist us in the defense of our rights. Mr. Chamberlain's broadcast was dramatically interrupted by the sudden blast of sirens which sounded an air attack alarm in all sections of London. Mad rush to shelters ensued everywhere. Thousands of people fleeing from their homes for safety. Streets were completely empty in less than ten minutes. Shortly thereafter, the alarm sounds were stopped, but a few minutes later a second was given with the same scene as being renewed. London. The House of Commons met at noon sharp. Prime Minister Chamberlain made a brief speech in which he repeated the statement he had made from that ten Downing Street. He added that just that moment the French ambassador to Berlin was making to the German Foreign Office a communication similar to that made by the British ambassador. The time limit set limit fixed at five o'clock this afternoon. Lord Halifax made the same communication to the House of Lords. Sorry. An official communique issued at 5.30 this afternoon said that, in consequence of the negative answer of the German government to the request of the French government to suspend the hostilities in Poland, France considered herself in a state of war with Germany beginning at 5 o'clock, September the 3rd, 1939. The communique reaffirmed Germany's responsibility, recalling that France was in the necessity of entering a war in defense of her rights and in consequence of our obligations towards Poland. Paris. In a broadcast speech tonight, Premier Deladier announced the start of war against Germany and absolved France from any blame for it. I quote, All efforts have been done by France to avert this war, he said. The Chancellor Hitler has spurned our office for a peaceful settlement. Now it is only a question of defending our home and safeguarding our future. Berlin. The British and French ambassadors called at the Foreign Office at 10 and 11 o'clock this morning, respectively, to withdraw their passports. They are leaving tomorrow morning. At 11.30, the new Russian ambassador presented his credentials to the Führer in the presence of Minister von Riebenstahl. Paris. The staff of the German embassy in Paris received their passports this morning, this evening, I beg your pardon, and left via Belgium. The protection of the French interest in Germany has been taken over by the United States. Berlin. An official statement issued tonight stated that a note having the character of an ultimatum was presented by the British ambassador at 9 o'clock this morning. The note demanded the withdrawal of the German troops from the Polish territory and stated that if a favorable answer had not been given by 11 o'clock, Great Britain would consider herself in a state of war with Germany. A memorandum was signed and applied to the British ambassador in which it was said that the Reich government and the German people refused to receive demands having the character of an ultimatum from the British government. The statement goes on by blaming England for determining the present situation through her unjustified encouragement to Poland. It concludes, I quote, The threat of marching against Germany confirms, after all, the determination held for several years by many British statesmen. Unquote. Berlin. The third war communique issued by the German Grand Headquarters says, I quote, Yesterday afternoon and this morning, the German troops have continued their successful advance on all fronts, penetrating into the Polish territory for a great depth. Sintokau has been occupied. Westward, as we at Wielun, the Warta River has been crossed. An attempt by the Polish units, which are cut off in the corridor to break through southward, has been repulsed. 
that has fallen into our hands. As a result of their decisive use, the divisions of the two air fleets which were thrown against Poland are in full control of Poland's air and now ready for new trials in their bases. The other air formations which have not yet been used are waiting orders in their respective bases. The German troops also occupied Rodom. We crossed the Vistola eastwards of Plath. Our troops are nearing the fortifications which are southward of Nikolai. In an aerial combat over Warsaw, our flyers shot down seven Polish airplanes and one balloon without sustaining any loss. Unquote. Berlin. It was announced this afternoon that as a result of careful checking with German air forces, Forrest has shot down or destroyed by bomb 120 Polish airplanes on September the 1st and 2nd. The German losses, contrarily to what has been affirmed abroad, amount to 21 airplanes. The Reich's air has not been violated so far. Berlin. Chancellor Hitler left Berlin for the Polish front today. This announcement was given by the Führer himself in a proclamation to the armies of the Western Front. I quote, As before and as after the Great War, England has continued in her policy of attempting to encircle Germany, the proclamation said. In spite of the fact, the proclamation goes on, that Germany has made no claims to the Western powers, and despite her repeated offers of friendship and understanding to them, the British government, spurred on by war seekers, has dropped its mask and has decided, by flimsy pretext, to proclaim a state of war against Germany. For months, the German government has been supporting Poland's aggression against the life and security of the German population and against the city of Danzig, with a promise of helping her should Germany be compelled to defend herself. Since Poland, in view of these promises, has even started attacking the right territory, I have come to the decision of breaking this encirclement. The non-aggression and the consultation pact with Soviet Russia afford us the certainty of a peaceful understanding with this great country of Eastern Europe. For the past two days, the German armies, as a counter-reply to Polish aggression, are fighting with the objective of establishing a peace which should ensure the existence and the liberty of the German people. In the first 48 hours of fighting, the action of these armies has met with success everywhere. Though only a small part of our air force has been used on the Eastern Front, it has already gained the control of the air in Poland fully. Comrades of the Western Front, the German people, and your comrades of the Eastern Front expect that you will defend, as an impregnable steel and iron bullet, the frontier of the Reich within that fortified belt, which is a hundred times stronger than the never-bent Western Front in the last war. If you will do your duty, the fighting on the Eastern Front will be successfully brought to conclusion within a few weeks. Afterwards, you will have behind you the might of a country 90 million people strong. In my quality as a soldier of the World War, I am going today with full confidence in you to the Eastern Front. The enemy plutocracies will find before them a Germany far different from that of 1914. Unquote. That was a speech of Hitler. In another proclamation to the armies of the Eastern Front, the Fuhrer said in part, in only two days you have performed feats which make the whole of Germany proud. I know you are conscious of the great task entrusted to you and will do your best to bend the enemy speedily. The Siegfried Line, built with powerful means, will protect Germany against any attack by France and England. 
As a veteran of the World War and as a supreme commander of the German Armed Forces, I'm leaving for the front today. Unquote. Rome. The blackout experiments, which were started in the main cities of Italy on August the 29th, have been suspended. Only a reduced scale illumination will be in effect. Dancing halls throughout Italy will be closed beginning tomorrow. London. The British cabinet has been reconstructed. It will be called henceforward a war cabinet. The new members included in the government are Winston Churchill and Anthony Eden. The former has been named First Lord of the Admiralty and the latter Dominion Secretary. Mr. Sinclair, leader of the Liberal opposition, refused to accept the post in the cabinet on the grounds that he and his party would be in a position to best serve the country in the present circumstances in an independent position. From the Oval Room located in the White House in Washington, D.C., the President of the United States is about to address the people of the American nation. Closely in touch with events abroad, the President has been constantly alert to this nation's welfare. This address by the President of the United States will be heard not only through the stations affiliated with this network, but will also be broadcast by our shortwave outlet, W1XAL, to Europe and to South America. The President is now waiting to make a statement to the American people. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My countrymen and my friends, tonight my single duty is to speak to the whole of America. Until 4.30 o'clock this morning, I had hoped against hope that some miracle would prevent a devastating war in Europe and bring to an end the invasion of Poland by Germany. For four long years, a succession of actual wars and constant crises have shaken the entire world and have threatened in each case to bring on the gigantic conflict, which is today unhappily a fact. It is right that I should recall to your mind the consistent and at times successful efforts of your government in these crises to throw the full weight of the United States into the cause of peace. In spite of spreading wars, I think that we have every right and every reason to maintain as a national policy the fundamental moralities the teachings of religion, the continuation of efforts to restore peace. Because someday, though the time may be distant, we can be of even greater help to a crippled humanity. It is right, too, to point out that the unfortunate events of these recent years have, without question, been based on the use of force or the threat of force. And it seems to me clear, even at the outbreak of this great war, that the influence of America should be consistent in seeking for humanity a final peace which will eliminate, as far as it is possible to do so, the continued use of force between nations. It is, of course, impossible to predict the future. I have my constant stream of information from American representatives and other sources throughout the world. 
You, the people of this country, are receiving news through your radios and your newspapers at every hour of the day. You are, I believe, the most enlightened and the best informed people in all the world at this moment. You are subjected to no censorship of news, and I want to add that your government has no information which it withholds or which it has any thought of withholding from you. At the same time, as I told my press conference on Friday, it is of the highest importance that the press and the radio use the utmost caution to discriminate between actual verified facts on the one hand and mere rumor on the other. I can add to that by saying that I hope the people of this country will also discriminate most carefully between news and rumor. Do not believe of necessity everything you hear or read. Check up on it first. You must master at the, at the outset a simple but unalterable fact in modern relations between nations. When peace has been broken anywhere, the peace of all countries everywhere is in danger. It is easy for you and for me to shrug our shoulders and say that conflict taking place thousands of miles from the continental United States, and indeed thousands of miles from the whole American hemisphere, do not seriously affect the Americas, and that all the United States has to do is to ignore them and go about its own business. Passionately, though we may desire detachment, we are forced to realize that every word that comes through the air, every ship that sails the sea, every battle that is fought, does affect the American future. Let no man or woman, thoughtlessly or falsely, talk of America sending its armies to European fields. At this moment, there is being prepared a proclamation of American neutrality. This would have been done even if there had been no neutrality statute on the books. For this proclamation is in accordance with international law and in accordance with American policy. This will be followed by a proclamation required by the existing Neutrality Act. And I trust that in the days to come, our neutrality can be made a true neutrality. It is of the utmost importance that the people of this country, with the best information in the world, think things through. The most dangerous enemies of American peace are those who, without well-rounded information on the whole broad subject of the past, the present, and the future, undertake to speak with assumed authority, to talk in terms of glittering generalities, to give to the nation assurances or prophecies which are of little present or future value. I myself cannot and do not prophesy 
the course of events abroad. And the reason is that, is that because I have of necessity such a complete picture of what is going on in every part of the world that I do not dare to do so. And the other reason is that I think it is honest for me to be honest with the people of the United States. I cannot prophesy the immediate economic effect of this new war on our nation, but I do say that no American has the moral right to profiteer at the expense either of his fellow citizens or of the men, the women, and the children who are living and dying in the midst of war in Europe. Some things we do know. Most of us in the United States believe in spiritual values. Most of us, regardless of what church we belong to, believe in the spirit of the New Testament, a great teaching which opposes itself to the use of force, of armed force, of marching armies and falling bombs. The overwhelming masses of our people seek peace, peace at home, and the kind of peace in other lands which will not jeopardize our peace at home. We have certain ideas and certain ideals of national safety, and we must act to preserve that safety today and to preserve the safety of our children in future years. That safety is and will be bound up with the safety of the Western Hemisphere and of the seas adjacent thereto. We seek to keep war from our own fireside by keeping war from coming to the Americas. For that we have historic precedent that goes back to the days of the administration of President George Washington. It is serious enough and tragic enough to every American family in every state in the Union to live in a world that is torn by wars on other continents. And those wars today affect every American home. It is our national duty to use every effort to keep those wars out of the America. And at this time, let me make the simple plea that partisanship and selfishness be adjourned and that national unity be the thought that underlies all others. This nation will remain a neutral nation, but I cannot ask that every American remain neutral in thought as well. Even a neutral has a right to take account of facts. Even a neutral cannot be asked to close his mind or close his conscience. I have said not once, but many times, that I have seen war and that I hate war. I say that 
again and again. I hope the United States will keep out of this war. I believe that it will. And I give you assurance and reassurance that every effort of your government will be directed toward that end. As long as it remains within my power to prevent, there will be no blackout of peace in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard an address by Franklin D. Roosevelt, President of the United States, emanating from the Oval Room in the White House in Washington, D.C. This message from the President, in addition to being heard over the stations of this great network, were also broadcast via shortwave station W1XAL to Europe and South America. The presidential message was brought to this nationwide audience through the facilities of WOL Washington and was announced by Walter Compton. We return you to our Washington studios. The Right Honorable W.L. Mackenzie King, Prime Minister of Canada, and the Right Honorable Ennis LaPointe, Minister of Justice, speaking from Ottawa. The Right Honorable Mackenzie King, Premier Minister of Canada, and the Right Honorable Ernest LaPointe, Minister of Justice, parlant d'Ottawa, Premier Minister. The Prime Minister. For months, indeed for years, the shadow of impending conflict in Europe has been ever present. Through these troubled years, no stone has been left unturned, no road unexplored in the patient search for peace. Unhappily for the world, Herr Hitler and the Nazi regime in Germany have persisted in their attempt to extend their control over other peoples and countries and to pursue their aggressive designs in wanton disregard of all treaty obligations and peaceful methods of adjusting international disputes. They have had resort increasingly to agencies of deception, terrorism, and violence. It is this reliance upon force, this lust for conquest, this determination to dominate throughout the world, which is the real cause of the war that today threatens the freedom of mankind. The fate of a single city, the preservation of the independence of a particular nation, are the occasion, not the real cause, of the present conflict. The forces of evil have been loosed in the world in a struggle between the pagan conception of a social order which ignores the individual and is based upon the doctrine of might, and the civilizations based upon the Christian conception of the brotherhood of man with its regard for the sanctity of contractual relations and the sacredness of human personality. As President Roosevelt said on opening Congress on January the 4th, there comes a time in the affairs of men when they must prepare to defend not their homes alone, but the tenets of faith and humanity on which their churches, their governments, and their very civilization are founded. The defense of religion, of democracy, and of good faith among nations is all the same fight. To save one, we must make up our minds to save all. This, I believe, is the position in which all nations that cherish free institutions, individual liberty, and social justice find themselves today. I need not review the events of the last few days. They must be present in the minds of all. 
Despite her unceasing efforts to preserve the freedom of Europe, the United Kingdom has today, in the determination to honor her pledges and meet her treaty obligations, become involved in war. This morning, the king, speaking to his peoples at home and across the sea, appealed to all to make their own the cause of freedom which Britain again has taken up. Canada has already answered that call. On Friday last, the government, speaking on behalf of the Canadian people, announced that in the event of the United Kingdom becoming engaged in war, in the effort to resist aggression, they would, as soon as Parliament meets, seek its authority for effective cooperation by Canada at the side of Britain. As you are aware, I have all along felt that the danger of war was such that Parliament should not be dissolved, but be available to consider any emergency that might arise. Parliament will meet on Thursday next. Between now and then, all necessary measures will be taken for the defense of Canada. Consultations with the United Kingdom will be continued. In the light of all the information at its disposal, the government will then recommend to Parliament the measures which it believes to be the most effective for cooperation and defense. That Parliament will sanction all necessary measures, I have not the least doubt. Already I have received from the leader of the opposition and from representatives of the other parties in the House of Commons assurances of their full appreciation of the gravity of the situation and of their desire to see that such measures are adopted as in the present crisis will best serve the national interest. Our first concern is with the defense of Canada. To be helpful to others, we must ourselves be strong, secure, and united. In anticipation of a state of war, the government has already availed itself of the provisions of the War Measures Act to take all essential measures for the defense of our coast, our land, and our people. As has already been announced, the militia of Canada, the naval service, and the Air Force are already on active service. This morning, these measures were supplemented by others including the proclamation of the Defense of Canada regulations. Measures have also been taken to prevent profiteering in the necessaries of life. Of the latter measure, my colleague, the Minister of Labor, will speak to you in a moment. In what manner and to what extent Canada may most effectively be able to cooperate in the common cause is, as I have already stated, something which Parliament itself will decide. As I need, all I need to add at the moment is that Canada, as a free nation of the British Commonwealth, is bringing her cooperation voluntarily. Our effort will be voluntary. The people of Canada will, I know, face the days of stress and strain which lie ahead with calm and resolute courage. There is no home in Canada, no family, and no individual whose fortunes and freedom are not bound up in the present struggle. I appeal to my fellow Canadians to unite in a national effort to save from destruction all that makes life itself worth living and to preserve for future generations those liberties and institutions which others have bequeathed to us. 
You have just heard the Right Honorable W.L. Mackenzie King, Prime Minister of Canada, speaking from Ottawa. And now bring you Raymond Graham Swing, Mutual's authority on foreign affairs and internationally celebrated political commentator who will discuss the outbreak of the general war in Europe and examine the role in it of Italy and the Soviet Union. Mr. Swing. Good afternoon. I presume that Premier Daladier of France is speaking at this moment, though there is no confirmation of it. If he is, I'm sure that he is giving a rendering in the French tongue of the same grave, tragic, and brave words that most of you will have heard from Chamberlain this morning and again just now. In both cases, they are words relating their efforts for peace and attesting their fidelity to their pledge to Poland. In a comment at such an occasion, one can address himself to the occasion, one of the most critical, if not the most critical, in history. Or one can evade that effort and speak of immediate things. I am going to evade the effort. A decision has been made. Britain and France are going to the help of Poland, not only for Poland's sake, but for their own. But Mussolini, the Rome extras revealed today, is still working for peace. He hopes to keep Britain's and France's declaration of war from leading to major hostilities. Britain's ultimatum expired at 11 o'clock London time. France's expired at 5 this afternoon, noon our time. A last moment remained before France would be fully at war and time for word from Hitler. But that ultimatum has now expired, and Hitler did not retreat. This news of Mussolini's efforts is arresting. He must have made some progress with Hitler, or he would have abandoned his attempt. We don't know over what issue Hitler refused the plea or the demand of Mussolini for a truce and negotiations. Hitler may simply have said, I shall take what I want in Poland, let Britain and France recognize it. If they'll do it at a conference, I'm ready to confer. I'm ready on that basis to negotiate a worldwide settlement, but on no other basis. We know from Lord Halifax's speech in the House of Lords yesterday that Britain refused to accept the 16 points as a basis for discussion, at least in one particular, and that was point one. Point one gave Danzig to Germany outright. Fairly soon, I imagine, we'll have the full story of these last-hour efforts to save the peace. We shall know then if, as it appears, Mussolini succeeded in budging Hitler at all. If the Fuhrer was prepared to go back to the 16 points, and if he was so prepared, if it was... if he balked at not having at least Danzig. It is of the utmost importance to the development of the war that Mussolini made a peace effort and that he has failed so far with Hitler. For Mussolini and Italy become the arbiters of one phase of the war. It's for them to decide whether help for Poland can be sent through the Mediterranean. Mussolini already had achieved, has already achieved neutrality. Hitler in his Reichstag speech as much as told the German people not to count on Mussolini's help. That suggests that Mussolini may have told Hitler that his pact with the Soviet Union had changed the whole basis of the axis, and so he, Mussolini, had regained his freedom of action. True, he had signed an alliance with Hitler on May 22nd of this year, but
But Hitler had signed the pact with the Soviet Union behind his back. I don't suppose that Mussolini actually said or inferred to Hitler in these last frantic peace efforts. If you don't listen to me, I may go in on the other side. The possibility is inherent in the situation. This is 1914 all over again with this difference. In 1914, the Wilhelmstrasse in Berlin was not unprepared for Italian neutrality, and in 1915, it was not shocked by Italy's entry into the war on the other side. The German people were infuriated, but those who had any knowledge of the facts of power knew that Italy was helpless before the British Navy. But this time, the Axis is fairly new. It has had the triumph in Spain, and in May of this year, when Hitler had decided to crush Poland by September, he sewed up Italy with an automatic military alliance. Count Ciano took the lead for Italy. He became head of the pro-German activists in Italy. He signed the Treaty of Alliance. Hitler then sent a horde of Nazi officials into Italy, including members of the Gestapo, the political police. And their job was to see that Italy didn't welch to spy on the Italians for signs of dissatisfaction and help the Italian police keep Italy true to itself as an Axis ally. The Nazi penetration was obvious and distasteful to the Italians, and the saying swept the country that things had been better when Mussolini was dictator of Italy. Not until the bombshell of the Soviet Nazi pact was there any reason to expect weakening on Italy's part as an ally of Germany. Ciano, the creator of the alliance got the news of that pact when he went to see Hitler at Berchtesgaden. You remember, he broke off that visit and flew back to Rome. Correspondents who saw him said that he left Hitler with his face dark with care. And after he got home, a change came over Rome. The Duce took over the responsibility for foreign policy. And that meant that the pro-Nazi activist policy was being reconsidered. If it had been a tragic mistake, Mussolini could drop Ciano as foreign secretary and save his own authority. So it was with a Mussolini on the crossroad of decision or indecision that Hitler, Chamberlain, and Daladier all are dealing. Hitler has made his choice once. He may have made it at the cost of not being able to call on Mussolini for help. He have made it at the still greater cost, may have made it at the still greater cost, of having Mussolini desert him. He has a last chance to reconsider. Britain and France, once before, pulled Italy out of an alliance with Germany. They did it the last time with promises that were recorded in a secret treaty. They didn't honor those promises to Italy's satisfaction. Nobody knows that better than Mussolini, for he'd been one of the flaming young Italian radicals who had helped enormously to bring Italy into the war on the Franco-British side. And later, his disillusionment was intense. If the thing is to be done again, Mussolini will accept no promises. He will have to have down payment. He has two sets of claims. One set is very easy to grant, Djibouti. A share in the management and profits of the Suez Canal. A readjustment in Tunisia. The other set is bigger. It includes colonial territories in Corsica. Now that's the situation as to Italy. Mussolini is making up his mind. He is weighing matters. He'll do what he thinks is best for the Italian people, not in terms of fidelity to an alliance, but in terms of their future. For the present, it must be a profound satisfaction to him that he has at least his neutrality. And I must say, 
It also is a profound satisfaction to Chamberlain and Daladier. There's another factor in the last 48 hours that must be borne in mind. It's the Soviet Union. The Soviet Nazi Pact is in, entitled a pact of non-aggression. It was to begin with no more than a truce in a war between two ideologies. But two enemies can also become two friends, and two friends can become two military allies. It may make you dizzy to see two enemies become two friends as quickly as the Nazi and the Soviet regimes. The day before yesterday, a Soviet military mission arrived in Berlin. The Soviet ambassador, who had worked on the trade agreement and the non-aggression pact, was recalled, and his place was taken by a new envoy, who brought with him as his right hand the man who had been Molotov's private secretary in Moscow. Nobody can say that a military mission foreshadows a military alliance, but that it was meant to suggest that to Britain and France and Poland is, I think, quite clear. It was the Soviets' way of warning Poland to give in, and Britain and France not to go to war for Poland. I advise caution in expecting the Russians to enter the war on Hitler's side in any big way. The Soviet Union wants to dominate the Baltic countries. It wants part of Poland, and from Romania, it wants Bessarabia. But its next great chapter of challenge is in the Far East. China waits for rescue from Japan, and that is enough for even the vast Soviet Union to take on. Good afternoon. We bring you Raymond Graham Swing, Mutual's authority on foreign affairs, an internationally famous political commentator. Tonight, Mr. Swing is discussing the case that Britain and France have presented for going to war. Mr. Swing. Good evening. Today, we have come to the end of a drama. The curtain has fallen on the last act. This has been the drama of the War of Nerves, the White War. The White War is over. Now the curtain rises on a new drama, the Crimson War of Bloodshed. Until the last moment, Hitler hoped to win the White War. I don't think that at any time since March, Chamberlain and Daladier have expected to win it. Since March, when Czechoslovakia disappeared, they have known that the showdown was coming and they didn't underestimate Hitler as a force. It was Hitler who underestimated them. The onlookers in the world theater didn't know. For one thing, most of them had no idea of what kind of men Chamberlain and Daladier really are. How could they know? These same men went to Munich and sold Czechoslovakia down the river. And yet today they courageously plunged their countries into a war with the very man whom they themselves had strengthened. The onlookers can't be blamed for not having foreseen that. Most onlookers expected Chamberlain and Daladier to repeat the sellout of Munich. Less than a month ago, I remember feeling as though I were alone in a wilderness for saying that a crisis is here. We already are in a crisis. Hitler had given his warning months ago. He was preparing for Poland the same exquisitely calculated process of destruction which had worked on Czechoslovakia. It was coming into high gear action in August, yet the public was skeptical. I confess that I haven't had a consistently unwavering faith in Chamberlain and Daladier. I trusted them at all be only because I trusted the people of their nations. I had been in Europe at the time of Munich. 
I had been in Prague at the very time last September when that nation was tricked out of the right to defend itself. If anyone had reason to be fearful of the combination of stupidity and treachery which sold the Czechs down the river, it was one who had been an eyewitness at the slave market. But the revolt against Munich that went on inside me went on inside of millions of Englishmen and Frenchmen and went on more violently because it was their countries that were responsible. I was sure that the people of Britain and France were tricked at Munich just as much as the Czechs, and I was sure they wouldn't ever allow themselves to be tricked a second time. They were being watchful of every move being made by their governments. I know from letters I've had from England how it distressed people that Chamberlain should have gone away fishing this summer. They were frightened by the talks of cartel arrangements between British and Nazi industrialists. They worried lest Chamberlain, an intensely religious man, should come to feel that he must keep the peace at all cost, and that all cost might spell another betrayal. The acuteness of this feeling in Britain came to expression in Parliament before it adjourned. And then Chamberlain got rid of Parliament, was it ominously? And that left him a free hand to deal with Hitler as he pleased. Daladier, already governing by decree, also had a free hand. And he was keeping on Bonnet as his foreign secretary, which was no cause for confidence. People in England trusted Lord Halifax more than they did Chamberlain. And because he wasn't being pushed aside, they were relieved. Now, I don't doubt there have been currents of duplicity in Britain and France right up to today. Foreign policy never is a still water like a canal. All kinds of little rivulets flow into it and discolor it. But though I've been constantly and critically on the watch for any step in British and French policy, that deviated in any way from what I should call the line of integrity. I have not seen it. From April right up to the last moment, every official step has kept to that line. The one episode about which I'm not sure, because I haven't seen the full record, is the Anglo-Soviet negotiations. The Soviet leaders have stated their case for the failure of those negotiations, in part it is that the British never meant them. The day before yesterday, they also were saying that Chamberlain was the same man today that he was at Munich. I don't know what the British experienced at Moscow, and I must know before I make up my mind. This is being said in preparation for a considered statement which I've conscientiously weighed. I believe that the British and the French case against Germany is true as stated by them. And further, I believe that ever, never since ethics have become a national political concern has as clear a case for war ever been made out as the British and French case. All international and national affairs are complex, and when it comes to dealing with them, they have to be, on a national scale, they have to be distilled into simple issue, a simple issue, so simple that everyone can grasp it. The issue for this war is being stated as whether a single man is to be checked in his ambition to dominate the world. 
That's a proposition the ordinary Englishman, the ordinary Frenchman can understand. It is as simple as the issue of the last world war, which was to end militarism and militarism's contempt for the scraps of paper known as treaties. But the simple issue leaves too much unsaid and the slogan easily becomes hypocritical. The world war was a clash over much more than a question of ethics. It was a struggle for power on Germany's part and a struggle to maintain power on the part of the Allies. The British and French had their empires to preserve, their markets, their vast economic life. Once more, they're fighting to maintain power, preserve empires, markets, their vast economic life. And that needs to be said as part of the issue. It isn't a contradiction of the slogan of the war, for their power is threatened by one man. But it can become Kent and hypocrisy if the intense self-interest of Britain and France isn't kept continually in the foreground. The big difference between this war and the First World War, I should say, is that in 1914, the British and French had no doubt of winning and doing it quickly. But the war that began today is something else. They aren't so sure of winning it. They can't be. You look at your map and ask yourself, what help can the Allies bring to Poland and how can the blockade amount to much now that the Soviet Union has become Germany's storehouse of materials? You think the ordinary Englishman and Frenchman hasn't thought of that, too? They know this time it will be a terrible struggle. And what was their choice? They might have acquiesced in their own decline and taken their licking gradually. The process might have lasted for decades. They would have lost their freedom. The red corpuscle count in their blood would have dropped and dropped till they became so anemic that one day they could be thrust aside and not tread anymore the stage of high endeavor. But when it came to the test, they refused to acquiesce. And the slogan that this is a war on one man who wants to rule the world isn't simply empty words. The other night, I spoke about the offer Hitler had sent to Chamberlain to accept part of the British Empire and to guarantee the remainder. The full text of the British White Paper brings the rest of the story. And as it has a bearing on the decision that the British and French have made today, I want to say some more about it. The Hitler communication to Chamberlain shows that he was filled with a sense of the stupendous nature of the Soviet pact just concluded. And he told Chamberlain, in effect, that he was ready to do something equally stupendous. He would make as big a deal with the British. He had to have some colonies but then he would be ready to guarantee the rest of the British Empire and to undertake to protect it in every part of the world. Chamberlain had mentioned disarmament. Hitler said armaments should be distributed according to the tasks that had been shouldered. That meant that since he was going to defend the British Empire, he, of course, was to keep plenty of armaments. And then comes the full revelation of Hitler's dream. He said he was tied permanently to Russia and Italy. Britain was tied permanently to France. That all should remain. And he added that he would ask for nothing in Western Europe. Leaving out the United States and Japan, there are five powers who control the rest of the world. Britain, France, the Soviet Union, Italy, and Germany. By Hitler's dream, he would be the one power to set up links and be the protector of all, directly or indirectly. He would be able to say Britain shall be protected, and that would cover France. 
Italy shall be protected. The Soviet Union shall be protected. The power which protects ultimately is the power which rules. Hitler would become the final arbiter. He would indeed be the master of the world. Since Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, this dream has been growing. But last week, it had expanded. The charge that Hitler wants to dominate the world has often been made without really good evidence. But here we have the offer Hitler actually sent Neville Chamberlain less than two weeks ago. It said, give me my way today in Eastern Europe. I will give the British Empire a comfortable wing in the world over which I, Adolf Hitler, am soon to rule. I've said that the British and French case for this war can be endorsed, but I must make two qualifications. One is that it, this doesn't mean that the British and French policy since Versailles and at Versailles can be endorsed. For, of course, that policy has been largely responsible for the creation of Hitler, for which such costly atonement must now be made. The other qualification is that the case, as now stated, could have been stronger still. The British and French have never told the German people in any convincing way what they were prepared to do for them once the Hitler methods were abandoned. Hitler has made many demands for which there was a prima facie case, a case which pricked Anglo-Saxon and French consciences. He then took what he wanted in the wrong way, and while he was doing that, concessions to him were impossible. Finally, he went beyond taking things for which he had a prima facie case, and that was the end of Anglo-Saxon and French conscience trouble. But even then, the British and French didn't tell the German people what they could have, what kind of thing politically, colonially, what kind of cooperation economically, once the wrong to Czechoslovakia was done and the method of force was abandoned. I think... That is a very serious omission from the British and French case. If the promise had been made to the German people in time, and with such sincerity as to convince them that it was meant, the war might never have come. For when non-Nazi Germans had to choose whether to follow the Fuhrer, they really had no concrete alternative. I don't know how long this war must last. It will be much shorter if the German people can be assured that the fight is not against their enjoyment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is a war against unbridled and conscienceless force, and they should be assured the enjoyment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if they will curb the force that has taken them and the Allies into war. In other words, many will wish that this war might start with a clear, precise statement of peace terms, and in part be fought with these peace terms. That alone can curb the hate that war is bound to engender. I repeat, it might shorten the war. A war of hate and punishment can drag on for years. Good night.
Winum Equalizer, JAWS Professional. Alt-Tab, 9-3, Alt-F4, 1. JAWS Updates available. Alt-Tab, Sound Forge Pro 11.1.